See if I can make it easier. Do not fear, but please stay here. Stay at home now, everyone. We must wash and clean things well. Cars no long trips, just for fun. Don't let COVID virus spread. Isolate yourself at home. See your friends online instead. That's the healthy way to go. Oh, oh, oh! Do not fear, but please stay here. Stay at home now, everyone. We must wash and clean things well. Cars no longer just one. Don't let COVID virus spread. Isolate yourself at home. See your friends online instead. That's the healthy way to do. Not fear, but just stay here. Time to all self-isolate. Wash your hands. Use lots of soap. Don't go further than your gate. Social life must stay online. Keep two meters clear of me. Watch TV, drink lots of wine. That will kill COVID nineteen. Cough in your elbow, wash your hands with soap. Now, children, staying at home and so on are things we do to stop the spread of COVID nineteen. Once you have this in your head, you can do a million different things at home to stay sane, like this. Sleep, eat, winch, tweet, snooze, blob, think. Sleep, eat, winch, tweet, snooze, blob, think. Loaf, mooch, dose, smooch, binge, watch, drink. Loaf, mooch, dose, smooch, binge, watch, drink. Now put it all together. Sleep, eat, winch, tweet, snooze, blog, think. Loaf, munch, dose, smooch, binge, watch, drink. Good. But staying inside is so boring. So we think about why. Remember why we're doing it. Like this. When Bug with speed, so shall I 
Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. That's a version of the sound of music you probably hadn't heard. From 1939, translated to 2020, 81 years later, when we're fighting a virus. Who would have thought that most of the songs that would be playing in 2020 would be about a virus? I would not have guessed that as we hit January 1st here. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on April 4th. 2028 11 p.m. is the time Saturday night and we'll see who we can get for a co-host tonight. I know we're going to have Trader Ruski. We're probably going to have Vintage One again, Vintage One who uh, works behind the scenes in Hollywood on some uh, pretty large network shows who's out of work so now he he can co-host with us. That's why you haven't heard him that much here before. He's a very busy guy. And then we have another uh, busy guy who's managing to take time out of his uh Busy sleep schedule at 11 o'clock Eastern time. Calwat, hello. What's going on, Druff? I, I was afraid we may have lost you, and I'm going to explain why we were late. I know I always have an excuse, but this is a good one. Uh, I want to tell the listeners of this show, even though I, I sound good here, I sound normal, uh, there is something weird going on with some symptoms I'm showing, and... Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding here. So this is this is what happened, and I'll explain. It has to do with why the show started late, which was scheduled for seven, then became seven twenty, became seven forty-five, and then became around eight. So uh, before I tell you that, though, we have a free roll tonight. Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks is being given away on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Twenty-five for first, fifteen for second, ten for third. It started at eight. You have until eight twenty-five to get in. That's just. Uh, Something I want to let you know because you have 13 minutes left. I reset a few passwords today. I gave a few people permission today, but don't message me at this point. Now I'm not going to help you. We're already going with the show here. But uh, let me tell you what's going on with me. Then we'll find Trader Ruski and then quickly do the agenda and get going. About four or five days ago, I woke up with a weird feeling in my chest. And not the same as a month ago when I had the arm pain and the chest pain, which uh, seemed like kind of like an outside chance. I was having heart problems and uh, 
Yeah, given my age and uh, what I was feeling and my height, which makes it more likely that I would get it, and the fact that I'm male. I went to the ER a month ago. It turned out everything was fine. But this was different. This wasn't like a – first of all, my I wasn't getting the same arm pain. Second, it didn't feel like what cardiac pain would feel like. It kind of felt like lung pain, which isn't good given that uh, the coronavirus attacks your lungs. So I, I – like I felt just a pain, not a severe pain, just kind of a mild – annoying pain in my chest and it felt worse when I would breathe and I said "Uh oh but then I would try to engage in physical activity and there was no problem so like mild things like going up the stairs people with coronavirus tend to get winded from that I did not it was normal Uh, I also played basketball with Benjamin no problem did not get uh, any more tired than I usually do two days ago I took a one and a half mile hike and yes, I, I was social distancing. There's no one else where we were hiking. I went to a very off-the-beaten path path to do it, and also right before sunset, so there, there was nobody there. But anyway, it was a mile and a half uphill. Again, no problem. So uh, that's not consistent with what people have when they have uh, shortness of breath type things going on. I, I just have kind of like pain in what feels like in my lungs, which is weird. I've never had that before. Uh, about two days ago, some new things showed up. Uh, I felt at night... I was really cold, and I went to go look at the temperature of the room. It was 70 degrees, and I said, well, I like the room a little warmer than 70 usually, but 70, I don't feel cold. It just, I prefer a little bit warmer than that, and I noticed that, yeah, I was just unusually cold compared to whatever the temperature was. So, like, outside at the time, it was like 47, 48 degrees. When I went out there, it felt like I was walking into 30 degrees, and I'm used to that temperature range because that's what we get here in the winter in the winter we get down to the low 30s sometimes sometimes upper 20s uh usually high 30s in the winter in the in the summer it gets down in in the spring it's like high 40s which is like right now so i'm used to that so i walked out it was 47 i know what 47 is supposed to feel like it felt freezing to me and i go crap so that's been consistent for the last two days i've been unusually cold i i'm perceiving the temperature about 10 degrees colder than it is now usually when menopause well usually when i feel that that means i'm getting a fever and i go oh no because i never get fevers anymore i go oh no i've never been so scared to take my temperature usually i take my temperature if there's a problem and like when this wasn't going on and it's just kind of like a source of amusement like oh wow look like i have a temperature of 101 that hardly ever happens this time i was terrified as i was taking my temperature i was so terrified to look and see it say 100.5 or 101 well, my temperature was abnormal, but it was 95.8. That's not what I expected to see. My temperature was low. Now, normally my temperature is around like 97.5 to 98. It's not 98.6, which is pretty common these days. Most people don't have a normal temperature of 98.6, which is a lot of people aren't aware of, and I'm one of those people. But uh, still... That was a little weird, but the, by the morning that came back, but I was still cold. And starting yesterday, I started getting a mild sore throat, which I still have. Not a terrible sore throat, but a mild one. So I, And today I'm feeling some fatigue and some muscle aches. I don't know what the hell is going on. But I will tell you what I don't have. I don't have a fever. I can engage in physical activity without being short of breath. And I uh, don't have any cough at all. No cough whatsoever. Occasionally, it's like the heater's on, it blows dust around and gets in my throat, then I cough. But I mean, like, not a, I don't have any kind of real cough that's going on. So the three main symptoms of coronavirus have not hit me. And there's one other little factor going on, 
and this is why I was late. Benjamin's mom, who of course lives here with me, has a fever. And she also doesn't feel very good. She does not mm. have, she does not have a cough or shortness of breath, but she has a a fever on and off, started about three days ago, got to about a hundred and a half, then went back down. Yesterday was back to normal, and today is into like mid ninety nine. So I don't know what to say. I I don't know what to say. And and Benjamin has a headache today, which he gets sometimes and both me and his mom have suffered from headaches all our lives, so that's not surprising he's getting headaches. But still, um, I, I'm not worried about Benjamin. Like, I know that he's, like, the very best age to be for this. But he and his mom – his mom and I are not the best age. We're not the worst age, but we're not the best age. So um, Now, if, if this is the coronavirus and we're just getting mild symptoms, and this is all it gets to, if this is where it stays – then that's great. That's actually a good thing because then uh, we'll get past it and uh, nothing bad will happen and uh, then we won't have to worry about it. There would be a relief to be past this. It won't be a complete relief because my parents, uh, I still have to worry about them, but uh, as far as uh, Benjamin's mom and myself, to if we were to have had it and this is the worst it gets, which obviously couldn't be that bad if I'm on the radio here. But, uh, but yeah, so anyway, his mom went to sleep and... Uh, what I'm probably going to have to do, since Benjamin's not a baby anymore, he can uh, take care of himself, and he's uh, watching YouTube and playing in uh, Roblox on the iPad, but uh, around 11 o'clock, I'll probably have to uh, take a break here and uh, put him to bed, and then uh, continue the show, and just want to warn you guys that's the situation, but that's why I couldn't start on time, because I had to do a bunch of stuff beforehand that normally his uh, mom would have done, but she doesn't feel well enough to do it and just really desperately needed to go go to sleep. So that that's the situation. Uh don't don't get too worried yet. There's uh neither of us have uh major symptoms and neither of us have obvious symptoms. Like there uh, there is someone in in a community forum on the internet uh which I p- participate in sometimes and this woman posting, "Well, I I lost my sense of smell and it's kind of weird, but I'm not sure if I have coronavirus." I'm like Yes, you do. Do not go anywhere. <laughs> Stay out of the community. Do, do not touch anything I'm going to touch. Do not go to the store. Do not go anywhere. You have it. Have you, nobody just loses their sense of smell out of nowhere. Like, I, that's never happened to me once in my life. That hasn't happened to anyone else I know in my life prior to this. So if you lose your sense of smell or taste just like out of nowhere, it's one thing if you have, you have a cold and you're all stuffed up. Or what, I, I'm saying like if you should – one day the sense of smell is gone, the sense of taste is gone. You have the coronavirus. Stay away from everybody. So I, uh, I, I don't have anything that specific. I have these weird things which can be symptoms but aren't the major symptoms and could be other things. So who knows? This could be a completely different virus that we both have. Who knows? But uh, I, I don't feel lousy enough to not do this show. And uh, I've had some messages from people, very touching messages. I'm not going to read them out here. I don't. I don't know if these people wanted me to read them. But... Some people have told me that either ones who are just very stressed with what's been going on in the world or some people who have texted me that had the coronavirus, in fact, one who had very severe symptoms from it. Um, The person looks like they'll be okay, but at one point they look like they uh, were questioning whether they were going to live. And they said that uh, one of the things that really helped them get through it was the show. I I think for some people it's kind of like something you're familiar with, something you can – listen to for hours that remind you of the time when this wasn't happening and you can get your mind off what's happening and it can help people even if you're not suffering from the virus just if you're stressed out with everything that's going on this is kind of a little break from it even though we 
talk about it and remind you of it. But still, uh, I thought about that and I said, I don't feel the best tonight, but I'm going to do the show anyway because I know a lot of people are waiting for it and want to hear it and I don't feel terrible, so I'm going to do it. But I'm also stating that I may have to uh, – it probably won't be an eight-hour show again. I probably can't deliver that to you tonight, especially with my throat not being 100%. So that's what's going on. Let me try to find Trader Ruski. Free roll starting in four minutes if you wish to uh, scramble to get in there in the No Fraud Online poker room. Which Oh, by the way, the donations this week. I can't forget to mention those. The donations, uh, two were voluntarily, voluntary. One was involuntary. Uh, BCR gave $20. I appreciate that from him. He's a active forum poster, very good forum poster. I Am Greek gave uh, $15, and he's a loyal radio listener and occasional forum poster, one of the older listeners to the show. I hope uh, – I know his wife had some health problems a few months ago unrelated to all this. I hope they're okay. And uh, the involuntary contribution came from someone who plays as Chip underscore Monk, M-O-N-K, and Chip Monk – Never claimed his prize from back in June. So guess what? I claimed it back, and it got used for this free roll. That's our policy. You have six months, and then any time after six months, I might reuse it for future prize pools. It may not happen six months to the day, but at that point, it's fair game for me to grab and use for future free rolls when we're short, and I have done so here. So sorry to chipmunk, but you should have claimed your money. And there's some other people who haven't claimed it that I'm, I, I know who they are, so I'm giving them a little more leeway. I have no idea who Chipmunk is, so I, I, I figured June was long enough where that's 10 months. Okay, so that's our $50 free roll, pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. If you want to call the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Another reason I was a little bit late is I was battling with Skype. Skype uh, tries to force you to run the current version. It's trying very hard. So last time I installed the, the an older version, which doesn't have problems taking phone calls like the new one does, and it worked for the show. And since then, it's been refusing to start unless it can install the new version. And I battled, battled, battled. Finally, I figured out a way around that so we have the old version again. And I think I've st- found a way to stop it from auto-updating. There's no option to do that. I had to engage in some uh, hacking of, of the Skype <laughs> update uh, protocol there. But... Anyway, I, I think I've solved it, but that took a little time. I didn't expect that. I just thought I'd start it and I would have the old Skype back, but I did not. Skype, it tries to be difficult. It tries to be as difficult as possible. Uh, the phone number to text us, name is the main number, 775-372-8355. Don't forget, you can call the Mount Charleston line if you wish to call us, 702-430-1808, an old 70s rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which forwards to me wherever I, wherever I go. The call-to-listen line, a number you can call to listen to the show, never buffers, never freezes, never does anything besides just streams the show without any interruption, no matter what. There could be a nuclear bomb all over the U.S. destroying everything, and there will only be the cockroaches in the call-to-listen line left functional. 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. Occasionally that does fail. Not from a nuclear bomb, but occasionally it does fail. There's an alternate number, which tends to work when that fails. 641-741-1095. Those are our two call-to-listen numbers. And if you forget all these numbers right on the radio tab of PokerFraudAlert.com. They are all listed. So there's no excuse not to know them. Chat room, a flash chat room, which uh, Calwatt uh, personally installed on the site and says he never wants deleted. He says, he Hold on, hold on a minute, Drew. Take it easy. 
I actually tried to go in the chat room. I actually enabled Flash. Yeah. And it won't let me in. What is it saying? <laughs> I think it's mad at me. It says something about, like, um, here, I'll do it right now again. It, it it flashes back and forth, and then it says, incorrect username or password. Please try again. Oh, okay, so try to, try to log. Just close that and try to just log into the forum first, and then click chat. I mean, it shouldn't be necessary, but that does happen occasionally. I am already logged into the forums. Well, just try try to log out and back in then. Yeah, we we'll, I'll figure it out. We don't have okay. to do tech support on okay. the air. I don't, no, nobody needs to hear that. No, no, no. Well, they, they do anyway. So sometimes they edit this out. I've been putting work in here where I've I know people love to hear the archive show as it was recorded, and I don't like to edit too much. I like you guys to hear everything, but there are just some things that are awful for radio, like like dead air or or just me trying over and over to get something to work where it's not funny. It's just kind of frustrating to listen to and you just want to get past it. Uh, I will edit out things like that. And I will also edit out anything I think would not be uh, good for the listener. And I spent well, you some, might edit this out then. I'm might, all in might, with aces. It, oh, no, that, that I won't edit out, especially if you get bad. I'm, beat. I'm, I'm against four as he flopped a set. <laughs> well, Cal Watt's actually going to lose. I can't believe it. Okay. Good game. Okay. I'm su- I'm surprised. I was sure you're going to spike that ace on the river. I was sure. Oh my god! First you say the guy in with aces. I'm like, I know what's going to happen. He's going to be against like four people, and it's going to hold up, and he's going to be the overwhelming chip leader. Uh, but and then you said someone flopped a set. I'm like, okay, I don't. You're going to make like a one card flush, or your one card straight, or uh, or you make a set at the end. I I knew it. No, no. When three X raise, call call, and then I shoved with aces, and then the original razor. Insta called, and then the other person folded, and they had fours. Yeah, that's. Uh, you know what? I know this is going to sound stupid, but <laughs> the pocket pair, the kind of not high pocket pair that I like the most as far as flopping sets is fours. It just seems like when I get fours, that that's when I flop the set the most often. And I and I I'll sometimes get it and go, no, this is stupid. It's just all random. And then, <laughs> then I'll look at the flop, and there's a four. So many times I flop sets of fours. Is that your favorite hand, rough? No, but it's it's for the, <laughs> my it's my favorite set flopping hand. When I get a when I get fours, I, I'm the most optimistic about flopping a set. Now, now uh, it, it is true that pocket fours are more likely to flop a set than any other card. The, I mean, that's definitely true. Well, well, it it actually is a little more than the higher pairs because people are more likely to be playing uh, when people are already in the hand with you than they uh, it already uses up some of the higher cards. So it's more likely that there's two fours left in the deck, but aside from like between like fours and, and sixes, it's not going to be any difference. But some, somehow I get it more with the fours. Somehow it's it's always been that way. I just played the other day and I flapped a set twice with fours. I won one of them, but still. Anyway, uh, let's do find Trader Ruski. Then I'll uh, do the agenda, and then we will get going here. And. Uh, I think that was actually the first time I played poker in quite some time. Really? Well, I'm glad it lasted a long time for you. <laughs> oh my god! I'm I'm, I'm watching. What's happening, guys? Trader Ruski, welcome to What's the up, show. Ruski. Hey, Drafty Kawat. Uh, glad to have you back, Trader Ruski. And uh, you I'm... calling from a laundromat? Oh, uh, does it sound bad? I got some. Yeah, I've been trying out some new headphones. Are they okay or no? It's kind of cutting out here and there. I, I have to admit, you, you've sounded better before. This is not the best we've heard you. Okay. Is that a little better? Or uh, no, I tried to turn down the volume a little bit. It's kind of similar. 
Okay, well, well anyway, I'll, I'll go through the agenda, then you can mess with that as we're doing the agenda here. Uh, we have three Mike Possel updates. That'll be our f- top story. There's three different updates regarding Mike Possel I'm going to give you. We've had a little more action here, including a massive change in the number of plaintiffs. Phil Galfond continues to stomp on Venny Vitti and at one point got out of the hole and was actually up. Now, he's not up at the moment, but he's close. He, he slipped back down a little bit, but uh, he appeared on the Chicago Joey show as an emergency show. Where This is where he briefly got ahead of uh, Venny Vitti, and then Joey had him on shortly after that session was over, when he finished slightly down. And I'm going to play you bits of that. I went through it, I listened to the entire 33 minutes, and I picked out the best parts, the best uh, few-minute clips. I'm going to play it to you and comment. There's a, a number of comments I have on this, and uh, there's some controversy, though, about this. Like I, what I, Often what I say to you, most of you agree with, I'll often take a position that's pretty obviously correct. But uh, this is one that there's a lot of difference in opinion, and there's no way to prove who's right and wrong. So I'm going to play some clips of his on Chicago Joey and comment on them. Lacey Jones. Uh, I'm going to ask both of you. Do, do uh, Cal Watt first. Do you remember Lacey Jones? I vaguely remember the name. Okay. What about you, Trader Ruski? I vaguely do, too, and I saw a tweet about it, and then I meant to look and didn't. Lacey Jones was one of the original, one of the legitimate hot chicks of poker of the 2000s. When I say legitimate hot chicks, I I don't mean the ones that were, like, fairly pretty, but by poker standards were super hot. I mean, like, an actual really hot girl involved with poker. However, she she was never a great player, or dare I say, a good player. She was just kind of in the community, she sometimes did some uh, uh, some poker shows and stuff like that. She just yeah. Was she a presenter? Or was she? A, she was at a lot like, of things. Yes, she was a presenter. She was a lot of things. She played some poker, but she was never uh, a poker pro. And uh, but she was definitely involved in the poker community in the two thousands, and a lot of people knew her then, uh, in, including me. Anyway, she's having a complete meltdown on Twitter. A, a complete meltdown. We'll discuss that. Uh, you, you wouldn't believe some of the things she's tweeting. This is. And believe it or not, I think we can blame the meltdown on the coronavirus. I don't believe she has the coronavirus or had it, but I think she's one of the people who's been stressed into meltdown mode. And she even made some interesting accusations, not naming names, but about some poker players that have done some bad things to her. Again, didn't say who, but uh, I'll read those, and I'll read you a, a selection of her tweets. She tweeted like hundreds of times in the last few days, she, so I'm not going to read all of that to you. It would take a very long time, and it would get boring eventually, but I'll, I'll show you how to find it, and I'll read you some selections of it, and I'll even play a weird clip, a little weird little video clip she released. She's, just, she's totally melting down, and I am not exactly sure why, but I think it may have to do with uh, the coronavirus. I, I had wondered about this, in fact. I had wondered is. How many people are going to develop psychological issues because of this whole thing, even people who did not have the virus? So I think we found one. We are going to have a number of coronavirus topics again. Be kind of like the middle of the show. Three Hawaiian Hawaiian Gardens players, regular players at Hawaiian Gardens, which is a card room in Southern California, have died. And I've gotten this from a pretty good source. 
three regular poker players, not dealers, poker players who were always playing at Hawaiian Gardens have died from the coronavirus. Pretty serious stuff. Uh, it's not any big name. That's why you haven't heard about it, but I'll tell you that. Uh, the Right now, you've been hearing projections about the coronavirus in the U.S., 100,000 people dead by the time this whole thing's over. Unfortunately, I think that's very optimistic. I think by the time we get to April 30th, there's going to be 50,000 deaths in the U.S. I will explain why I think that and why it's very, very reasonable to believe that's where we're going to be on April 30th and why, given that, the 100,000 number does not seem right. And I think it's going to be substantially more than that. Also having to do with April 30th, the Vegas casinos definitely will not be opening any time in April. The governor of Nevada has extended the closure date all through April. We'll talk a bit about that and uh, whether they have a chance to open in May. And Of course, uh, the World Series of Poker is coming in May, or shall I say, is scheduled for May. It won't be coming in May. We know that. What about other things? What about events, concerts, and cruises? When can these start up again? Not only don't I think it will be soon, I don't think it will be until 2021. We will talk about that. Speaking of which, if you had tickets to any of these things, there's been some attempts by some formerly large and reputable companies to engage in what I call negative checkoff scams regarding giving you your money back. We talked at length last week about StubHub. We won't talk much about them again. I may mention briefly something else that's come out since then, but uh, we're not going to have a long StubHub discussion again. You can listen to last show if you want to hear that. But there's a number of businesses, including airlines, that are trying to cheat people out of their money. The government is even getting involved and uh, telling the airlines, you better stop it. I'll tell you what's going on and what to do if you have something that has been forced canceled due to the coronavirus and how to get your money back and why you should try as hard as you can not to get a credit for anything. And there are ways to avoid that. Gun ownership. Gun ownership, the views towards that have changed. One of the changes I think we're going to have when this is all over is a different way that guns are being looked at. And I believe it's actually going to change where guns are going to be viewed more positively than before. Uh, There's been a lot of people attempting to buy guns ever since this started. And a lot of people have been upset that some gun stores were forcefully closed, like in California, and because they weren't uh, classified essential businesses. So there's been some movement regarding that. And I'll tell you where I think this is going to go regarding the U.S.'s attitude towards guns, which over the last two decades was getting worse and worse, and now I think it's going to go the other way. Let's say you have the coronavirus and you're pretty sure you have it, and things are rapidly getting worse. You've probably heard horror stories of people who aren't being treated, aren't being taken seriously that they have it, or they refused a test. I'm going to give you some suggestions on how to get tested and how to get treated. In general, with healthcare, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and that includes in this situation. I'm going to tell you some things you should do if you have it and if it's getting bad. Now, if You've had it, if you think you've had it, if you were sick in the last three months and you think it may have been the coronavirus, I will tell you how to determine whether you likely had it or not. Of course, when an antibody test is finally out and approved, 
then we can see this for sure. But uh, short of that, which we don't have the availability of such a thing right now, how can you figure out whether you had it or not? We've, we've had that question come up a few times on the forum, and I'm going to tell you when you should think you had it and when you should think, well, it's kind of hard to tell. There's, there's some very obvious signs that you had it versus when you didn't have it. I'm talking about when it's all over, not if you currently have it. Poker Stars is now being utilized for home games where people set up play money home games and then invite others to come join them and settle up later. Question, should you do this if invited to such a game? I will give my commentary on that. And final coronavirus discussion. This one is kind of a tough one to decide whether this is correct or not. Not I mean, The story is correct, but whether this person's actions are correct. Ashley Hine, also known as Action Ashley, she lives in Texas. She's appeared on the show before. Uh, I, I enjoyed our interview with her, and she came off very well. And I like Ashley personally, but she's doing something recently which is causing some controversy. She has been tracking down the existence of live home games that are taking place and calling the police on them if these home games are violating lockdown rules regarding the coronavirus. She feels she's doing a public service. Some people think she's being a snitch. So we'll talk about whether Ashley's actions here, action Ashley's actions are correct. Ray Davis. Remember him? Remember Ray Davis had a criminal case against him? I bet you forgot about that until right now, didn't you? I know I did. I I totally forgot about Ray Davis going through a criminal case where he's accused of uh, having sexual uh, activity with minors. Remember that? Remember we talked about that? Then we kind of forgot about it. I think Ray Davis, if anyone has, uh, unless he catches the coronavirus in jail, I think he's benefited from this because no one's thinking about Ray Davis right now. But uh, I was asked to do an update on this and I looked into it. Yeah, I found there's a small update to Ray Davis's case, so I will update it. Two Caesar stories. First of all, they were fined 13 million pounds. Yes, pounds, not dollars. Pounds in the UK for taking advantage of problem gamblers. Now, Trader Ruski, are you aware of any Caesars UK properties? I can't say that I am. No, I haven't heard of Caesars London or or, or Caesars uh, Manchester. I haven't heard of of any of that, but uh, uh, that's because they don't exist. But they do own... 11 casinos in the UK. I had no idea until this story came out. Uh, I guess they're just not really uh, associating them with their US properties. But yeah, they got fined 13 million pounds. I'll tell you what happened with that. Also, what about their merger with Eldorado? Remember that? I bet some people forgot about that too. Caesars was bought. And is that still going to happen given everything that has occurred? I will tell you what the plans are with that at the moment. Finally, Miami, prior to this whole thing, was trying to bring a poker and highlight, which is a sport that people bet on, poker and highlight facility into Miami in the uh, Edgewater area of Miami. And uh, it was about to happen until the residents freaked out. And there is a big battle right now between the city of Miami and certain angry residents who don't want it there. That will be our final topic and yes that battle is raging on even though we're in the middle of the whole coronavirus pandemic and even though this thing wouldn't actually open now because of the coronavirus but uh that's not stopping people from fighting this they're very upset about this uh 
casino that's going to be in their city, which won't even be a full casino, but they just don't like any gambling establishment there, and we will discuss that. So that's our agenda for tonight. Free roll has already started, and uh, Calwad is, is already out. Trader Ruski, did you play the free roll? Are you still in it? I, I did play it, but I my aces did get... Uh, Your aces, too? Bo- both of you went out with aces? <laughs> yep. Wow. That's Big. A- Against Jacks, he hit a straight. I don't think we've <laughs> ever had it where, where both co-hosts have got dealt aces early in the tournament and gone out with aces. I don't think we've ever had that in the history of this show. I'm glad I didn't play. I'm sure it would have happened to me, too. Okay, Mine was super ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, you know, stacks of sizes and all that stuff. It was ridiculous. Friederuski, we'll enjoy the view from here. How about that? Absolutely. So we're going to get going here with with our first topic, uh, our first Postle topic, because something surprising came out about Mike Postle. I mean, it's, it's hard to say anything with Mike Postle surprising these days, but this this actually was surprising. And I'm surprised no one called it in some form back when he was talking about uh, something kind of related to this. Okay, so this this is what came out. Someone who posts on Twitter as Captain Jack Andrews. I've never heard of him before. That's uh, on Twitter. He's at C A P, like Captain C A P Jack, J A C K two thousand. Cap Jack two thousand. Captain Jack Andrews. He wrote this. This is on April second. Back in two thousand five to two thousand six, I was involved with a product called the Ultimate Blackjack Tour. Now, let me quickly tell you what that was. That was associated with UB. And that was something that Russ Hamilton actually started. So let me go on to read this here. It was an innovative elimination-style blackjack tournament. They filmed two seasons, which which aired on CBS at some odd hours. I had a relatively minor investment in the project. It was a collection of blackjack players and poker players. Most were also investors that made up the first season. They held some play-in tournaments out at Lake Las Vegas. The winners of those play-in tournaments made up the final tables that would be broadcast on CBS. Each televised tournament featured an internet qualifier. That was the real money-making component of all this, an online real money site where people could play the the UBT, Ultimate Blackjack Tour. This was just before the UIGEA was passed. Internet gambling still looked relatively easy. UIGEA killed the UBT. Now, let me stop right here. The reason the UB cheating was said to start seemed to be twofold. Number one, and this one was kind of speculative, it's not for sure, but the timing matches, that Greg Pearson's wife was in trouble for having sex with a 16-year-old boy. And that's for sure. I mean, for sure, she really was in trouble for having sex with a 16-year-old boy. And uh, that right then, right when she needed the money for attorneys, is when the cheating started. So uh, Greg Pearson, then the security director of uh, UB, and very high up in the UB hierarchy anyway, uh, being the ultimate cuck instead of leaving his wife for having sex with a 16-year-old boy, which any normal guy would do. Uh, yeah, Druff, I was about to say, man, <laughs> my wife had sex with a 16-year-old boy. The last thing I'm doing is a fundraise to try right. and help her out. Especially, you know a cheat, I mean? I mean, especially a cheat fundraiser. So apparently like that's, that's the rumors of why Pearson uh, was involved with the cheating that uh, he was trying to raise money for his wife's legal defense, which is just insane. Like, for, like any normal guy, if their wife is caught doing that, it would just be, goodbye. <laughs> you can have, uh, have kick, fun. In, kick have, her to the curb. Yeah, have fun in jail. I'm going to go be with a woman who uh, only wants to have sex with adults. But, 
Or or be with nobody. Yeah, or be with nobody. You know? <laughs> not not a woman who's having sex with teenage boys. But anyway, wow. Greg, Greg Pearson didn't take that, uh, and he, he was supportive of his wife. And suddenly money was raised for a legal defense. And so that's considered reason number one. But reason number two, which came a little bit later, was that Russ Hamilton needed funding for the Ultimate Blackjack Tour. And that's just about certain. The, the Pearson thing is a theory just based upon timing. The, the thing with Russ is, is pretty certain because he even told people. Like People came forward and said that Russ told them that that's where he's raising the money. That's how he's getting a lot of the money for this. And uh, so, so keep that in mind as I'm reading this, and you'll see how this has to do with Postle. So this guy goes on to write, For season one, they didn't have the internet site up yet, so one of the producers handpicked the, quote, winning internet qualifier for each of the televised tournaments. They were all close friends of his. So so basically, there, there was no internet qualifier, and they had to pretend there was one. And so they just picked friends. And, oh, this guy won on the internet. And of course, the viewer's never going to know he didn't. Captain Jack goes on to write, Imagine my surprise when I noticed that the internet qualifier for episode 109 on the DVD, which I believe aired on September 16th, 2006, was none other than one Mike Possel. Mm. Lest you think that the unknown Captain Jack Andrews is making this all up for drama, he actually posted screenshots of Mike Possel appearing on this. Uh, Mike Possel, who was already losing his hair at a young age uh, in 2006, I think he was in his mid-20s, he already looks like he's going bald, but uh, it's definitely him, definitely legit screenshots, says Michael Possel, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and you can see pictures of him at the table. Definitely true. Definitely true that Mike Possel appeared on this show on uh, episode 109 and that, uh, according to this person, I don't know this for sure, but according to this Captain Jack, that this was just picked. This wasn't anything Mike Possel won. So then Captain Jack said, okay, so big deal. The guy made it onto a televised blackjack tournament 14 years ago. The big deal is who his producer friend was that got him on the show. Would anyone like to guess who got Mike Possel on the show? Anyone? Russ Hamilton. That is correct. Russ Hamilton was the one who got Mike Possel onto the show. And Captain Jack writes, the inventor of Elimination Blackjack and the mastermind of poker's previous biggest cheating case. If anyone wants to check out season one, it's still for sale on Amazon, just in case you'd like to see Mike Possel playing Blackjack. Wow. So the two biggest scandals in poker involving whole card cheating involve Russ Hamilton and Mike Possel. And what do you know? Back in 2006, they were friends. Now, let's think back to Mike Possel's appearance. Uh Uh-oh, we're having some Skype issues here, I think. You guys still here? Do we have both of you here? Yep. Okay. What about you, Calwatt? Yep, still here. Skype went like blue screen on me. I got scared. Okay, sorry about that. Anyway. Uh, remember on Mike Matisau's podcast that he had with Mike Possel, where all Possel could do was brag about how much he won on UB? That was basically his justification. I didn't cheat because I was a big winner on UB in 2007 and 2008. That's, that's all he could say. He didn't defend any any play he did 
on these stone streams where people are saying he was cheating. It was more, well, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I was killing it on UB, so that proves I wasn't cheating, which, of course, is nonsense. Even if he was killing it on UB, that doesn't mean he wasn't cheating now. Just because you're cheating doesn't mean that you're otherwise a losing poker player. It just means you're cheating so you can win even more. For example, if I had, I'm a winning limit hold'em player. I think everybody will acknowledge that, even people who hate my guts. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't cheat. But let's say I would cheat, and let's say I found a way to cheat at limit hold'em. I could cheat and win a lot more. That wouldn't mean that I would be a fish without cheating. It would just mean that I could win a whole lot more with cheating, which I could. I would never do it. I don't have a way to cheat anyway. But if I did. And if I was willing to do it, yeah, I'd win a hell of a lot more than I currently win at Limit Hold'em. So uh, that's no defense, of course, that he won a lot on UB. But now, thinking back, hmm, Russ Hamilton was cheating on UB. We know that for sure. And it's always been suspected that others have also been cheating on UB that knew Russ and they were close to him. Mike Postle seems like he may have been close to him because he was picked by Russ in 2006 to appear there. Now, it's possible that he just knew Russ uh, and was sort of friendly with him, but not close enough to be brought into the whole cheating thing. Because remember, Russ couldn't just bring in anybody because they could blow the whistle on him. So he'd have to be fairly close to Russ Hamilton for Russ to trust him to do this. But it does raise some questions. That uh, Is that really a coincidence that Russ Hamilton and Mike Possel were friends back in the mid-2000s when the UB cheating was going on? Because the, the UB cheating was going on. When Mike Postle appeared on the UBT, that's for sure. It was going on big time in 2006, for all of 2006, and, and many other years too, but 2006 was right in the middle of it. So it was definitely happening. Russ Hamilton was definitely cheating people on UB to fund the UBT, and then he puts on his friend Mike Postle, who then later is accused of cheating the exact same way on a live stream. Different method of cheating, of course, of getting the whole card data, but uh, uh, basically the same thing's being done. Is that a coincidence? I don't think that's very likely. Now, do I think Russ Hamilton was helping Mike Postle cheat here? Obviously not. But uh, that throws some more uh, circumstantial evidence onto the pile that these two were friends. It's even possible that uh, Mike Postle knew about the cheating. Possibly he was also cheating on UB, maybe giving a cut to Russ. Maybe he was helping uh, get money off the site. Maybe he wasn't even really winning. Maybe uh, he was just one of the people who was cashing out big there and getting a piece of it. Because one thing with Russ is uh, Russ did have to use others to cash out because he didn't want everyone to know about what he was doing, even within UB. So he he did have others cash out for him, some of whom claimed they didn't know what they were doing. They just thought they were helping Russ and they didn't know he won the money by cheating, which may or may not be true. But uh, is it possible Mike Postle was one of the people who's helping Russ cash out here. Is it possible that that's why he was put into this UBT as a, quote, internet qualifier, because he was one of Russ Hamilton's accomplices? Now, we'll never know the answer to any of this stuff, but that is a real bombshell. And the only way this could be false is if the claim that Russ is the one who picked Mike Postle is not true. It is... Maybe this Captain Jack has it wrong. Maybe there was a way for these internet qualifiers to win on. Maybe that is how Mike got on, or maybe Mike got on uh, just because he was an active player on UB and they did him a favor uh, and they just invited him. I know sites have been known to do that when they need someone. I mean, I had that before where I was invited to like uh, tournaments that a site was putting on just because I was an active player there and they needed people. So 
it's possible that they just picked someone that they knew was playing on there a lot. But it's also very possible that Mike Postle was cheating then too under uh, Russ Hamilton. So who knows? It's a really weird thing. Also, Mike Postle, what, he's around like 41 years old or something? Do you guys think it's likely that Mike Postle just decided to start cheating the last few years? Do you think he, he was a great guy up until two years ago and then decided to be a jerk who cheats everyone at poker? No, of course not. Uh, Mike Postle obviously ha- has been a piece of shit his whole life. Usually at that age, you don't just convert from a great guy to, to a piece of shit cheater. So that's, that's another reason to believe this could have been happening then and that he would have had friends like Russ Hamilton is because uh, usually people are at age 40 cheating people. They've been doing a lot of bad things their whole life. It's one thing if somebody is doing some bad things when they're teenagers or in college and they're just not mature enough yet and then later they grow out of it and go, you know what, I was kind of a shitty person back then but I've I've matured and I've learned from it and now, now I'm a lot better of a person. That does happen. But the reverse isn't that true. Usually you don't have people who go from being uh, great guys when they're younger to being uh, pieces of crap when they're 40. So uh, that I, I have to think that it's not a coincidence those two were friends. And, and by the way, Russ Hamilton did not have a stellar reputation in poker prior to this. He was always known as a shady character. He was always known as a hustler. People used to say about him that he'd cheat his own grandmother if he could. This was before all this. Everyone said you can't trust Russ Hamilton before all of this. Now, he hadn't been involved in any major scandal, but the, he had a reputation around poker, which, of course, wasn't a big community back when he was originally playing. Back when he won the World Series in 94, it was a pretty small community. He was playing before that. Back in those days, people did not trust Russ Hamilton. You ask any player back uh, then. Put him, put him in charge of a poker room, Drew. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Sounds, guy. Like the guy, sounds like the guy for the job. Yeah, perfect guy to run UB. So I, I remember, th- I did think when I was listening to the Postle interview on Mattisau's show, and I heard the whole thing about, oh, I killed it so much on UB. I remember thinking... Well, why didn't he also kill it on Poker Stars? Why didn't he also kill it on Full Tilt? I, I did kind of think that, like, hmm, that's interesting. It's only UB where he was killing it. But I was too focused on thinking about whether he's telling the truth about killing it there or if he was just an active player who kind of won a little bit. That was kind of where my, my mind was going. I did notice that that was the only site he was mentioning. But I, I will admit I didn't really think about, hmm, what if he was associated with Russ Hamilton and he was also involved in the cheating? But now... <laughs> Yeah, what are you going to say? Now, Druff, help me out here, because I, I listened to the Matisau interviews. I've also listened to you talk about Mike Postle in the past. I haven't kept up with it, like, the last couple of months in terms of, you know, what's been going on. Yeah. Ha- has anything actually happened? I know there's a lawsuit against him. Has anyone come up with definitive proof, or has he admitted it, or is no. it all just him? he's still denying it? And everyone else is just like, you got to be kidding me. You're no, obviously right. cheating. Well, is, so, are we still kind of at that stage? Right, except there's this, the, the entrance of this rounder life thing, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. It's in one of the other yeah. updates. So the, this rounder life has just been defending him big time. and yeah, It's just a sock puppet. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a real person. And they're obviously close with Mike Postle, and they may also let Mike Postle use their account. Or uh, it's it's either a very close friend of Mike Postle's. I mean, it's a real person, but it's either Postle using the account or just some close friend that's very dedicated. Right, to so it's not a sock puppet. It's he, he's got his hand all the way up his ass, so he's making his mouth talk. Right. right? It looks it looks more like that. So, 
All right. Uh, so he has that and, and some other people who seem associated with Browner Life also, like that weird Asian grandma who may or may not be Mike Postle using the account. So, of course, she never appeared on the show like she said she's going to. She gave an excuse after the last show. But I guess my point is, like, no one has spilled the beans, right? Because no. the theory is that he very likely would have to have been colluding with somebody. So no one's ratted on him. No. He hasn't admitted anything, no. right? That's and, still where we're at. Right. So so, so we've just had kind of like legal updates and the rounder life defending him. That's all that's gone on in the last few months. There has been no major break where we've figured out anything more than was figured out in late 2019. So if, mm. you, if you haven't followed it in 2020, where as far as that's concerned, we didn't get there. And I don't know if we ever will get there. And why would someone come forward and like without external pressure making them? Why would someone say, "Okay, time for me to come clean"? Yeah, I was helping Mike Postle cheat. Like no one's going to come out and say that unless they're forced to. Well, the class action lawsuit could be external pressure, right? Well, only if it's on them. But if they're not being sued and there's not, if if, if there's no reason for them to do it where it benefits them to do it, no one's going to mm-hmm. do it. They're, everyone's going to stay quiet. And right now, there is no reason. The people who are being sued right now, it's it's Stones which is, of course, the most collectible. Then there's Mike Postle and Justin Kuretis, the tournament director and also the director of that live stream. So that's, there may be a fourth defendant added, I've heard, and I'm not sure who that's going to be, but that's the rumor, but it hasn't happened yet. Maybe that will shed some more light. Maybe that fourth defendant, if uh, they think there's a good enough case against them, could spill something, but they also may just say, well, screw it. Now, now I really don't want to talk because there's a lawsuit against me, and uh, if if they don't have much evidence, f them, let them try. So that's that's kind of where it stands, and I'll get more into some of that shortly. But that's the biggest possible story, and boy, did I get a lot of texts about this. Tons of people texted me this story about uh, Mike Possle and the Russ Hamilton Association, and yeah, it's a very interesting thing. I don't know if it's going to matter much as far as the court case is concerned, but it's a very interesting thing, and the optics are pretty bad here for Mike Possel, but of course they were already very bad for Mike Possel. So it's not like people are going, well, now I really think Possel was cheating. I think that everyone's minds are already made up anyway. Now, Druff, why wasn't the casino or the company that ran the live stream, why were they not named oh, in no, the they lawsuit? Were. They were. That's Stones. Okay. So Stones was named in the lawsuit. Yes, they, I was going to yes. say, like, even if they weren't culpable, it would be very unusual that the one entity with deep pockets is not named. Yes, you know? yes, they are named, and, and they've been trying to get it dismissed. So it's it's Stones, it's Justin Courageous. Oh, and, and, crap. God damn it. What? The Roomba's kicking in. Uh-oh. Is it going over the dog crap again? <laughs> There's no dog crap right now, but you're going to oh, complain hear, about the, the blender sound. So hold on. Let me let me mute. <laughs> At least Calwood has a very clean house. I'll give him that. At least I can't accuse Calwater of being a slob. He's always got that Roomba going. I still don't have one. I, I expressed some like moderate interest in getting one when I heard it last time. Then I promptly forgot about it. All right. I'm sending it home. Okay. It's leaving. It's, is, is it leaving the building? It's going back. Okay. It's going back. I'm, I'm going to mute until it's done. Okay, I'm hearing it fade stuff. away a little bit. Anyway, anyway, I just wanted to get up to date with... The whole possible thing to see if there, but there's no, there've been no drama bombs, right? Not kind of the no, slow this, this is kind of the kind closest of thing we've had to one, but but not about the actual yeah. cheating itself. Okay, so there, here's another one that's not quite as big, but uh, that actually started on March 23rd, and then uh, today, Rounder Life. When I say that, I mean the thing I'm about to get into. Rounder Life jumped in and uh, about this next thing, and has been attacking the person who posted. Like anytime anyone posts anything bad about Mike Possel, Rounder Life jumps right on them. I don't know why they took so long on this one. 
On March 23rd, uh, and I forgot to mention this last time. I, made, I meant to talk about it last show and I forgot. But on March 23rd, David Joseph, I don't know who that is, but he's on Twitter as uh, Arab Ace Joseph. That's A-R-A-B-I-S-A-C-E Joseph. I don't even know how you pronounce that. Uh, Arab Ace or Arabi Ice. I don't know. It's weird. But uh, this David Joseph responded to a Matt Glantz tweet. Matt Glantz, who wasn't trying to talk about Possible, just said, should we start a thread where each person tells a story of how we got scammed or scummed by someone or something in poker? And the first person to answer was this David Joseph, who, by the way, had created his account in March of 2020. So that is a little suspicious, but uh, probably – this is probably legit, but who knows for sure. He wrote, I'll start. Mike Possel owes me $11,000 since 2007. I had 10% of him and a couple other players from Mississippi and Louisiana. He wins an event in Tunica, and he avoids me like the plague, and then claims we were off for that event, meaning that they, the stake wasn't attached to that event, even though he was about 15 k in debt with me for makeup. So I responded to David Joseph, and I said, not that I'm doubting you, but why didn't you tell us a story in October, or did you and we missed it? Which is a good point. I, now, I didn't notice then that he had just created his account. But uh, you do have to wonder why this David Joseph didn't come forward about Mike Possel back in October when everyone was talking about Mike Possel. Why, why come out with this in March? And also, I don't even know if this David Joseph's a real person and he did just make his Twitter account. Well, of course, Rounder Life, I don't know why they waited until today, but today they decided that they're going to jump all over this and raise doubt about the whole story. So Rounder Life wrote, so David Joseph creates a Twitter account just a couple weeks ago, then with no proof claims Mike Possel owes him money, and Haley Hintz includes the tweet in an article, very interesting, and then uh, posted a link to this PokerTube article that Haley wrote. What Rounder Life has really been doing, I mentioned this last week, they've really been attacking Haley, which bothers me because Haley is a very honest and straightforward person who's done a lot of great investigative reporting in poker, and they're trying to make Haley look like a tabloid writer. And they're trying to, like, anytime she writes something that uh, is going on with Possel, they're just attacking, attacking, attacking to make her look like she's unreliable because they've noticed that she's been covering this a lot. So they, they're trying to destroy her credibility, which is crappy because she's very credible. Once in a while, she'll get a if fact you can't, If you can't destroy the argument, you destroy the person, right? Right, and that's what they're trying to do. So the reason they jumped yeah. on this on April 4th, I think, is, which is today, is because uh, Haley included this tweet in her article. So then uh, David Joseph... Pop back up today. He, he he didn't answer me, by the way, which is kind of strange. But he he answered Rounder Life today, saying, "I don't even know Haley Hints. Good article though. Seems like somebody was using God mode with all the other ultimate bet cheats." Referring to Possel. So Rounder Life says that if you can provide actual evidence to support what you're saying, that would be helpful. There were a lot of recognizable poker players in Tunica during this time. Can you give us the, give us the names of ones who can cor- corroborate any part of what you're claiming? How about emails to Possel? And then. David Joseph says, yeah, my business partner at the time who just died in November of melanoma. I didn't keep any correspondence. It was for a measly 10K. Tell Mike good luck with the new UB cheating scandal reveal party. I, I put, a picture, uh, put a picture of my dear friend Tombstone just in case you DM me again. And he put up uh, not a real tombstone but like, kind of like an online uh, graphic of a tombstone. Uh, Samuel Raymond Cittadino III who died in uh, 2019 at the age of uh, f- almost 54. So uh, then Rounder Life says back, no one from Rounder has DM'd you. I'm truly sorry for your loss. But then went on to say, 
In closing, and by the way, this wasn't closing. He went out to talk after this. This is rounder life again. Mr. Joseph, I asked Mr. Postle about your allegations. It's interesting how, like, they, rounder life has so much contact with Mr. Postle for supposedly a, a, a neutral publication. Quickly, like within a very short time, Rounder Life got to talk to Mike Possel. I asked Mr. Possel about your allegations, and he said it never happened, and he's never heard of you. I'm not calling you a liar. Unfortunately, Sammy, referring to the guy who died, uh, is the only one who could have corroborated your story. Without his word, there's nothing here. The lesson, and then he goes on to write, despite claiming this is uh, in closing, he went on a, a few minutes later to write, the lesson from this is not so much about you, it's the fact that Haley Hints would include your claim in an article if it was relevant. No reputable news outlet would have published your tweet or even referenced it because you have nothing to verify that it's true. If she had contacted you, I have to assume you told her the same thing you told me, and she decided to include it in her article anyway. Or she didn't contact you at all and included it. Either way, that says a lot about Haley Hints and her journalism, in my honest opinion. So you see the point of this whole thing. It's to try to discredit Haley Hints. And it's dumb. So, 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 what if Haley included this in his article, in her article? This is an accusation by someone. There's a lot of accusations about possible. It's, it's worth putting them all out there, even without verification. The the only time you don't put something like that out there is if uh, someone who's very credible and known to be honest is accused of something bad. It would make sense if you don't have any kind of proof or any reason to believe it's true. You don't necessarily go run and post it, or you could be helping smear a good person's name. But a piece of shit like Mike Passu, who definitely has done a lot of bad things, I don't see any harm in posting additional stories about him, because it adds to the pile of what people know about him. And even if not all of these end up being 100% true, you got to think most of them are. And you can't feel bad for Mike Possel that people are coming forward with these stories. If there are fake stories, this is Mike Possel's fault for being such a piece of shit This is that it makes people write fake stories about him where it's hard to determine what is real and what's fake. Now, how do I feel about this? Do I think this uh, David Joseph's telling the truth? I, I think probably because the story is not one that is uh, about a very large sum of money or about anything like really, really scandalous or terrible. I would think if he's going to make up a Possel story, it would be something really, really bad either a huge sum of money or something else terrible that Possel supposedly did. If the story is Mike Possel stiffed me out of 11K 13 years ago, I mean, it's an interesting thing to add to the whole story about Possel, but that's not going to be anything that pushes people over and go, ooh, 11K back in 2007. Well, now I think Possel's really a bad guy. So that was that's what makes me think it's more true. Do I know for sure? No. Do I feel like I shouldn't post something like this i shouldn't repost this until we can verify it's true no i i think as far as possible is concerned anything like this should be shared and if uh look if possible wants to clear his name there's a lot of ways to do so uh about the main accusations against him forget this stuff the main accusations against him he could come forward and clear a lot of this up and he has not he has refused to even well though, yeah. and and to your point earlier druff you know, scumbags are going to scumbag, right? I mean, this guy probably has a long history of doing all sorts of not-so-wonderful things, so it's not terribly surprising that someone like this would pop up, right? Yeah, and it, it really is about uh, when you share someone else's story like this, you just have to say, okay, the person who's being talked about, what is their reputation? Am I ruining a good person's reputation Who to where this is 
possibly uh, very possibly a phony story or a story missing some details, or is this a guy who's known to be a piece of shit? There's a good chance he did it. And 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 furthermore, even if he didn't, this isn't going to change his reputation much. Like, let's say someone came forward and said, Chino Ream borrowed money from me back in uh, 2008 and never paid me back and still owes me uh, 20k. If I posted that true. story, if I totally posted, true. if I posted that story, <laughs> even if it was completely made up, would that change Chino Ream's rep? No. <laughs> People go. Okay. Well, I also would just instantly believe it. Right, you'd yeah. instantly believe it. Yeah. But even if you believed a fake story, he'd still have the same rep when it's all over because Chino Ream definitely is guilty of doing things just like that to other people. So even if there's another one that's made up on top of the pile, it doesn't change much. It, so similar thing here. If, if Mike Postle's accused of doing something shady here and cheating people out of money, that's that's not going to be the defining factor of whether people think that he's a good or bad guy. So. I don't see any harm in sharing things like this. And every time I see something like this out there, I post it. I'm, I've never come forward and said, okay, 100% this is a true story. But if someone had a gun to my head and said, uh, you've got to decide now, is this real or fake? And I know the truth. And if you get the wrong answer, I'm going to shoot you. I would say, real. <laughs> That's, I'd be a fool to say fake because this doesn't strike me as a fake story, though there's a few... Weird elements like why create an account in March to say this and why not say this back in in October? But yeah, but in general, you're like, yeah, story checks out. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I mean, yeah. So that's that's another thing that's come out about Possible, and uh, I have a third Possible update here. That uh, this is a legal update, but uh, there's a big increase in the number of plaintiffs in the civil case, the one that uh, Mac Verstandig's law firm is handling. There were 25 plaintiffs before. Now, in an amended filing, they have added a lot of plaintiffs, and now there are 88 plaintiffs. Big increase. You can see the entire list of plaintiffs, if you want, if you go to the thread about Mike Postle and the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum on Poker Fraud Alert, where we have the Stone's livestream player Mike Postle accused of live super-using thread. And uh, on page 16 of that thread, in the towards the end of the whole post I made about David Joseph and and about all that, you can see at the very end I have a link to the amended complaint, and this is from uh, Mac Verstandig's. I don't know if it's a website, but it was, he's the one who uploaded it. In fact, it is a website. It's uh, mbvesq.com, which stands for uh, Mac V Verstandig, Mac B Verstandig. Esquire.com, mbvesk.com. But you don't have to remember that. Just go to that link I posted, and, and Mac uploaded all 54 pages of the complaint, which I'm not going to read you, nor am I going to read you all 88 names. Uh, but you can see on pages uh, 1 and 2 all the names of the people. And uh, scanning through all of them, I really don't recognize most names. Uh, one of them is actually a Poker Fraud Alert radio listener. And some of you know this person. I'm not going to say his name, but uh, some of you know this person. You may see that name there as one of the 88 plaintiffs. I don't recognize most of the people. The vast majority, I have no idea who they are. Uh, people like Chris Moneymaker, who played on the stream, and Chris Moneymaker was said to have been ripped off here. He is not part of this lawsuit. And from scanning this, I don't see any names that were added that were not there before, that were notable in poker. But nevertheless, they've added 63 additional plaintiffs. And 
I, I don't know if that's going to mean much, but other than the fact that if they win anything, it's going to be split 88 ways rather than 23 ways, if it's split, or 25 ways, if it's split equally. And that's, as Eric Benzamok had mentioned last week, they might have a problem determining what the actual damages were to each person. And now it's possible all these people have agreed that they're going to split this 88 ways regardless of what their personal damage was, but even if they've agreed to that behind the scenes, it still is the problem of uh, proving the damages. They, they really have to prove monetarily in an exact fashion, and this is according to Eric Benzamokin, who appeared here last week, an attorney, of course, that they have to prove in each of these cheating cases what the real monetary damages were, and it's a lot harder than you think because it's something that's impossible to prove what the exact damages were because just because Mike Possible wins the pot doesn't mean you got – and could see your whole cards – doesn't mean you wouldn't have lost the pot anyway. Like uh, let's say you both flop a set and he had the better set. Even if he can see your whole cards, the truth is all the money probably would have gotten in anyway. So there the cheating didn't cost you anything. Uh, or, or maybe the, some of this was because you tried to rebluff Possible when you shouldn't have, and then he was able to see your whole cards and rebluff you again. Well, how much can really be blamed on the cheating here versus your decision to rebluff him? And how can you know for sure that he wasn't going to re-rebluff you at that point? Like, there's a lot of subjective elements to this, and I'm not defending him. I'm not saying he doesn't owe anyone anything. He does, but it's the problem is on each hand to come up with damages you have to prove what the damages were having to do with the cheating because Mike Possel is going to legitimately win hands if he's not cheating so you have to separate when is he winning because of cheating and how much is he winning because of cheating and in poker that's very hard to say because you can't say what his moves would have been when he wasn't cheating now would he have won a lot less or maybe even lost if he wasn't cheating yes that's for sure but how much and in each hand how much that's hard to determine, so that may be something that's a challenge for them to, uh, to prove in court. Now, Jeff, this is something that I don't know, and you know, it would be nice if Eric was on. He might be able to answer. Maybe you know. I don't know. But in other types of civil lawsuits, like a wrongful death law- civil lawsuit, monetary damages are awarded, but they're kind of arbitrary. You know? I mean, wh- how do you come up with a a, a figure that someone should uh, get for a wrongful death, for instance. Is there any part of this whole cheating thing that is not about counting the exact amount of money that was won or lost, well, yes. but just as a kind of arbitrary amount of money that could be awarded? Yeah, that's the punitive damages, and that's what they're going for with stones. That's why the lawsuits for like uh, $10 million or something, when obviously not, they're not alleging $10 million are stolen when Mike Possible right. won 300K or 250K or whatever he won. So, so yes, they're going for that too, uh, and I don't But know. not against Possible, right? Because it makes sense against stones – no, against they, everybody. You know, they provided an unsafe environment or something like that. But can they go after anything punitive against yes. Possible or not? Yes, they can go against everybody for this. Yeah, but uh, whether they get oh, it is okay. a different story. But they're going after that. Yeah, but so that's they, they can go for that. But but uh, th- there's a number of problems here. Potential problems they're going to run into. Even though I do believe Possible cheated. Even though I morally I believe Possible should owe money for this, and I think Stone should mm. and jo- Justin should. Um, whether legally this can be successful, I think, is questionable. And 
This I, guy's going to pull an OJ, man. He's going to go to his grave denying oh, that yeah, anything of happened. Of course. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that, that's that's the update here with Possel. Just these uh, three things, including the increase of uh, the number of plaintiffs, which I, I would think if you're one of the original 25 plaintiffs, you're not happy to see this because it, it really does look like you're just going to be sharing the money with more people if you do win. But... Nevertheless, uh, that's what's going on with that. Okay, so and and that, sorry, but I, you know they could maybe do something because I know with wrongful death, a factor of it is this person would have lived thirty more years; they would have made X amount a year. So maybe like with the you know if they're professional poker players and know what their hourly win rate is, potentially they could come to some number that way. Um, well, the problem is they, they'd have to... They'd have to there's other people in the game. It wouldn't yeah. be due to his exact cheating, but if he's guilty of cheating, and could the judge just rule on, you know, a punishment? Yeah, there, could be, punitive, there could be punitive amount. damage, and also the, uh, one approach could just be that uh, collectively uh, in the game, and of course they have to discount the fact that there's a lot of other people in the game who aren't part of this lawsuit, so you have to take away those people. But if they if they like, count the total number of people in the game, I guess the, forget the number of people, the hours played of the 88 people in this lawsuit versus the total hours played by everybody in these games with, with Possible where he was thought to be cheating, and you get the percentage of time that they were in the game uh, compared to the total hours played of all opponents combined, and then you've tried to figure out, then you determine what possible won uh, that he shouldn't have won, and then uh, and then you say that collectively these 88 people are owed that percentage of that amount of money, plus these punitive damages, uh, and then of course Stones and, and Justin Kratis had to pay some too. That would be the way you'd come up with a figure, I believe, but uh, that's a lot easier said than done. Well, Jeff, what does Possel do now? Right, so I mean, he's been a professional poker player for however long. Uh, you know, ostensibly, possibly he's been cheating uh, a good good bit along the way there. But what do you think he does now? Like, no one's going to invite him to any games. Like, no one's going to sit down with him. He's not going to be at any home games. What do you think he does now? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I guess he could try to show up at some poker games, just hope no one says anything and just lets him oh, play. Oh, come on. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> come on. Um, th- th- yes, this is a problem. And also, who's going to stake him now? Like, he's not going to get anyone willing to stake him in tournaments or whatever. Like, he's not going to get uh, any Can you imagine if he did that, if he just, like, showed up and tried to, like, sneak into, like, Live at the Bike, you know, or something <laughs> like that? Well, I've talked about Live at the... I was talking about Live at the Bike to that... With a big mustache on. <laughs> <laughs> we had, like, a mustache on. Or I would love to see him on Live at the Bike... As himself, I think a lot of people would. And I, I said this to his uh, Asian grandma friend there on Twitter. I said, why didn't Postle, when all this happened, why didn't he say, okay, okay, guys, you think I can't do this? You think that I, I'm not as good as I appeared on the Stone stream? Fine. I will come down. I will appear on Live at the Bike. Obviously, I don't have anybody helping me there. And I won't look down at my crotch or anything. You'll see my eyes will be straightforward the whole time. And I will do the same thing. You'll see I'll, I'll, I'll wipe the floor with everybody on Live at the Bike. And... Uh, he he never offered that, never offered to show anybody, because he can't, because he knows why he was winning there. He knows why he was Can you imagine it. what a PR coup that would be for Live at the Bike? So many people would tune in to watch Right, and, that, and that's what I said. Live at the Bike never made, <laughs> they never made the offer, but I said, I am sure, and I tweeted this to him, to Mike Postle directly. I said, 
I am sure Life at the Bike would be thrilled to have you come on there and put your skills to the test. They would have the biggest audience ever. And they oh would, my God! Yeah, and and uh, <laughs> everyone would love to see this. I know I'd watch. I'd watch it from beginning to end. And I think most people in poker who took any interest in this story, that'd be the highest rated Life of the Bike episode ever. So, yeah, that's he never said he'd do anything like this. He he never offered here. I'll play. He just made something like uh, who who wants to play me heads up? I'll play you. Of course, no one. Uh, he even offered to play Doug Polk heads up, which, of course, didn't happen. Uh, he's not really going to play anybody heads up, and he's not going to be on any of these streams. And he knows why, because he cannot play the same way. There's no way, even if right. he were to win, there's no way he can make these amazing plays on the stream. There's, if Either he's going to have to just play like a kind of ABC style, which isn't what he did at all, or he'll have to try these weird plays and a number of times run into the nuts or run into people calling his bluffs and... Uh, uh, and he won't be able to rebluff people for many thousands of dollars, and he won't be able to do all these things without knowing the whole card. So uh, there we will have. Well, I guess the, the COVID nineteen thing probably actually really helped him, oh, right? It did. Because it did. yes, he would have been banned from playing all these games, but now he can just be like, "Oh, I'm unable to play." You know, give me some money, government, right? Yeah, uh, it's because he can collect on the same stuff you were talking about. Yeah, he can collect right? on it. Well, not only that, this has distracted people. At, le- at least there's some news on this, but the. Anyone- that guy, there's some guy who famously was indicted for murder, or was investigation, and then 9/11 happened, right? Oh who was yeah, that? yeah, yeah. That there wasn't he wasn't indicted, but this was where in his intern, he was having an affair with his intern, yeah. and then 9/11 happened. Gary Condit, yes, there it is. Yes, Gary there Condit, and and uh, his intern disappeared and was found murdered, and uh, and he and he admitted he was having an affair with her, and there was some suspicion that maybe the affair was about to be discovered, and he murdered her. So, uh, and this was never solved. There, there was even an arrest yep. for it, but the person they arrested it looked like, while well, the guy they arrested was a piece of crap who had raped women before that they've caught a red-handed doing, like it, like it would just like in that same park was like jumping out and, and attacking and raping women. It really looked like they just stretched it to say, well, he did this before, so uh, he did it now, and no one's going to challenge it because this guy's a piece of shit rapist who who really was guilty before of, of raping other women. So, but it, it appears that this uh, th- that was not really uh, who did it. So it looks like this is just unsolved. But yes, everyone was talking about Gary Condit for a month in August of 2011, early September 2011. And then some planes hit some buildings, and that was the end of anyone talking about Gary Condit. So I said Gary Condit was one of the few people in America happy about 9-11. Yeah, really. And and the McMillian scandal, right, that they just did the documentary on. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one. So there's whenever something really big happens – it, as I was saying, Ray Davis has got to be happy right now that people uh, – I've forgotten Ray Davis uh, was in trouble. I, I just – I totally forgot he existed because of all this going on. Someone, <laughs> uh, someone, br- someone brought this up to me on uh, – actually, a banned user, a, a banned female user from the Poker Fraudler forum. I'm not kidding. Whoa, actually, how did you get a banned female user? What, what, what did she do? I don't even want to go into it, but we do have a banned female user. I've been tossing her on unbatting, but uh, we have a banned female user who contacted me and said, uh, I'd like an update on this, and I go – Wow, I forgot about this. Like, you know what? I'm I'm going to update it. So I, I updated the, uh, um, I updated the Ray. Da- I went and looked and said, you know, I totally forgot the whole thing with Ray Davis. I, I before I was like checking every week to see if there's an update. Then I just for the last month or so, I forgot it existed. A month and a half, I forgot it existed. So uh, I, mm. we're going to give an update later in the show. Not a huge update, but uh, I did check it. So yeah, anyone who's going through something that they prefer people not to think about. Then when something like this happens, they're probably happy. 
Well, again, the, I mean, perfect timing for him, though, right? Because he probably would not have gained entry to any of these poker games, you know, anytime soon. Yeah. And so he's got a perfect excuse and reason not to do it. Yeah, well, he can play. On, <laughs> he's not allowed to, you know, and he then can, he he can get paid money from the government. And he can play online. People won't know who he is. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. perfect. That's that's perfect. Okay, well, I'll oh, drop. This is so funny. You know how we we did that show and you were talking about PP poker and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I <laughs> I then got uh, some text from uh, a friend of mine, basically saying, "Hey, you know." Friend of mine and I are, are starting this uh, this poker room. You know, are you interested in joining up? And I'm just like, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I've got I got an invite from someone recently. I was uh, I, I texted someone that I know from live poker that I hadn't heard from in a while, and uh, yeah. this person was trying to get me to play on uh, on Kings Club. And uh, so yeah, so anyway, I mean that's not why they contacted me. I I was just, we were just like discussing where we were playing recently, and then the person's like, "Oh, I'm playing on Kings Club. You should, you should join there." But it, it was it really wasn't for that reason that they first texted me. But then it kind of got into it. So yeah, um, as, as soon as I, I started reading these messages, right? So one of them is just saying, "Oh, I'm starting to play online. A buddy is running it. Are you interested?" I saw that come through, and I'm like, "Oh God!" <laughs> and then the next one came through, and the the number one point was. Number one, download PP Poker app, and I'm just like, oh god, <laughs> no, no, it's yeah. not happening. People keep wanting me to talk about these. I'm like, no, I'm so sick of talking about these. I'm going to talk about the Poker Stars yeah. home games tonight, but I'm not going to talk about this PP Poker and stuff. Like, go back you to think this. Pos- Puzzle is playing some PP Poker. You think? Yeah, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. By the way, the uh, I, I got a text here from uh, someone who listens to the show here. They, uh, uh, it was, it's Scott from the East Coast. He texted me and said. Uh, uh, live of the bike. Tried to get him to play, referring to Postle. So okay, that wouldn't be surprising. Uh, I hadn't heard of that, but uh, Scott's probably correct. If they didn't try to get him to play, whoever whoever is running the poker room should be fired. Well, yeah, immediately. And, right. And <laughs> yeah. I, I even said to live of the bike. I tweeted to them, say, "Hey guys, get Mike Postle on here." So yeah, if they didn't try, it would have been shocking. So, yeah, of course he doesn't want to come on there. Of course, of course. Like, why would you ever do that if you're if you're looking at everyone's whole cards and destroying everyone, and then it's discovered, and then you're said you're told, "Hey, why don't you go on another stream and prove that you just did this naturally?" You're like, "Uh, well, I won on UB in 2007, so that's that's all I need to prove." And uh, don't want to mention who I was friends with back then, but I, I won on UB, so that proves I wasn't cheating. And it would be hilarious if he did go on there and just Mr. Magood his way into crushing the game. Yeah, that would be funny. Yeah, it would be funny if he was like, or, okay, he's like, well, or or was he the pot ripper account that fucked everything up? Because he didn't know not to call with ten high or whatever. Yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah. What if he was the moron who just who just couldn't stop uh, winning every single hand? Uh, yeah, call him Possible Ripper. I like it. <laughs> That would be funny, though, if he appeared on Live of the Bike. He's like, okay, my only shot here is to just totally guess in the dark of whether people are bluffing here. And he's just yeah, like... And, every, and everyone's watching, right? And, you know, Joey Ingram and uh, even... Uh, oh, God, what the hell is his name? I can't, can't even believe I'm forgetting this guy's name. Doug Polk even comes out of retirement from doing poker videos to, to comment on this. And everyone is just face palming because he's playing atrociously, but he's just like getting there every time. Yeah, and he's just <laughs> like, he's and like people are just losing their minds. Like, no. Yeah, he's just like right every time, and he's every time he's bluffing the <laughs> opponent's polls, and he's like, "See, see, I told you." And then after he's like, "I can't believe I pulled that off. 
I'm never coming on again. Oh my god, my heart was beating so fast. I was playing. I was playing with my case funds here. I can't believe I pulled it off. That would be funny. If like, but like the, the tiny chance. Was he a professional poker? Sorry, Jeff. But was he was he a professional poker? Like, did he file that way? Because wasn't he only winning at these televised games? I heard he was playing some before this. I was. I heard he was playing like around Sacramento sometimes, and the general impression was that like he was like it seemed like he was a decent player and and probably winning, but not like a crusher like he was on the stream. Just kind of like a guy who who seemed to be doing well at the lower stakes. Uh, Lower, low to mid-stakes Sacramento area game. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was getting by playing poker at those type of games. But uh, nothing like what we saw on, on uh, the Stone Stream. Nothing like that. I, I don't know much more than that. I do know also he had a gambling problem aside from that, that he was losing a lot of money betting sports in Reno, and, and I heard those stories. So I Yeah, and if you already have someone who's inclined to do shady shit, and they have a gambling problem with sports betting or something like, I mean, forget it. You know what I mean? They're going to be doing all sorts of horrible stuff to get that money. Yeah, and that's thought to be some of the motivation here is to, is to do that but and, and why he kept going, going for so long and, uh, and why he maybe became more brazen. Well, I think he became more brazen because nobody's catching it. That's the updates. And uh, let's move on to talk about Phil Galfon. And the fact that he has finally gotten out of the hole. Phil Galfont, well, he's slightly in the hole now, but he actually briefly got out of the hole and now is slightly in the hole. And this was in February when he quit for a while and came back in early March. Keep in mind that Galfond was down... One million dollars. Even Galfond himself admitted the chance of coming back to even in the number of hands that were left, which is still like 60% of the hands were left, but... He thought that he was so far down that it was just about impossible. He said this himself. What was that in big blinds, though, Truff? It was it was a lot because they were playing hundred two hundred blinds. So that's okay. That's a lot. It's it's like uh, what five thousand blinds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is a ton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Galfond, a very experienced player, admitted he was saying, "Well." I'm hoping I can make this into a more respectable loss. It's, it's pretty much done. I, I, these weren't his exact words, but even he was saying on a previous appearance on uh, Chicago Joey's show that he had very little chance to come back. And here, it's not even super close to over, and he actually passed Vinny Vitti only to lose a little back. And currently, and then he played another time, and they, I think they played twice more since then. They were kind of spinning their wheels against each other. He currently sits 40,000 euro down, which is nothing at that 100, 200 heads up PLO. So 40,000 euro down with uh, still a few thousand hands left to play. It's very likely Galfon's going to pass him. And as I mentioned last week, as this happens, there are more and more conspiracies about this as to whether or not all of this is honest. Now, it's not just whether or not the software is rigged in any way because they are playing on Phil Galfon's site. But there's also some other questions that one could ask regarding the legitimacy of all this. For example, now this one I don't believe the case, but but some people have thought maybe this could be it. What if the whole thing was set up? What if he and Vinny Vidi, before the whole thing began, said, okay, so we're going to do this. You're going to beat me at first for almost a million dollars. I'm going to be really frustrated. I'm going to quit. I'm going to say I'm taking a break and I'm going to pay you a penalty. Then I'm going to come back and crush you. And so where they're not really settling up for any money here. This is all just fake. It's like it's it's like uh, 
1980s uh, wrestling. The whole thing is, is staged. The, the whole competition is not real, and it's staged exactly what's going to happen. Uh, some people have said maybe that's happening, which wouldn't be specifically cheating. It would be lying, but it wouldn't be cheating. Uh, then there's a version of that that I think, if this is happening, is more likely. And when I say more likely, I'm not saying this is happening. I'm saying that uh, if some form of this is happening, where he and Veni Vidi are in cahoots, I think it's more like this. There's the possibility that Veni Vidi really did beat him for almost a million dollars, and that when Phil took his break, that he really was taking a break, and that sometime during the break, he decided, hey, what if I offer Veni Vidi some extra money? What if we end the match now? I pay Veni Vidi in full. I pay him the side bet in full. I pay him some extra money on top of all of that. And then we agree to end the match, but publicly pretend to continue the match, and Veni Vidi throws it from this point. Uh, much like, uh, you know, let's say you're, uh, you're, you're playing some kind of sport against your kid, and you take a lead, and you go easy at the end to let your kid uh, walk away feeling like he won, so he doesn't feel too frustrated. Kind of like that, except uh, it's an agreement between the two of them. Where now, Why would Galfond ever do that? Well, because he had his reputation at stake there. If Galfond quits the match, it looks terrible. Not from an honesty standpoint, but just from a poker standpoint, it looks like Galfond's a has-been who got his clock cleaned and can't handle the newer competition. His training site really takes a hit. Who wants to buy coaching from a guy who just got his ass beat in a heads-up match? Uh the star power he has for his own poker site takes a hit. He's no longer this uh, king of PLO like he once was. He, he loses some fans this way. He looks more like a has-been. So there's a lot, and just his personal reputation as, as being a great player takes a hit. So there would be a lot of reason to pay Veni Vidi some extra money to then throw the match, knowing that the, the, the second phase of the match is just fake, and the whole comeback is fake, and it's just for image purposes. Again, nobody's being cheated, but it is dishonest, if that's happening. Now, am I saying this is happening? No. Some people – see, when I post things like this, some people are going, oh, look at this conspiratar. Why, why can't you just admit that there's a lot of variants at Heads Up PLO? No, I can admit that. I know there's a lot of variants at Heads Up PLO. I'm not ignorant to that. And if I was forced to choose what I think is happening here, I would say I think that Phil probably just intensely studied Veni Vidi's style, maybe with the help of friends, and came up with some holes in Veni Vidi's game. And they were exploiting this, and Veni Vidi has not adjusted back well. And that this is all legitimate, and Phil has done nothing wrong, and there's nothing rigged, and there's no, uh, uh, they're not rigging the second half uh, for show. It, it's just all, it's all on the level. That would be my first belief, okay? So I know a lot of you want me to say that there's something shady going on here. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that this is what's happening or this is what's likely happening. However, I will not go as far as many other people who are saying that Phil has a great reputation, Phil's an honest guy. There's no way this is happening. I have people messaging me, there's no way. This is just this is just heads up PLO variants and Phil's a great player. There's no way Phil is doing anything like this. I think given the consequences of either quitting or taking a tremendous loss by continuing to play and, and getting down even further and then losing two-point-something million when this is all over. I think the consequences of that could be uh, so big that it's, it, it is possible that Phil would do something that he normally wouldn't do 
and would rationalize it. Look, I'm not cheating anyone. I'm. Uh, I just got Veni Vidi to believe to, to agree to throw the match, and I'm not really cheating because Veni Vidi's going along with it. We're just putting on a show. It's just we're, that's all we're doing. It's putting on a show. We're not. No one's getting ripped off. So he might rationalize it that way. I, again, I'm not saying that's what's happening, but I'm not saying that there's zero chance of that happening. I'm saying that uh, now we're never going to find out. Or it's very unlikely we'll ever find this out. We, it's it's something we can never find out the truth to this because if there is anything shady going on, if there's anything going on that doesn't uh, that's not what it appears to be, I don't think anyone's ever going to come forward and reveal that, and I don't think anything's going to really come out that would be a smoking gun or anywhere near a smoking gun. This is the type of thing you can just sit here and debate and discuss, and and no one could prove the other wrong in any way. And if there was an agreement to throw the match, then this has nothing to do with it being on Phil's site because they could do this on PokerStars or anywhere else. If, if both people playing have, have agreed that, uh, that the one's going to purposely lose to the other and try to make it look as realistic as possible, maybe they'll even be on the phone and, and orchestrate hands as they're playing, uh, that could be on any poker site. You wouldn't need to rig anything. But uh, with, without further discussion, I am going to play the appearance of of Phil Galfond appearing on the Chicago Joey show a few days ago, and uh, and I'm going to comment on it. I watched this. I noted down the timestamps of when to uh, play on the show. I, I, I watched this knowing I'm going to play it on the show, and I will play little segments. Now, just before I start playing it here, uh, Troy Ruski and Cal Watt, when I've been playing sound effects during the show, have you been hearing them? Nope. Oh, uh, boy. Nope. Ah, uh, crap. I thought, all this time I thought you were. Okay, so I'm going to reset this, and we're going to try it again. We're going to reset it. And try it again. Tell me if you hear this. Zero point zero. Do you hear that? Oh. Yep. Beautiful. Okay. Hopefully it stays. Yep. The miracle of Skype. And I will... Uh, I'm going to play segments... From this appearance, it was a 33-minute appearance. It's called "Let's Go." Phil Galfond dis- discusses a $900,000 comeback. It, you can look this up on YouTube on uh, Joey Ingram's channel. That's Joe Ingram One. And I'm going to play you a few little clips here. It's a 33-minute thing. We're only going to do a few minutes of it here and there. So if you want to hear the whole thing, definitely go listen to Joey's content. I'm not trying to take away from his viewership here, but. Uh, I'm going to play you right now, starting from the 2 minute 13 mark, where Phil discusses the time off he took and uh, him coming back from that. So you, so you, you, during the time off, though, right, people want to know sort of what happened during that time off. How did you go from a guy that was down $900,000 to a guy that is able to make all that money back, right? That's what people out there seem to be wondering. That's the number one question I'm getting out there, in, in yeah. addition to a few others, but... What 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 was it? What was the secret? What, what was kind of happening? Because people out there are so curious about this film. I mean, it, it, look, there's always going to be variance is always going to play a role. Uh, I do think I I had um, like an epiphany of sorts during the break. I wasn't really doing any work that I hadn't done before the challenge and during the challenge. Uh, there was nothing new that I was doing, but. Um, I don't know. I think a big problem that I had at the beginning of the challenge was I was trying too hard to 
to emulate what I've been learning uh, in the solver. And at, like during the break, I was playing a lot on stars and um, I kind of, uh, and I was playing smaller. And so I experimented with some different stuff and, and I don't know, I kind of found that, that playing more like, not even playing like my old self, but thinking more like my old self um, made a huge difference. Right. Um, like I think, I think I was like, I was trying too hard to keep up with the times and, you know, today everybody's using these solvers. They're playing optimally. You can't, you can't like read them. This is their range. Uh, and you need to do the same. Otherwise they're, they're going to pick you apart. And it's just not the case. Um, and I think what I was struggling with a lot was, you know, flop comes down I say, okay, what, what do I, what do I want to do with my range? What's this hand want to do? And then I bet he calls turn hits. Okay. So this is in the top 30% of my range, blah, blah, blah. Like I stopped thinking about all the other things besides that. And I, I think that kind of resuming, I don't know, like being more like my old self, uh, Okay, by the way, before I continue here, when you hear it kind of cuts out a little bit when Phil's talking, that's on their end. That was how the show went. They just didn't have the best connection. And also when you kept hearing that little Windows sound, that's also on on their end. I assume something was beeping in the background on Chicago. At least we're not the only ones with audio fail. Right, I I heard that. Oh, great, I feel better about this show. I, yeah. I feel like if, if Chicago Joey, if it's okay for him, it's okay for us. So yeah, that's that's all on their end. Don't think that uh, Trader Ruski is is doing something in the background that uh, he should be muting himself. It's 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 on their end. But uh, if you heard Phil there, and he, I'm going to play another part where he talks about something similar, he's basically saying he tried to modify his strategy too much to play like a solver, and it wasn't working for him. And he was assuming if he didn't try, he was going to get crushed. And then when he did try, he got crouched. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go kind of back to what I was before, and now it's working a lot better for me, which which is possible. I'm not saying that's uh, unreasonable. Uh, it's just it's kind of interesting if that, uh, if that is what turned it around for him, that he decided that just kind of go back to the basics. Don't, don't try this. Uh, don't try to think what would a solver do. Just, just, and here's where he talks a little bit more about this for about a minute, and then we'll discuss it some. Yeah, so I I think like the big shift was um using the like using the solver as a an educational tool but not a not a a guide, right. not a not a roadmap, you know. Um use it to learn to to understand things that you didn't previously understand, but at the end of the day um the spots get so obscure in PLO that if all you're doing is trying to guess what a solver would do, you're just going to make big mistakes. Right. And, um, and you know, the way that, that I used to think about poker and like we all used to think about poker, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's not bad. And like, there's a reason that there's a reason that, I don't know, that humans think about things the way that humans think about it, because thinking about it, the way a solver thinks about it is, uh, is sometimes unnatural. And, right. um, and so like, I, I think that I was doing too much guessing what the solver would do. And um, rather than coming up with what I thought I should do based on like the things I used to think. And so it's not that uh, I think I know better than the solver. It's not that at all. It's that using like my 
mental framework rather than just kind of blindly guessing something that I don't fully understand. Right. Uh, I think it's just working a lot better. Yeah. And I can understand that. It's kind of like uh, you're playing basketball. And if you try to play basketball the exact way LeBron plays, you're not going to be as good as you would be if you just were to play to your own talents. You, uh, you don't have the same natural skill set as LeBron James has. So you can't just say, well, LeBron plays this exact way. I'm going to do this. That'll be optimal for me. You can't do that. So he's basically saying here that a solver is a computer. A, a solver is something that, uh, that has abilities that no human can have. And that uh, if you try too hard to emulate what it's doing, you're going to end up it's kind of like a poor man's version of the solver. And he's saying that being a good human player who thinks like a good human player is superior to a, a person who tries to think like a solver and emulate the solver but can't do it nearly as well. And that he, when he discovered that that is the, the case, that's when he started to do better. Again, all of this is reasonable. That's basically his explanation for why things turned around. And uh, I'm not going to doubt any of that. I think that answer is completely reasonable. I think everything he's said up till now that I've played you guys has been reasonable. And I'm not going to question any of it. And, and could that be a very plausible explanation for why he turned it around, why he was performing so poorly and then had an epiphany about that and said, you know what? I don't need to be uh, a fake solver. I don't need to be a human version of a solver. I just need to be 2010 Phil Galfond, and I think that'll match up fine with these uh, current kids who learn from solvers. I think uh, my style that I had 10 years ago will actually match up pretty well with this. And let me try it. Oh, look, it works. Okay, great. I'm going to keep doing this until he adjusts back to me. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe that is what's happening. Well, let's not also discount just variants, right? Especially PLO, especially heads-up PLO, right? I mean, I'm not saying that the adjustments he made haven't made some difference, but also, I mean, this uh, some of this could just be heads up PLO variants, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what? And I can even also understand uh, like what he's saying. I don't play uh, heads up PLO, but I can tell you like heads up limit hold'em, which I've played a whole lot of. I can tell you that uh, that has you know, bots have played that a lot. In fact, there was one that was in a casino for years, and there are some really really tough unbeatable bots like the one of the casino that. Uh, that will kill you, and of course, if you could play exactly the style that bot plays, uh, you would beat just about any heads-up uh, limit hold'em opponent in, in the long term. But the reason you can't emulate that bot is is because it's a bot, and you can't think exactly like the bot, and you can't make decisions exactly the way it does. It's impossible for a human to do that, and some of the decisions it makes, if you try to emulate them, you're going to bleed away a lot of money in the long run, a lot of weird calls it makes at the end where you think it couldn't be correct to call here. Uh, that That's part of a whole overall defensive strategy it has that uh, a, a, a human could not emulate. And if human tries, they're going to be bleeding away a lot of money because you're going to be doing a lot of things. Uh, you're not going to be applying it correctly. And uh, so that, that's I can understand everything he's saying here, and yet Calawat's correct that uh, there's also just a lot of variance, and there's momentum. There's there's the psychological feeling, since these are not bots playing, these are uh, two humans playing each other, that there is the psychological factor of when you're crushing, you just have a lot of confidence, and uh, and you play better, and when, when you're struggling and losing every session, uh, you're constantly doubting yourself, you're afraid to make moves, uh, you play scared, and that can really affect your game and compound the problem of also not running well. So once it turns, and I have seen it, I've seen it in my own heads-up matches where I start to win and I, I, like I'm losing, I just feel awful 
and I'm not playing as well. And then when I start to win a few hands in a row, I go, oh, maybe this is turning around. And I start to play better, and I start to make good moves I wouldn't have made while I was losing, and I stop making mistakes I may have been making when I was losing. And then the other person starts uh, making mistakes they weren't making before when they were beating me. I've seen this before. There is momentum in heads-up matches due to psychology. Uh, this momentum wouldn't exist if two bots are playing each other because bots don't have feelings, but uh, but humans do. And that could definitely be a factor here as well, and it would explain why uh, before the break that uh, Venny Vitti was crushing, and now after the break, Phil is crushing. So it could just be a matter of momentum where one runs well and then it becomes a vicious cycle where uh, where one player plays with a lot more confidence. And since we had a few weeks in between, uh, Phil was able to kind of uh, hit the reset button on his confidence, thinking, okay, I've made these adjustments. Let's try now. I'm coming in optimistic again. And then once it goes well right off the bat, then he feels good. And then Vanny Vitti, after a few lost sessions, thinking, oh, crap, why isn't what I'm doing working anymore? And And he's chunking it all off. So this is all very possible. And there's a very good chance this is really what's happening here and that Phil Galfon is not doing anything that's uh, off the level here. But I'm going to play you uh, the answer he gave here that I did not like. This has to do with the accusation of the whole thing being rigged. Listen to his answer. I'm going to stop it at a few points because there's some things he says here that I really have a problem with. Right. So I guess the other thing people are asking, right, is, well, he took time off, right? It's his site. Okay, he's the one in charge of the site. Is something happening here? And while I think that is absolutely insane, right? The question appears to be coming up a lot more. So what, what do you what do you, you got to say to those people up there, man? I mean, which makes sense, understandable, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's un, it's an unfortunate uh, kind of inevitability, right? Of uh, playing challenges on Run at Once, which I wanted to do to to bring more eyes to Run at Once and, and grow the site. Um, you know, whether I. I kind of feel like anything other than me losing every challenge, like any other outcome, uh, brings this question up. Right. I mean, I don't know what I can say. Like the the way that the way that a random number generator works, or like the way that it it deals cards, like it just randomizes the deck and then starts with the button. So like you can't like there's nothing you can do. You, even if if somebody wanted to, you false, totally false. I don't know why he'd say something like that. I kind of understand what he's trying to say. Like, yeah, if we just let the random number generator do its work and we don't interfere with it, then nobody has an advantage. That's true, but that's not what anybody's accusing. Nobody's saying, "Oh, hey, Phil, your random number generator is bad." They're saying, "Hey, Phil, we think maybe you're having your programmers rig it so you win," and that can very easily be done. Not only can it be done, it can be done very easily. I know that. I'm sure Cal Watt knows that. I'm sure a lot of you know that. It is, it, it is not a lot of effort. If, if they gave me the source code to the Run It One software and said, uh, hey, Todd, uh, can you please rig this to where Phil's going to win and it, it looks at least semi-realistic, I could do it pretty quickly. I could program that pretty yeah. quickly, as could Cal Watt. It- and it's harder to make it secure than it is to make it insecure. Right. And so, so that's, yeah. that, that's an absurd response of, uh, well, the random number generator, it, it doesn't, uh, it, it just deals cards. You know, you, you can't rig that if you watch it. Of, of course you can. You can, you're the one who created it. You're the one who's controlling the dealing of the cards. It's like saying you run a live card room and you're supplying the cards and, uh, they couldn't be marked. Why not? Of course they could. It'd be very easy to mark the cards if you're the one supplying them. 
So th- it's the same thing here. So that, I don't know why he says that here. And there's more to this response I'm going to play. That uh, I this is really where I have a big problem with with this interview. Most of the interview is pretty good, and most of it's pretty reasonable on Phil's part. But th- this part's just absurd. I'm going to play the rest of this uh, little segment. Can't like make that favor one player because mm-hmm. it doesn't know who the player is. I mean, obviously anything can technically be done if you specifically like have your have your team do it. But it's just like. I, I don't know what I can say. I can say that, you know. I'm- well, I know what you can say. Um, so finally he threw in the little uh, disclaimer of, yeah, well, technically anything can be done. Yes, exactly. So I don't know why you made that speech about the random number generator. The correct answer here, he said, I don't know what you can say. The correct answer is, yes, it could easily be done. Yes, I understand the suspicion, but I am an honest person, and I would not do this. This is something I would never do. And if anyone would like to go through the hand histories, you will see it all looks very reasonable, like just two guys playing with each other. And that's all I can say here, that this is just something I wouldn't do. You guys have known me for a long time. I've never been involved in any scandal. I'm just an honest person. I wouldn't do this, and that's why people are willing to play on my site. He should just come out and say that, not say, oh, the random number generator, it couldn't be programmed to do this. Of course it can. Just to say yeah, yes, it could. Just like, just like we were talking about with your PHP, Druff. Nothing is impossible in software, right? It's a matter of time and money, right? So, I mean, it's good that he's at least kind of admitting that, yeah, okay, it's. I guess it would be possible, you know? Yeah, but he should just, he should have skipped the whole random number speech and just said, yeah, it could be done, but we're not. I wouldn't, we're not, it's not happening, period. And that's he, why may, he may not fully understand the way his site works, which is <laughs> maybe, fair. Maybe, I know? don't know. No, I mean, it's not even, it wouldn't even be kind of silly you know i mean he's not a technical person i'm not calling him dumb but he's not a technical person i wouldn't expect him to understand the intricacies of the random number generator for instance you know but i would think he'd be smart enough to think about the fact that you can if if he wanted to direct his programmers to rig something on the site for him to win that it wouldn't be terribly hard for them to do even if he doesn't know the process in which they would do it yeah. So, and I, again, I'm not accusing him of doing this here. I just think this is a dumb answer. He, as I said, he should have just said, "Yep, it could have, it could be happening, but I promise you, it's not." And that's not me. That's just not me. I'm an honest guy. It's not me. And that's why people play my own site against me is because I'm known to be such an honest guy, and people trust me. And I hope you can trust me too. That's that's the right answer. And and while you can't give all the perfect answers on the spot, that was that was kind of a weird thing for him to say. Here's the the last. 30 seconds of this little segment I want to play you. I'm playing a lot of challenges. I'll be playing some challenges not on run at once. Um, I mean, like, it, I hesitate to say this because I, you know, Benny's been a, a, like, I don't want to, uh, like, re-challenge, call him out. But if he's at all uncomfortable and wants to play on another site, like, play another challenge. If he wants a rematch, he can have the same rematch. He can double the stakes. Like, it. You'll play uh, basically, and, and that's and that's my main. All right, you'll play anywhere, right? Okay, so that's that's a good thing for him to say. He, that that is fine to say right there. If like if if when this is all over, Venny Vidi feels like he got a raw deal, and he'd like to play again on a site of his choice, like Poker Stars, if he wants to play over there. I'll even play higher stakes against him so he can get his money back faster if he really thinks he's better than me and I just rigged it against him. So uh, just putting it out here, I'm not only willing to play Venny Vidi. On my own site, I'll play him anywhere. That's that's a good thing Some, to say. Something that Postle would not do. Right. right. That's the anti-Postle. That's true. That is yeah. true. That he's yeah. he is saying here. If you're doubting me, let's play in a neutral uh, 
in a neutral arena, basically, and uh, to where there's no way I could be cheating. So, okay. Uh, now, this still would not mean that he does not have some kind of agreement with Veni Vidi to, to throw this after uh, they took their break. So that this would only answer questions of, is the site rigged? And I think given that answer, that makes it much less likely that the site is rigged in some way. Though, as I've mentioned on previous shows, there is a possibility that it is rigged and Phil doesn't know it because there's other people with their hands in this. There's programmers who uh, would want Phil to win. There are other investors who may have investment both in his Run at Once poker site and in this match that may want him to win and may have a relationship with some of the programmers and said, don't tell Phil this because he'd never go for it, but uh, can you make sure he wins? Like uh, this, this, Unless Phil has full control of the people working under him and, and also knows that they are not going to do this, thinking they're doing him a favor, uh, unless like you, you have there, – there are some ways this could be happening where even Phil doesn't know about it. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole again, and again, I'm not suggesting that's what's happening, but these are just all things uh, you can consider if you want to look at possibilities of uh, why this has been going this way. But the, the fact that he's willing to play – Veni Vidi anywhere for even higher stakes, at least is a good sign, and I'll give him credit for that. Now, I want to play another 30-second discussion later in the podcast, kind of like in the middle of the podcast, where they're discussing uh, GTO, Game Theory Optimal, and something that Phil discovered about uh, today's players and how GTO they really are. My assumption was you just like I, I thought people were playing closer to GTO than they are. I thought that people like had just been grinding these things all the time and are just pl- like getting way way better than me. And coming back and playing, the I realized the reality is that nobody's close. And it's actually it's fun to to look at all the things that the solver's doing, realize that you can't do it, and that they can't do it either, and what the implications of that are. And um, so yeah, I'm I I don't think I'll ever try to play optimal. Uh, poker but I'll, I'll learn from it for sure yeah so that's something interesting phil came to discover phil was away from the game for a little time and thought okay well i've heard that the crushers today have learned so much about gto that that's basically the way they're playing they're playing perfect game theory and the only way to beat them is to play perfect game theory myself and otherwise i'm going to have no chance and now that i've looked at it more carefully i go you know what no one's playing that well it's been talked up too much how well everybody's playing and how close to GTO they're playing. They're actually not. And and I've learned that I don't have to worry about them playing GTO. They're playing far below that, and I don't think anyone can even get there. And that was a surprise to me because I had heard much different. I had heard that it had evolved so much if you're not playing anywhere near GTO, you have no chance. That's not what I've observed is what Phil's been saying, not just from the match with Veni Vidi, but he's been playing some on Poker Stars to practice for this, and he said that it's been kind of eye-opening, that it's uh, this has been exaggerated. So, well, that's interesting. Not not that much to do with this particular match, but uh, interesting observation on his part. And I will admit that when thinking about some of these top players these days in uh, No Limit Hold'em and PLO, I, I kind of was assuming the same thing. And that maybe there hasn't been as much evolution of the very top players uh, as we think. Maybe that the great players from 10 years ago have a lot more of a chance than was assumed, especially after Veni Vidi was crushing in January and February. Okay, I'm going to play uh, one more clip. This is not about the match, but about 
the match's effect on the Run It Once poker site, which we've talked a lot about and its failures. It has been doing better thanks to the coronavirus situation. How does Phil feel about that, and how does he feel about Run It Once going forward? That's what it really means. So what, how are you feeling yeah, about the yeah. traffic? How are you feeling about the performance right now with what's taking place with, uh, you know, with, with online poker and kind of the, the situation we're in the world right now? Yeah, look, I, I can't complain. The uh, we've been we've been growing a lot, like ever since November. The nice thing is that even before everybody started staying home, we we'd grown a lot uh, from November to December, December to January, January to February, and then um, it's obviously grown a little bit more uh, along with every other poker site right now. But um, yeah, I feel like at a lot of stakes in PLO, we've kind of reached critical mass where people can show up and depend on games most hours of the day. At No Limit, that's not the case yet. Uh, maybe a couple of stakes. They're, they're usually running. Like 4NL and 20NL are usually running. But the other ones are, you know, uh, often not. And so we need to, yeah, we need to, we need to fill those games. How are we going to fill those games, Phil? What are we going to do? I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, that is a big problem. If, if your site is only getting PLO action and, like, other than micro stakes, nobody's playing No Limit Hold'em, that's not a very good sign for your poker site, especially when everybody's home avoiding the coronavirus <laughs> and still nobody's playing No Limit Hold'em on your site. That doesn't speak very well for its future. I know it's doing somewhat better. It's about doubled its traffic during the uh, coronavirus pandemic, but so has every site. Every Even WSOP.com has ceased being a fail site during this uh, situation. And uh, this may be good long-term for online poker, even after this all passes, that uh, some people will be used to playing online, people who hadn't considered it before, and go, hey, you know what, I kind of like online. But, uh, I, yes, it's going to go back down somewhat when people can play live again. Some people are only playing online out of necessity. But he needed a lot more than double traffic. He needed, like an exponential increase in traffic, and he needed to be ready for this. Now, yes, you couldn't have predicted the traffic's going to jump because of the coronavirus, but uh, this is why you want all the features of your site, all the major features of your site in place before you open it. Like, you don't open without tournaments running, and that that was a big mistake. And the fact that they're doing this promotional challenge with Phil Galfon taking on the world, and they still don't have tournaments, that's that's a big problem. They should have done this after they had tournaments, then that might be a way to draw traffic there. Right now, people are gonna people who can play on there who aren't in the U.S. will open it up and go, "Okay, kind of cool, but where's the tournaments?" <laughs> and they're going to close it and quit. Where's the no limit games? Where's the tournaments? So that's uh, this isn't something that can be fixed quickly. But uh, I, I still don't think the site has a future, even though it has some increased traffic at the moment. And uh, Phil's always an optimist, and at least outwardly an optimist, so he's not going to say anything negative here but uh i i think so this is a pretty common thing Druff, in the startup world and especially in the software world right where they tell you to come up with an mvp for the the product that you're working on right so the mvp do you know what that stands for um well i i know the the traditional MVP term of most valuable player, but I doubt that's what you're talking about. <laughs> no, so it, it's a little bit different here, although hopefully it turns into a valuable player. So it's minimum viable product. Yeah, right? okay. I haven't heard that before, but yeah, go on. Yeah. So, I mean, the basic idea is that you want to come up with the, the minimum viable product of something, ship it quick, iterate, get feedback, et cetera, et cetera. 
the key w- uh, word in there is viable, right? So I kind of tend to agree with you that to be viable in an existing relatively mature market like the poker online poker market, you kind of got to have some of this stuff in there, you know? It would be different if their online poker didn't exist at all and Phil was the first one to ever come up with this. Okay, that's cool. You know, that you can have a more scaled down initial offering, but when you're going up against established players, man, I just, I don't think that that is viable what they have produced or, you know, the amount yes. of stuff that's in there. Yeah, correct. Know? And I, and that's, I, I didn't use this MVP term. I hadn't heard of it before, but I was, I was, I've been saying a form of that for a long time that they just don't have uh, enough basic features to where it's going to be a viable site. So yeah, that's, I totally agree. So uh, this, I felt this is the wrong time to have this challenge, even though it has brought some eyeballs to the site. So I still, I'm not very bullish on the site's future, uh, despite the temporary spike in traffic they got, which, truthfully, even if they keep this amount of traffic for the long term, is going to be problematic. And even right there, they're admitting, okay, we're not getting any no-limit players. Yeah, that's very problematic, too. Uh, I know no-limit hold'em. Uh, it's, it's not quite as popular as it was uh, at its peak, but and, and I know PLO's taken right. some of it, but, but you can't have, like, very little no limit hold'em traffic on a successful poker site. It's just not possible. So. No, no, no. I, I agree. And you know, I have kind of as someone who has worked in software for a very long time, I kind of have face palmed my way through a lot of what has been going on with Phil and, and this site in terms of, you know, kind of uh the way they've been approaching it and what they've been doing. I still hope he succeeds. I really do. Like uh, you know, I think he's a, a good guy, he's got good intentions trying to build the the product right. I still hope he succeeds. I would tend to agree with you that it's going to be difficult, yeah. you know. Well, that's we'll have to see what happens with that and, uh, and remember there's future challenges coming up too, which will be interesting to see. Remember he's going to uh play uh, five other people and uh some of them like Jungle Man. I know they haven't completely hammered out their details, but I couldn't picture Jungle Man agreeing to anything regarding uh throwing any matches or anything. Like Jungle Man is just going to be the, the the way it plays out and and some of these other guys I also couldn't see agreeing to this. Vinny V How active is Jungle Man? Is Jungle Man still like actively playing? I'm not even sure, but uh just knowing The only his thing I've seen is pictures of him like, you know, hanging out on beach with girl, you know, Dan Bilzerian yeah. like I haven't heard anything about him actually playing. No, I haven't. But uh, but yeah. when he does play, though, I couldn't picture him uh, agreeing to that. And, and like and other people who are going to be playing, some of them, I, I feel the same way. So I think that uh, it's it'll be interesting to see the upcoming matches and what happens with those. And I'm not sure when those are starting. The Veniviti one is ending soon. Hopefully, we'll find out who Veniviti is when this is done. I it, it kind of sucks he's completely anonymous, but. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. He was around before all this started, so it wasn't. He didn't come out of nowhere. This isn't just a made-up name out of nowhere. He was playing for like at least two years on Stars and doing well prior to this. So this isn't like a long con or anything. Oh, hold on, we have a call here. All right, uh, Master Scaler. Hello, welcome to the show. Oh, the show. Yep. Yeah. On a Saturday. On a Saturday. Yep. You never know when it's going to be there. Why can't you make me in a club or something? A club? What clubs are open? I don't know. Illegal clubs. Underground. Why would I do that? I, I didn't go to clubs when they were legal. Why would I go? I'm, I'm a 48-year-old I'm a man Why would I, who's They're, been with the same girl for over 10 years. I know. I know. I, I, to learn, 
I don't know why you'd be in a club. Maybe they have like good bottle service and 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 excellent food. But I, I don't even drink. Why would I want bottle service? Okay, a uh, 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 bottle service of soda only <laughs> and, and 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 steak. Okay, so so Ken, where are you right now? Are you at home? Uh, yeah, I'm running. I'm running to go get some food. Uh, well, that's a good question. Errand, that, uh, well, hold on, that's that's a good question. In fact, uh, my girlfriend asked that question of you. She said, uh, "What is Ken doing during this uh, whole uh, lockdown?" So, are you still doing takeout food? Yeah, takeout food. Deliver. Well, I don't really do delivery. Takeout. You go there and take it out. You call it in. Pick it up. I don't have any apps, so I can't do DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, Postmates, Caviar, Seamless, and some of the smaller delivery services that some people in this country have that we don't have. Okay, but Ken, aren't you afraid that uh, some of these uh, might have uh, coronavirus issues? Aren't you afraid you're risking something by I'm doing really the careful. I'm social distancing. Well, no, not I'm you. No, I'm talking about that. The, the, the curve. I'm talking about the people who are working there could have it and, and, and infect either the containers or, or the food itself. They keep you away from the people. There's, there's, there's no. I'm saying li- you're not listening to me. Stay away, and you're there's not, like little. You're not listening to me. The people preparing yep. the food could be infecting the containers or the food itself that you're taking and eating. Well, don't people handle the food at the supermarkets? Well, it depends what it is. Like, if, first of all, if it's canned goods, no. If it's uh, a lot of other stuff uh, gets handled, but uh, too long of a time passes from when it gets handled to where you touch it. And yes, there is some risk, but I, I, I did a lot of takeout myself prior to this, and I actually stopped. Uh, I was just uh, too afraid that it, it was going to be a problem, so I just... So you're uh, not doing any restaurants, you're only no. doing supermarkets. Right. I'm not doing any restaurants at the time. And, and, uh, so, okay, but, but here's did the next question. Did you toilet paper and hand sanitizer? Uh, well, I'll tell you what I'm short on, uh, and, and we can ask. We have two other hosts on the line here. We can ask them. I currently have a lot of toilet paper. I, I found a way to get a lot of toilet paper, but uh, so I have. And a you lot won't of, say why how, out loud. No, I, I, I don't want to give away my secrets. But I have a lot of toilet paper. That will be good for a long time. What I don't have a lot of is paper towels. I'm running very short on paper towels. Uh, hand sanitizer. Yeah, I know that's work. Hand sanitizer. I have. But not a tremendous amount. It's good for a while, but not as long as the toilet paper will be. And uh, the bottled water, yeah. which which I could do without, but I like having, that was getting very short. But that started to appear again. So I've been able to buy new bottled water. Pretty Jeff, re- the hand sand, my wife made her own. I just I picked up some grain alcohol for her. She mixed that with glycerin and a couple of other things. She's got her own hand sand. Man. Okay, just be careful she doesn't do it with the nitroglycerin. That might be uh, yeah, of course. Bad, of course. A bad of course. Well, I mean, so the real question though is, like, Ken, are you going through withdrawal? Like, how are you jerking off if you can't get into the Starbucks? Oh bathroom? no, no, I have my own apartment. <laughs> I have my own apartment. I, I, I don't want people to think of me. The first thing that comes to mind is jerking off. I'm very complex. I have a multifaceted life. I have multiple interests. And and that's not like a focus of my life. I mean, we have an well, election there's someone going on the on. forums that they're named they're named Starbucks Spunk Bucket. So, I mean, okay. Well, know. I mean, I I might have said it as an aside years ago on the on was it this show or the previous? No, it was this show. It was this show. Uh, it, was, it, was show. Yeah. it wasn't the one with the guy you don't talk to anymore. No, no, it was actually this show. Okay, I don't, I don't remember the etymology or the got, timeline. I'm not. I'm Ken, not I know you've got. I know you've got an apartment. I know you've got your own apartment, Ken, but the thrill can't be the same as you know jetting into a Starbucks bathroom. I don't bathroom do it for a thrill. I do. I, I I do it for an outlet. It's like if I need it at the time. But I mean, I'm getting older. I don't. I fortunately, 
I don't have to do it as often as I did when I was, you know, reading Spin Magazine. You know? Okay, but th- let me ask you another question. You said you're, you're going out to get some food and errands. Now, what errands could you possibly have to do besides picking up food? Um, I can't say why, how out loud, but I, I found a way to have access to a computer, Uh you know, so I I can go online. Well, okay, but now that's especially worrisome, uh, using some kind of form of a public computer, which I assume, uh, not a public computer. Okay. Well, that's a little bit better. Whose house are you breaking into? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not breaking in anyone. I, I think I may know, it, but okay. As long as it's someone else, someone else's. Uh, it involves there's a key. It involves a key. You have to have a key to get in. Well, that's still so, kind of, that's still kind of public, unless it's uh, someone's house. Okay. Well, I can't talk about it on this. Okay, on this I'll have show. to find out later. Just like you I... can't talk about your toilet paper secret. Okay. So, so, so um, Ken, how much toilet paper do you have? I like. I get the Scott tissues, which have a thousand. A thousand on it instead of three hundred or two fifty. Why do you know we need someone's toilet issues? paper, Truff? Why do you need to have someone's toilet paper? I because, don't understand. Okay, I've because answered. Because I'm, I'm home more, so if I take a shit, can I say the word shit on this show? Yes, of course. Oh yeah, I forgot. Okay, um, if I have to take a Shiite or even a Sunni, I you know, I mean, I'm home more, so therefore I have to have more of a stock of toilet paper in order to accommodate my uh, wherever I shat. Okay, I, I have here's my answer, and I've I've said this before, but I'll say it again that Your if, if if nobody no, about going to the bathroom? I'm answering about why I need all this toilet paper. Yeah. I, I've I have said that if everybody in the world or everybody forget the world, if everybody around me was acting reasonable and not hoarding toilet paper, I would not either. However, since there is no way to make that happen, since nobody's acting reasonable and there's no way for me to make people act reasonable then I can't just say, well, I'm going to buy a normal amount of toilet paper, and then when I run out, I'll just go buy more. Because I can't, because when I go to buy more, the shelf is empty. So because I will, kn- I know that when I run out, that there will not be any for me to buy, I have to take a whole lot myself. And it would be great. But isn't that like a prisoner's dilemma? Yeah, it is, but, but that's the only solution. It is a prisoner's dilemma. It sounds like something like Noam Chomsky would talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, it does, but, I, but it's the truth. The, the thing you struck. So, first of all, like at our local grocery stores, you can buy toilet paper now. Like, yeah, it was the you know all the crazy people were buying it out and or whatever, but now it's all the the whole shelves are stocked with. Where it. are you like, located at? Upstate New York. And there's toilet oh, yeah, paper. Oh yeah, I heard there. about you. It's freaking wall to wall. Okay, right? it's not here yet. Like I'll tell you, whenever I go to any store here, there is no yeah. toilet paper unless you show up on a day that they get the delivery right. Well, the shipments come in like six a.m. or seven a.m. That, that's right? what I was going to say. You right. know when the shipment is, right? You, you, you know, you, the it, it's the day they get shipment, which is like three times a week, and you have to show up right when they open in the morning at seven a.m. to go in and get it. And so I don't want to do but, that. It's too much of a hassle. All right, I, I, I get it, but in terms of like the stuff that you need to survive. You know, you don't really need toilet paper. Like you could have, you could have a an old towel, right? <laughs> you, you soak it in water, and whenever you go, you wipe your ass with it, and then you wash the, then you clean the towel. Yes, if you it's know? that sounds very if, good. It, right, if if absolutely required to, I could, but why? Just so I, why not just buy more toilet paper? So do, 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 do you think? Do you think Kirsten Gillibrand would do that? <laughs> Yeah, if she needed to, goddamn yeah. But here, here's the other thing. I said that as a New York reference, and she's from upstate. So. I'll, I'll be fair about it, Ruff. So one of the reasons why we also didn't really freak out is we 
have those uh, Japanese style toilets that have the integrated bidets in them. Oh, you know? I see. Oh, the bidets. So, yeah. So the majority of it, like you know, like you, it's so much. It's amazing that so few people in this country use bidets. You know, I always tell people, listen, if you ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you got it smeared on your face, would you rather wipe it with a dry towel or wash your face? You know what I mean? No, I understand. Uh, I, I understand. You know, and, and we uh, use that. So we don't use a ton of toilet paper. I've never people. used a bidet, but people swear by those who have it or have used it. Right. Okay. So here's, and they're usually wealthier people. Here's my feeling about it. I just I can understand the logic of why one would want to use one and why ones who do say like it's getting cleaner, so why don't you do this? But it's just one of these things. I, I've I'm so like not used to that. The whole feeling would be weird. It just it's something that I couldn't. I don't think I could get used to doing. Uh, it's something that just, it just yeah, it just feels more natural and right to me to use toilet paper, and it's hard to get my mind around not doing it that way at, at this point. You get in my used life. to it real quick, Trust I don't know me. about that. Yeah, so I, Trust. I, 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 I want to stick with well, the toilet man, it's paper. It's one of those fancy toilets. Like you sit down and you use the use a bidet, right? And it's warm water. It's not like you know shooting ice cold water up your ass. And then you know you you. you do the major cleaning, and then it's got a, a little air dryer that kicks in. You know, it, it dries it, and then you use a little bit of toilet paper. You're good. You're done. You know. I don't know. It just it just sounds. You think that, you weird think that poker? You think that poker player Navaretti has a bidet? I don't even know who that is. Negretti, Negretti, huh? I don't know any Negretti. Negreanu. Negreanu. Okay, <laughs> I, Negreanu. I, knew, I was like, who is Negretti? Drop a poker reference just because of the, the, the new normal. I, I, I don't. I don't think so. Negreanu uses a bidet. No, but I think I think Negreanu can come up with toilet paper too. I just have a feeling he's got uh, he's got a connection himself. So uh, yeah, so I have toilet paper. I don't have many paper towels. Uh, I don't. I, I do have some hand hand sanitizer. I realize we could probably make some, but uh, we're not close to being out yet, so we don't have to resort to that. And I just, I also am looking towards the future because it could actually get worse. Now, things have actually gotten slightly better. I know for you it's gotten a lot better if there's toilet paper on the shelves. But here, like, some things have improved. Well, New York is already kind of peaking, and it's going to get better quicker than California. It hasn't really peaked on the West Coast. It's already close to, if not already, peaking on the East Coast. Well, he's, he's upstate, so he, he's like 500 miles away from where it's really terrible. How, yeah, there's nothing, nothing much here, really. Yeah. that's. Uh, Are you near the Canadian border? Pretty close. Yeah. So, Are you jealous of their health care plan? <laughs> um, I mean, in some ways, yes. I, I'm not. Okay, I would be too. Here, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something, Ken. I, I actually, I, I'm going to mention, you mentioned health care. I want to bring this up. Um, it seems like forever ago now, but uh, a month ago when I woke up with the chest pains and left arm pain, which isn't a good combo at my age being a tall man, uh, I, I, and at the urging of my brother, who's a cardiologist, I went into uh, the ER just in case there was some heart issue going on, which there wasn't. It was just uh, turned out to be nothing. But uh, the thing that was really, really uh, making me unhappy as I was doing this was the fact that I knew it was going to cost a fortune. And uh, unlike you, Ken, I, I don't just stiff the ER. So uh, I was I was very worried about what was going to come to me as far as the bill was concerned because I, a lot of things got done. Uh, they, they gave me a, a, like a, some kind of cortisone-type shot for my arm. They, uh, they, they did all kinds of imaging. They did a blood test and all kinds of analysis. They put me in a hospital bed and monitored me for three hours 
So like, oh boy, that's that adds up. So I'm like, oh my god, I can only imagine what's going to come. The only saving grace was that uh, a few years ago, I noticed that uh, the plans with high deductibles just weren't cost effective anymore. It just didn't make sense to have them because the it wasn't that much more to get one with no deductible. It was more, but it it was now cost effective to go with no deductible. So oh, did that. So I went to no deductible, and I also had it to where but of course the the price of healthcare is going up 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 every year because obamacare is uh the, has a lot of flaws to it so i used to pay like 173 dollars a month for healthcare also in my 40s before obamacare now i'm paying uh over 700 per month just for myself which really sucks so anyway oh my god that's going to the rest of the so i was i was dreading this er bill and the only thing that made me feel a little better is while i was on that monitor i actually had my laptop on me, and I was playing online poker, and I won fourteen hundred dollars playing Limit Hold'em. So I said, "Well, okay, if if so, you were, so while you were you were worried about spending money, you just won some money." Well, yeah, so I won fourteen hundred dollars while I was there, and I wouldn't have been playing if I was at home. I would have been sleeping because this is in the morning. So I was. It's not like I could have been home playing. I was on the merge network. No, I was no, the merge networks. The merge networks that long gone. Uh, I was I was on the Bovada network, oh, but sorry. but anyway, I won fourteen hundred dollars, and okay. I, and I thought to myself, okay, if the bill is like fourteen hundred or less, I'll feel okay because at least uh, I'll broke even. Well, I got the bill, and it turns out that the whole thing together cost me two hundred ninety two dollars out of pocket. That's it, which I, was shocking. But oh that, my god, that's that's like that's like a. That's like a bar mitzvah check from your third cousin you only met twice. So I actually made eleven hundred dollars out of the whole thing, and the the forty now the insurance coughed up forty seven hundred real U.S. dollars. The bill the bill technically was like eleven thousand something. Then it was reduced because they always okay. they always overbill, and the insurance always you know, has so the rights off. Doctors give you a separate bill in the hospital. No, like, no, no. I mean, no, no. Everything combined was was two hundred ninety two dollars from what I can see. So it looks like. Uh, oh wow! I did you very really, well there. You really, you really lucked out. I, I did, did did very well on that one. So I was, and this is. This was on March third, before the hospitals were getting flooded with coronavirus patients. So I didn't. Number one, I was able to get in easily. Number two, I was actually able to get in oh, more. Yeah. I was able to get in more easily because everyone was afraid to go to the ER who didn't have the coronavirus because they were afraid they're going to get it there. And and number three, I wasn't exposed to coronavirus people because they weren't showing up. To, there weren't that many at that point. So uh, I'm glad that happened on wow. March third. March third instead of April third. And so whatever. So whatever was worried about friends, you did a BJ in the bear. I I, I don't quite know what you mean by that but uh i was i was okay your tv show from the late 70s it's about a about a, a truck driver and his and his chip hands yeah i, I remember the, yeah i remember i remember this, yeah I remember, anyway. this, I remember the show now i am hoping that if, if uh, i end up in the hospital for the coronavirus I'm, I'm hoping that uh this goes similarly as well and i also walk away with more money than i came in with <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's that's my concern with that's my new concern with the coronavirus is can if I have to be hospitalized can I walk out with more money than I came in with that's my goal so I will bring my laptop if I if I have to go in the hospital with coronavirus I'm not even kidding I really will bring a laptop in there and and hope that I uh, now if I'm on a ventilator I can't do it that that's when I have to say you know what I'd like to play but I if I'm on a ventilator I don't think I can play effective poker but short of that I could see myself like like being close to needing a ventilator and and having like Bovada uh, they're on my on my stomach, and they're like, "Sir, you know, you're having trouble breathing. Having a 17 pound laptop on your stomach might hindering it more." I'm like, "No, no, no, no. This is a good game. There's three fish in this game. I, I can't leave." It, it felt strange taking up a hospital bed and playing online poker at the same time, but I did, and I didn't care. So anyway, I, I don't know how we got into this 
side discussion. But uh, 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 Trader Ruski, uh, what? How much toilet paper do you have? Do you have a lot? Do you have a little? Are you hurting for it? What's what's going on? No, I mean I've got the normal amount, I, but it's it has been empty up here. Still, yeah. so I, I think all of uh, I, Southern California I, I, doesn't have it. I mean, I, I probably got about a dozen rolls left. I think. Yeah, see, I'd be nervous if it was only a dozen. I, I have a lot at this point. Now, now I can feel comfortable. I'm not going to say how much, but there's I, I've got a lot, a way more than a dozen. Let me just say that. And and I also will. I'm going to assure everybody, just in case some of you are getting mad at me, especially people in Southern California, I will say I will tell you I did not take this toilet paper off the shelves. This was not uh, toilet paper. I number I didn't steal it from anywhere, and I did not hoard it from a store where other people could have bought it. I have uh, a connection to get it. That's. Uh, not for retail sale, so that's that's how I manage it. But don't don't ask me to buy it for you. The connection doesn't really work. The connection doesn't really work anymore. But back then it worked, and uh, and now I have a lot, and I don't have to worry unless this goes on for longer than I think it will. So toilet paper wise, I'm okay. Uh, with other everything else, it's uh, so I have some more things. Some more things than others. We lost Ken. Hey, while he's getting back on, did he say it was more thrilling to jerk off in the store while he's going through the drive-thru? I might have missed that part. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's just uh, claiming he only does it in his apartment now, which I don't know if I believe. It's, uh, see, the reason he did it in Starbucks, actually, is because he, would, he, would, he didn't like spending much time in his apartment. He likes just going out all day and going from place to place to place. And I don't think he wants to wait the entire day to come back home and jerk off. So I think that's what he was doing. It was kind of like a... It's kind of like being on the road and you have to stop for the bathroom every so often. This is stopping in a bathroom for a different need every so often. Now, I might believe that now that he's 50, he really did just, he turned 50 during this whole uh, coronavirus thing. He, he recently turned 50. I was going to, I told him I was going to go out to a restaurant with him when he turned 50, but that wasn't possible. Anyway, he, being 50 years old, maybe the urge to do that has declined. Not disappeared, but declined. I can believe that. So maybe. What he's saying there is the truth, but I, I do believe that uh, if Starbucks had its bathroom open, I think he would still be paying a visit every so often. Let's move on to the next topic here. That is about Lacey Jones. Now, Lacey Jones was best known in poker in the 2000s during the poker boom. She was one of several hot chicks to kind of latch on to the poker community and saw the opportunity there, which there was. And I don't criticize that. If I were a hot chick in the 2000s, I would have done the same thing, even if I sucked at poker, because uh, there were other jobs you could have in poker that uh, didn't require being a great player. And if you managed to luck box the tournament, like Tiffany Michelle did, or, or anything like that, if you can manage to get even a little bit of poker success, the poker media was all over you, there were sponsorships everywhere, you could really parlay this into a lot of things. Uh, Tiffany Michelle really put on a clinic on how to do that. Uh, Maria Ho was a few years behind uh, realizing she could have done that, but then she did it too. Uh, Maria Ho, it helps that she's also a very good player on top of that. But uh, but you don't even have to be. At least back in those days, you didn't have to be. You could you could, you could just parlay your looks into a lot of that. And, and Lacey Jones is one of the people who did that. Uh, Lacey Jones was a uh, very pretty uh, young blonde girl at the time. Uh, from what I knew of her, from when I met her, I, I thought pretty good things about her. She seemed mostly down to earth and, and pretty stable. I knew she had modeling aspirations beyond just being a hot chick in poker, but obviously that's a very 
hard thing to break through. She's probably trying to use poker to get her name and face out there, maybe hope to get more mainstream to something else. But, uh, you know, the poker boom died, especially thanks to the Black Friday, and she kind of faded into uh, obscurity. Now, she did get married. She had a longtime boyfriend named uh, Keith Gibson. I didn't really know him. I'm not even sure if he was in poker. She is married to him now. She's been with him a long time. I never heard anything bad about her. And I thought that she really was one of the legitimate, actually, like, very pretty girls who wasn't just pretty because she was in poker where it's mostly dudes. Uh, And she still looks good. She still looks good, even though she's uh, a lot older now. Because, of course, we're in 2020, and she was more notable in poker about, like, 11, 12 years ago, and even more than that. Well, I haven't thought of her in a long time. And I hadn't, I wasn't even following her on Twitter. I kind of forgot she existed. But someone said, hey, check out Lacey Jones' meltdown. I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> what is going on here? So I, I went to go take a look, and the meltdown was a little different than what I was expecting. I was expecting maybe she was fighting with someone or, or having some kind of uh, political-related meltdown, as people have been known to have these days. It was none of that. This was really just insanity. This was really just Lacey Jones showing up on Twitter, where she's been, but she she's really been tweeting up a storm. Hundreds of tweets over the past four days, most of which are incoherent and crazy. You may wonder, were these tweets about poker? For the most part, no, but there were some things mentioned about her time in poker, and apparently she doesn't view that time very positively. So here's, here's what she said about poker, and this is mashed in with, with all the other crazy tweets. This is what she wrote uh, earlier today, or this morning. Ever watch Poker News Girls Night? Nope. Well, I did. I never got the chance to defend myself. I don't know exactly what she's referring to, but she goes on to write, Should I do it now or save when the deaths are higher and we all lose our loved ones? Hashtag Mean Girls of Poker. Now, that's already weird. If you want to say, okay... Um, there were some people I didn't like in poker, some women who didn't treat me well. Uh, should I bring this up now? Instead, she's like, should I do it now or should I do it when everybody's loved ones die? Like, why would that be the reason to say it? <laughs> why would that change whether you should say that or not? When our loved ones all die from the coronavirus. That's a weird way to put it. Then she went on to say... P.S. At that time, not a single girl had ever said hello to me, yet three of them sure the hell knew me. All lies. You three are not invited to the Twitter birthday party. She kept referring in her tweets to a Twitter birthday party she's going to have on April 9th. Maybe that's when she's having her real birthday and she can't invite anybody. She keeps talking about the Twitter birthday party over and over. So these three girls who wouldn't say hello to her back then are not invited to her Twitter birthday party. Alert your chat groups I'm not in. Bing, 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 bing. Now here's a scandalous tweet about something that happened 15 years ago, allegedly. Y'all want to guess how many poker players tried to roofie me since 2005? We could guess bracelet count, too. Go. Everyone gets a cookie. Me fucking, too, bitch. Wow. 
So she's claiming that starting in 2005, presumably when she entered the poker world, that a lot of poker players tried to roofie her. They tried to put something in her drink and uh, knock her out to have sex with her without her consent. She claims that a uh, number of them have. She said yes, plural. And that some of them had bracelets. She said that there's a bracelet count, too. Now, unfortunately, that puts me under suspicion as well. Because at least one bracelet winner did this. She said a bracelet count, meaning perhaps either multiple bracelet winners or a multiple bracelet winner did this to her. So she says. Now, she did not mention any names. There's a lot of responses to this, but just guys taking guesses, but she did not answer any of those responses. And this was done almost 24 hours ago. So she hasn't, uh, she did this at 2.54 a.m. Pacific time on April 4th. So I don't know uh, if she's going to let us know who tried to roofie her since 2005. Uh, Those are the only two uh, poker-related tweets. Uh, The rest is just a lot of craziness. Uh, She, for some reason, feels uh, very emotional about the plights of Britney Spears and Corey Feldman, that uh, any criticism they've been receiving, she's taking very personally. I don't know why. I don't think she knows them personally. But she's been uh, defending them. I'll read you some of those tweets shortly. Uh, Here's a little video, which you won't be able to see. But uh, you you can even hear in this video, it's just kind of goofy. Listen to this. It's a 16-second video she posted on April 1st, entitled Good Morning. Good morning, everyone. I need, like, ten filters on this because I slept four hours. I have stress. Okay, so I just want to show you guys. Blue, beautiful skies. That's all. And to tell you I love you. No chemtrails, too. How cool is that? I don't quite understand what she did at the very end, but a 16-second video to show you a blue sky early in the morning, which wasn't even that blue. It was kind of, like, cloudy. And she's just doing this to tell you she loves you. And there was, like, a, a big filter on it. She looked good in the video. Maybe, maybe the filter was helping her, but she looked pretty good, especially, uh, you know, t- taking the hot chick she was in the late 2000s and adding 13 years to it. It's, uh, she still looks good. I don't know exactly how old she is. I, th- I think she's still under 40, but not that much under 40 anymore. So she looks good, but I don't know about her mind anymore. That's, uh, now, that by itself doesn't sound like a terrible video, but uh, let me read you some of the other tweets. You can find these tweets if you go to twitter.com slash Lacey Jones. That's L-A-C-E-Y and then Jones, all one word without any spaces or dashes or anything like that. Twitter.com slash Lacey Jones, and uh, especially if you click on tweets and replies and just start scrolling, you'll get more of Lacey Jones than you're ever going to want. And unfortunately, I don't mean nude pictures. I mean stuff she's saying here, and and she's barely getting any response. Like, very few people are replying, very few people are, are liking the tweets, and she, in fact, was complaining about it. Like, why didn't anyone DM me? Uh, and th- this is weird. Uh, oh, never mind. This is something else. She was quoting someone else. She, but she, she's complaining that people aren't DMing her, that maybe she doesn't have any friends anymore. She's even aware of the fact that people are seeing this as a mental breakdown. Uh, earlier this morning, she said, If my mental breakdown is making you laugh, good news. You're finally laughing. Mission accomplished. Don't recognize me? My name is Lacey fucking Jones. Hashtag bird set free. Hashtag me too, bitches. And, and so... A lot of weird stuff like that. Uh, let me see if I can find something she wrote about, about Britney Spears. That was 
pretty wacky. Where she used to uh, trying to find where she Twitter doesn't have a very good search feature, so I just got to kind of scroll and look for uh, look for this stuff. The the poker stuff I had saved. That's why I was able to read it to you so quickly. Uh, just just so much wackiness. Uh, this one, I just picking out a ran- randomly. Everyone hoarding likes the toilet paper. Why? Spread love, not hate. Insert fart joke. Like what? Uh, then she's sending love to Corey Feldman and put, "I'm sending you so much love." Hashtag I believe you and quoting something. She wrote, uh, "I want. I'm gonna wait until I get a follower and then blast. Then give Corey Feldman the mic. Y'all have the mute button on him too." He has something very important to say. Hashtag me too. I love you, Corey. I believe you. Hashtag fuck Charlie, referring to Charlie Sheen. Hashtag team Richards. And then I guess something happened on, she claimed as autocorrecting some words she wrote. She wrote, autocorrect and suck my imaginary dick. Yes, that's a thing. Hear me roar. Hashtag bird set free. I think she thinks she's the bird who was set free. So she claims she's waiting until she gets a follower. Now, she has a lot of followers. She even has a blue check mark. But she believes that uh, she needs, quote, a follower, and then she's going to blast what she has to say. This was 19 hours ago. And then she's going to give Corey Feldman the mic, who I don't even think knows she's alive. Interestingly, guys, if, if you Googled uh, Corey Feldman's uh, situation where he claimed he's going to name his molesters, guess what was the number one result for a long time? That was Poker Fraud Alert where a, a character on the forum named Harry Hollywood named correctly, it turned out, who the accused molesters were long before Corey did. There's a lot of, a lot of insiders here that, uh, that, that help out here on Poker Fraud Alert. But anyway, she's very pro-Corey Feldman, even though I don't think he knows she exists. Let's see if I can find the Britney tweet. That's also weird. Where she, I think she was talking about why... Well, he had, a, he had a documentary or something coming out Right. Like, close to now, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, I think it was supposed to drop any day. Well, if, if he was supposed to drop it and it had some kind of technical difficulty and he couldn't, it was very weird. So, yeah, that's come back in the news. And the funny thing is, like, like the names have fully come out now, and it's exactly what that Harry Hollywood guy said on the site back in 2018. That that Harry guy uh, got it. That, that Harry guy, if, if you see him post on the site, he's very good. Like, you, you'd be surprised of how many things he gets right that are not public. Like he'll talk about when certain seasons of of, of new shows are going to drop, or uh, or other Hollywood. Like the, the guy, I think even even uh, Vintage One would be impressed. Oh, that reminds me. I should, I should find Vintage One. I know he wanted to come on. I don't know if he's still around. He was saying he wanted to come on, and then I uh, I got into talking about all this, and uh, and I forgot he was there. Let me ask him if he's still around. I'll slap him on too. Distracted by Ken Scaler. I, I was yeah. distracted by Ken Scaler. So uh, I'm, I'm scrolling down. Uh, the Dark Knight is my number one movie, she writes. Nobody asked, but I thought you should know. P.S. Community is hilarious. We need comedy to binge watch. Hashtag gold. She's just like firing these things out. You know, tweet after tweet after tweet. Just like random thoughts like this. With no context. Making no sense. Um, some I of- skimmed through it after you said, you know, hey, go look yourself. She sounded psychotic. I mean, yeah, you know? yeah. It's just it's just like a million different random thoughts. She's just tweeting, 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 tweeting. Like all of them have like nothing to do with each other. And uh, you read this, you go, "There's no way this girl's sane," and there's no way that like, this is an act. Like she's really she's going through something here, and it it almost seems to me like she's got some kind of like 
coronavirus crisis-induced uh, psychosis, that she doesn't have the virus, but that the stress of all this has made her flip out. And Could also be chemically-induced it, it, it could be, though. I didn't know that she was doing anything like that. I know a lot can change in over 10 years, or maybe I was wrong in the first place. Uh, so this is what she tweeted. Uh, at, it could be like designer, you know, like Xanax or Valium or, you know. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's something I found April 3rd. And for anyone worried, I've had zero DMs. All is good in the world, apparently. Wish sarcasm came in a different color on Twitter. Hashtag Twitter suggestion for Jack, referring to the owner of, of Twitter, or the CEO of Twitter. Uh, so she claims she's getting zero DMs. This must be upsetting her. She also wrote... And now I'm pretty sure the whole world has muted me except for my closest friends. Good. Finally cleared the room. I'm taking advice of Joe Rogan and not checking the at and likes. Who the F cares? I still have the mic. Jody, I'm not sure who Jody is. Jody has one more week of no human contact. So dot, dot, dot. Yeah, it's just a whole bunch of non sequiturs, like, and, and she's just like screaming into the air. You have random stuff. It's right. weird. That's a good description. And like hundreds. I'm, I'm not kidding. Go there. Twitter.com slash Lacey Jones. You, you get hundreds. Here, I'm going to slap this. This person sometimes makes a call when they're trying to get the call to listen line, but I, I want to see if they, uh, if they call the right number. Caller, I know who you are. You're on the air. Caller, are you trying to get the call to listen line? Be honest. Or is this a an accidental phone call? See, I don't know how that would happen. <laughs> okay, I don't know what that was. I know who it is. I just don't know what it is. I that that was kind of strange. It's riveting, Drew. That it's was just riveting. I, I wanted to let it go on longer and let them. I, I was waiting for something like private to go over the air. That's really scandalous. But we just got kind of messing around with the phone and. I think they butt dialed this the show somehow, which is weird because like how often does someone call the show? This isn't like a regular caller to the show. This person has called before to the main number instead of the call to listen line. But when they meant to call the call to listen line, but then wouldn't they be hearing me when I was asking them to talk? Unless they didn't think I was speaking to them. I don't know. Anyway, go take a look. Twitter.com. How, how is that call to listen line, Druff, anyway? Is it affected by COVID nineteen? No. It's, are more people using it now or less? Or, or oh, I, you know? I haven't looked at that. I just know it's it's running and it's it's never going to die. In fact, if if I die of COVID nineteen, I'm not kidding. The call to listen line will outlive me. It will continue running. My voice will still remain on there, even though I will not be around to speak anymore. And uh, in a way, that makes me feel good of how resilient that call to listen line is. And people will say, "Wow, he wasn't kidding. He's now in the ground, and it's still not buffering." That's it's something that I can be proud of, and I can know that if I expire from this earth earlier than I expected to, that this will remain even without uh, me. That's what you want as your legacy is the call to listen line. Well, I at least want this as part of my legacy, and I want this. Yeah, fair enough. I I, I want this to just go on beyond me. You should put that in your will, Druff. That the that you know. A certain amount of money will be put aside to ensure <laughs> that the call to listen line will just run for the next 100 years. That's true. You know? It's true. People will call like 100 years. They'll call 2120, this phone number, and go, who is this guy? Why, why is he talking about stuff from, from 2017? 
That's that's over a hundred years ago. Who is this guy, and why is he talking about uh, ancient stuff from uh, from poker and about some uh, some virus that uh, that we've had a vaccine for 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 ninety nine years now? And I go, wait, wait, why would this still be running? And they'll see. Wow, this guy actually put aside money to run this for a hundred years, and one day it'll be an article and. Like in, 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 online somewhere, people will read about this and go, wow, this is the way people thought back then. And this is the way people talked back then. And I won't be around to be proud of it, though. I won't be able to, around to know. Well, be sad. Truff, let's go a little bit more dystopian. Let's say that this virus wipes out just about everybody. And we go back to, you know, kind of pr- a primitive living. And then someone discovers the call to listen line somehow. <laughs> and they base their entire civilization around you. You know, poker fraud alert becomes like the, what the civilization is is based around. Kind of like, uh, what was it? Was that, oh, yeah, like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, right? Yeah, or, or kind of like The Postman. Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar, yeah. I actually like The Postman. There's a big the- statue of draft they, pay, yes. they pray to. <laughs> yeah. I, other than the statue scene, I actually like The Postman a lot better than most other people did. I actually watched it and go, you know what, I enjoyed this. And I read the reviews and everyone just hated it with a passion. And they talked about Kevin Costner being so arrogant, having a statue of himself. I'm like, okay, I agree with that part. But, but and, and yes, the movie was a bit long, but it, it held my interest. Like I, I, was, uh, I enjoyed The Postman, even though everyone hated it. Uh, I, the good thing is I watched it before knowing the reviews were terrible. I think if I think I would have been afraid to watch it had I read the reviews first. I think I did myself. Holy a crap! I just looked it up. It's eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, no, everyone wow. everyone hated the Postman with a passion. But I actually I, I wouldn't say it was like one of the best movies I've seen, but I I enjoyed the Postman and it held my interest. And I was surprised that the reviews were so terrible. While I understood the criticisms and there were some parts of it that were kind of hokey, uh, I, I thought it was it was interesting. So they, uh, mm. I, I felt the reviews were too harsh. Uh, okay, so that's, take a look at Lacey Jones' Twitter, and this is ongoing. It, it will probably get crazier as time passes. Okay, let's, let's do some coronavirus topics, and then I'll have to take a little bit of a break in the middle of this to put Benjamin to bed. Uh, this is something I don't like having to announce, but it did happen, and I, it's something that's getting no play in the poker media. And that is that three Hawaiian Gardens regular poker players, and Hawaiian Gardens is not in Hawaii, it's in Southern California, it's a card room. Uh, Three regular poker players have died from the coronavirus. Not in the best area of town, from what I remember, is that correct? No, it's not. It's not in a very good area, and it's it's far from where I am, so I have... uh, There's actually a Limit Hold'em game that went there and I heard was pretty good. But uh, I still didn't go there because, you know, Commerce is far enough. The bike's even a little bit farther, and Hawaiian Garden is even farther. So, like, I, there's no point. With Commerce and the bike being there, it's hard to justify the extra drive to Hawaiian Gardens. Uh, but uh, there were three deaths there at Hawaiian Gardens. I heard this from an inside source who uh, is pretty reliable and not someone who makes up drama or anything and someone who is pretty accurate with these things. So it, it does appear that uh, – so there were at least two – who for sure died of the coronavirus, and then one who died that probably was the coronavirus, but it's not a hundred percent. It's not a hundred percent verified. None of these people are well-known people, and they were all over seventy. So yes, these were people who uh, were in the highest risk factor of it, but still, 
Yeah, you have to still say that uh, that's sad that it was the coronavirus that at least two of them died for this, and and uh, and then uh, one of them, it uh, may or may not have been the coronavirus. So one of them's one of their names is uh, Hassan uh, Mataron, M A T I R O N or Mat Iron, I don't know. Hassan was the oldest one. He was really really old. It was assumed that uh, he was ninety. So I, he's he also plays a commerce sometimes too. I don't know if I remember him. And there's so many Hassans there that uh, it's not going to be meaningful. I, I can't think of a Hassan who looks ninety to me, but I don't know. I I will admit I I kind of tune out like who all these people are. I just kind of play with them and leave and don't think of them too much. But uh, Hassan, he's the one that's not totally sure that he died of the coronavirus because he was ninety and. You know, when you're 90, there's a lot of ways you can die. Uh, but for sure, there were two others who died who were uh, players at Hawaiian Gardens. One is named uh, Bill Sauer, S-A-U-E-R, who was in, in, around 70. And he was actually a prop, a prop player, someone who's hired by the casino to play uh, and pay, paid an hourly rate. And he played the lower stakes games at Hawaiian Gardens, and he passed away definitely of the coronavirus there's another guy named Ali. Unfortunately, there's tons of Ali's in uh, Southern California poker, so good luck figuring out which one it is. But this guy was also around 70, and he was a regular at Hawaiian Gardens. He also passed away of the coronavirus. And it's uh, with Hassan, it's not for sure, but uh, that's what was going around there. He definitely died. It was going around there with the coronavirus got him as well. And, of course, if he was 90, especially if he had... Uh, Health problems. On top of that, that uh, puts him in a very, very high risk category. Like if you're if you're ninety, yeah. you just you just stay home. You don't go out if you're ninety. Or you're, you're really I was about to say, Drew, when you're ninety and you die, sometimes you die because you're ninety. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> and, that, and that's what some of the the doubt with the, like that's why it's like uh, those two with him. There was it was thought he did, but there were, I, I don't know the reason, but there was a little doubt that maybe it could be something else. But the other two are around seventy, definitely. Uh, it was more of a typical progression of the, and they were tested positive for the uh, coronavirus and, and did die from it. And uh, these people were regularly playing there during the time the coronavirus was uh, going around. Uh, some of this was in the, I don't know exactly when they died. Some of this may have been earlier before everyone was told to really stay home. Uh, if you guys remember, I quit Southern California poker in late January for exactly this reason. And then I quit all live poker. I played one more time in Vegas in early February, like February 2nd or something. And after that, I said, you know what? That's just it. I'm not playing any poker live anymore. Uh, and, and I didn't. So that uh, looks like it was a wise decision on my part. As you see, it was going around the card rooms, definitely at Hawaiian Gardens. Uh, at least two people died from it, uh, possibly a third. And that's, and that's too bad, Like especially the two 70-year-olds. The 90-year-old probably wasn't going to live much longer anyway. But the, the two 70-year-olds, they could have had uh, decades left. Who knows? So that's uh, it's not quite as tragic as when a forty-year-old dies of the coronavirus because they have a long time left on this earth. But but still, that's you know when you're seventy and otherwise healthy, and then within a week or two you're gone because of this virus. It's it's very sad. And you hear about the numbers every day of people that are dying, and those numbers are more used to judge like how bad is it getting rather than these are human beings who are who are dying. As a result of this virus, and it's it's very sad. And and you think about uh, some of these regulars who just wanted to play poker. And un- unfortunately, I saw this happening. This is why I quit. I know some people are just such degenerates. They they want to find any reason to show up. In fact, John Robert 
when they closed all the poker rooms in Vegas, John Robert put out a tweet saying, thanking the poker rooms for closing, saying, we can't help ourselves. We're all degenerates. The only way to stop us from playing live is to close the room, so thank you. And he wasn't kidding. So that's the fact. It's a lot of people are so addicted to playing poker, even winning players. I'm not, I'm not even like necessarily talking about compulsive gamblers who are losing their fortunes. So even winning players are addicted to playing poker. And some of them can't control themselves and just can't stop playing and try to find reasons why this is not going to get them. And unfortunately for a few people... Are you, are you a professional poker player? If you can't control when you want to play poker? You are as long as you're still staying in games you can beat. You are still one. You're just a professional poker player with a, who could be called a workaholic or a professional poker player who's also an addict to the game. But uh, mm-hmm. but it's sad that this has happened, and I just wanted to put this out here just to let people know that you know there have been real poker casualties. None of these guys are big names. You, unless you play at Hawaiian Guards, you probably don't know who these guys are. And but uh, that that doesn't make it any less sad that they died. And it's it's showing that there are poker players who died from the coronavirus because they played poker. And that's that's too bad. It's not just older poker players who just happen to die. I mean that happens all the time. But uh, this this is sad that this has happened. This is the reason why I, I bailed out of the card rooms early in this whole thing. And, uh, of course, the older you are, and especially if you're older and have uh, other health issues, you've really, really just got to stay out of public because this thing is so contagious and, and you could just be screwed when this comes on. Let's take a call here before we move on to the next topic. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Druff, how's it going? Uh, this is T Pac Man out of New Jersey. Oh yeah, I've seen you. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, yeah, man. I was just listening to uh, your topic right now. Oh, hey, uh, Traderuski and uh, Kilowatt. Listen, to you guys a lot. Thanks, man. Okay, so so what, how's it going? Yeah, so so what, what do you want to tell us? Oh yeah, like I was saying, um, right before the casinos, I live uh, maybe about fifteen minutes away from Atlantic City, and right before they closed, a buddy of mine from Tennessee actually came up to play the uh, WSOP circuit events that were going on in Harris. So one day I got him a room. Um, I think the week before they closed down. Um, maybe that Thursday. And I didn't even want to go in there to be honest with you, but I've known the guy for 20 years. So I went to, uh, you know, get him the room and everything. And then I was going to leave, but you'd be surprised when I went there, how many like elderly people, at least over the age of 65, were still all at the Borgata at the poker tables. I even saw one guy coughing and blowing his nose in a snot rag as he was sitting at the table. Wow. (laughs) So, I think it's really sad. I mean, the loss of life. In fact, my my wife's best friend's uh, brother-in-law just passed away from Rhode Island. Oh. Um, he had a lot of pre-existing, yeah, he had a lot of pre-existing conditions, but he passed away from the coronavirus. Yeah. But it, I don't want to sound cold-hearted or anything, but it's all almost like a Darwinism thing. I mean, these guys heard about what was going on and they just they you're right they can't stop themselves yeah and i think some people were just they just convinced themselves oh it's not going to happen to me and it's hard you don't see it in front of you the virus is invisible you don't see it in front of you it 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 just kind of it can feel to some people like oh i won't get this this is something that everybody else gets or uh, i'll recover from it and then 
No, the, but it, if you're over 65 and not treating this cautiously, you're you're really making a huge mistake because uh, the the risk factor is so much higher. And and then once you get it, it's too late. I as as I was getting the room key, you know what I mean, and sterilizing myself, you know, <laughs> it's like I had my hand sanitizer as soon as I got the keys and everything. I had to walk by uh, the gaming tables, not even the poker room, but like most. Everybody that was still in the casino, all the young people were gone. It was all the elderly drinking beers, sharing cards, and smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, you know, if I ever do come back to the Borgata, I don't think I'm going to see half these people when I come back if this virus is already in this casino. Yeah, that's... that's. I mean, it was crazy. I just couldn't believe it. And people were like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, you could catch worse things just being at a poker table. I'm like, no, man. No, you I actually mean, can't. Like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the worst thing you can catch so far. It makes. How sense. long ago was this that this happened? Um, Late March. I think when. Wow. I, I, I can't wow. remember exactly. Like March 20th, March 21st. Because wow. they got to be closed. Uh, it's got to be closed by the government by now, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. But no, no, they closed. They closed a week right after this. After this happened, that next Tuesday, they closed down the uh, state of New Jersey. Finally, closed down all the casinos. It goes to show you, kind of like uh, Jean Robert said, like if they didn't, if the government didn't close it, I guarantee you, like a lot of those people would still be there. You know, well, we're going to talk about that. Dude, it's, they're it's, just ignorant. We're going to talk about that a little later. Our last uh, coronavirus topic is going to be about Ashley Hine, who has been reporting home games that are running because she feels it's, it's a public health danger. So that's uh, and that's been a controversy over what she's been doing. But yes, people w- are going to play. Now, I, admittedly, going to a home game isn't as dangerous as being in a, a big casino like the Borgata. That's that's especially bad. But uh, there's a lot of people yeah. that, still, that just have such an urge to play live poker that they can't help themselves and they, they will go play and just hope it turns out okay. And if you're, especially if you're old or, or mm. have contact with old people, you know, that's especially a huge mistake. Fuck that. No, you're, you're, yeah, I know. Fuck that. You're absolutely right though. Kilowatt and, and Druff. like, um, the buddy that I got the room for, you know, he's from, uh, Davidson, Tennessee, Nashville. And basically down there, you know, they don't have cards or casinos. So you either have to go to Tunica, Mississippi, or you go to Louisville to play over at Caesar's place that's right in Indiana. But the whole the whole state has underground card games, and that's how they play. Like, there's a bunch of them. And my buddy, he finally stopped going because he's like 55, but he said up until like last week, he was still going to home games that had like, you know, 70, 75-year-olds playing. And I'm yeah. just like, you know, I mean, where's your self-preservation? I mean, I guess if you're that old, you know, you think you can live through anything. I don't know. That might be it. It might be they've they've just uh, they've gone so far. They've seen other things happen, but nothing nothing like this has occurred. That's what uh, I, I think. Some of them also might equate it to the flu. They're like, well, the flu that, that kills old people too, and, and we deal with that every year. We don't stop going to casinos and home games. So so f it. But they this is a, from what we can see seems a lot deadlier than the flu, and also a lot more likely to produce. Severe symptoms that even if they don't kill you are like really really bad to live through, and also if you get through it, uh, it can lower your life expectancy as well. So it's it's not even just the sheer number of deaths; it's also the ones who come close to death but don't die but go through something awful. Which that's more what I'm worried about personally because at my age, it's not that likely I will die from this, but uh, it's it's much more likely that I will have a terrible experience with this. 
And that's I, I don't want that either. That's what scares me more because that's much more a realistic chance to happen to me. And that's uh, and that's I think people are not taking that as seriously. They're just kind of looking at the chance they die, and if it's very low for their age group, they go, okay, no problem. But it's it's a big problem because you you may end up on a ventilator, which is is terrible. That means you got to have a, a machine breathing well, for you. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I'm 43 myself. And, you know, I have no pre-existing mental conditions, and I think I'll be fine, but my wife is asthmatic. I have a four-year-old daughter. You know, I don't want to risk their safety, Yeah, you know, to play some cards. I mean, I'm not, you know, some big professional poker player that's making millions of dollars playing, you know what I mean? And even if I was, who wants to take a risk like that? Yeah, and, and you know, by the way, your daughter will probably be okay. A four-year-old is a, it's a pretty safe age. It's uh uh, it's better if they're like over five, but your daughter's pretty close. It seems like a, the only kids that are having some trouble with this are very, very young babies that, uh, th- because their immune systems are so undeveloped and their bodies are so tiny and they're so sensitive to everything. And that's typically who the flu kills too, like, like babies and toddlers. And yeah. Very, I mean, that's, and, and, that's, very yeah, old that's any illness because they can't take antibiotics or anything like that until and, they're like, what, two years old, I think. Yeah. And, and, and once they're four, uh, even before four, they they then it's a lot more developed. And uh, uh, with this particular virus, like for the flu, a four year old is much more a danger from dying than than you or I would be. But uh, but for this, this is different than the flu on that end, where a four year old is pretty safe. And and my son Benjamin, who's nine, is actually like exactly at the perfect age to uh, have the least effect from this. Like between five and ten, is uh, get the least affected by the coronavirus not only don't they die but they they tend to not even get uh, major symptoms so uh so and that's good because if if you know if you had to worry about your kids that would just induce tremendous anxiety for everybody to think about your kids going through that and dying and that's the one good thing about all this is you don't unless your kid has some real rare condition to where they have a major health problem which very few kids do other than that, yeah. uh, you, you can say, okay, my kids are going to get through this okay even if they catch it. But, you, you know, if you're middle-aged or older, you do have to worry about yourself. And you have to especially worry about your parents. Or, or, and if, well, if you, that's just the thing. Both my parents are alive. Um, they're both in their, you know, mid-60s. And, you know, I'm sorry for bringing this up on the show, but uh, two weeks ago, my brother Andrew, um, he passed away. He died. And he was the youngest of us. He was 32 and he just celebrated three days prior his child's first birthday oh. down in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Yeah. That's and, bad. you know, they're all upset because none of us could go down there to the funeral yeah. because you can't expose the kid to all the stuff that's up here. Yeah. That's 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 something people. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, no, it's fine. No, I feel bad you for you. Your brother, the 70 brother. That's, that's, that's terrible. Uh, the the thing that also people aren't thinking about is yeah if anything happens if someone especially like if uh people can't go to funerals and if you die of the coronavirus you're going to die alone your, your, your family won't be able to be around you as you're dying of it you won't be able to say goodbye in person you can get on facetime and do it or something but you can't if you know you're going to die from this or a good chance you're going to die you can't even have anyone come there to see you that you're close to unless they've already had it and that's uh that's also really too bad and i've thought about that too i thought about if i if i get hospitalized with the coronavirus, I won't be able to have anybody come visit me uh, in case I die. Then I just have to hope it just doesn't happen. And if I die there, I'll die there alone without anybody with me. And that, and that's, uh, and that's, this goes with the, goes for anybody else. If my parents get it, I won't be able to go see them, which would really be sad. 
So, uh, and my parents no, are that, much, that are much older. And my know. parents are much older than yours. Mine, mine are in their mid to late seventies. So, uh, I've been worried for them. So, anyway, that's uh, it's, uh, it's a sad situation. And uh, but yeah, thanks for calling in with that uh, story. About that's very interesting about all these old people just playing there and not caring. And that would explain. I mean, I. Yeah, I watched it. Like like I said, though, like my buddy was playing. I gave him the keys. I walked away, and the guy literally sneezed at the table and blew his nose. It was, like, amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not good. I would have left him. <laughs> <immediately. laughs> yeah, exactly. I did. I did. I didn't go near the tables. I was like, come get your cards. He's like, and he's talking to this other thing. He's like, oh, what, you're scared of catching a cold now? He won't go near anywhere, you know, Trader uh he won't go anywhere, Kilowatt. He now he's yeah. like, oh, this Corona, this Corona. I was like, you should have thought about it when your greasy ass was in the Borgata. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least since it's March. 20th, but anyway, it's unreal. It looks like he survived yeah. through it though, because if he if he was there on March twentieth, and now we're at April fourth, and he's not getting symptoms, at this point, it's okay, and he probably didn't catch it. Oh yeah, no, no, he's fine. He he got. He he was fine. He got lucky. It, it wasn't really so much as far as we knew yet. It was all. It was starting in uh, Bergen County, like right next to New York. But like there was no like uh, confirmed cases or anything in Atlanta County, which that didn't really matter because you know nobody could t- get tested anyway. Well, but not, not only that, but the people I dying. Think he, uh, pulled through. A lot of the people dying today in New York are ones who got this two weeks ago or one to two weeks ago. A lot of people are dying. That's when they got it. They didn't get it yesterday. So that so that's the thing. Like back then, no, no, uh, they were walking through the parks. Right, yeah, right. So, so, so when they were filming all this stuff in the parks and stuff, so, yeah. and, and that's why there's this lag between the social distancing and it taking effect because you have the people who already caught it before they were social distancing who are now uh, who have transitioned from sick to very sick to critical to dying, and so that's happening more every day. And they're they're projecting that sometime around mid-April. Uh, we're going to get to around 2,000 deaths a day in the country, and, th- and then it's going to uh, start decreasing because of the social distancing that uh, there's going to be a lot fewer people who have caught it, and hopefully that is what happens. Do, but do you really think that, guys? I mean, like, oh, yeah, I'll, I, I'll I, I do. the truth. Like, I see people doing it, but I see people not listening. I still, still see people going out. I still see people not wearing, like, master protective things, like not respecting people's spaces in the grocery stores. You yeah, know, seen I that, see that, that too. In I, California, I've seen that thing with the farmers markets. Well, I like I, I tell you, when I'm in the grocery stores, yes, I, I am surprised at how many people are willing to just walk by me. Like, there's someone walking my direction, and there's like no effort to get, get out of my way. So I have to like go to the complete other side of the aisle as far as I can to go past. It's like it, I, I feel like I'm 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 dodging them. They're not dodging me. And and I, I like I like why is nobody else like. Like scooting over as far as they can to the side when we're passing each other. Why? Why? Why am I the only one doing this? And uh, so that yes, there there is some stupid behavior going on still. But but still, it's, it's there's a big difference between now and a few weeks ago, and, and especially now the month and a month ago. There's a lot more distancing, a lot more people staying home, and there, we will start seeing effects of that. And uh, now, how much will that help in the long term? I don't know, but it, at least it it should help as far as overwhelming. The hospitals, but I'll explain in a segment coming up a little bit later on the show about how many deaths we can expect uh, uh, going forward, and that's it, it's a number that I don't think is very good. So anyway, uh, no. th- so thanks for calling in, and uh, feel free to call back anytime. All right, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. y'all. Have a sorry to hear about your brother. Yeah, sorry about your brother. It's it's really that- sad. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Bye. 
Yeah. I don't think we've heard from him before. He had dropped in Kawan. I had uh, a friend of the family die. It was kind of like an uncle to me on Sunday. You know, mm. and he he hit definitely had other health issues. It could have been Corona, but his wife is just a mess. Because, you, you know, they can't sit Shiva, you know, no funeral. Yeah. So it's definitely tough on the people they leave behind, for sure. It, it mm. is. And, and then for, you know, and then also a lot of, the, even if it's someone who's old that has some health problems, you know that, like, the chance of them being around in five years is pretty low. Uh, the fact that it just kind of comes on really fast, like, you know, like the way they were looking at the moment, you think, OK, they've got some time at least and then just bang within a week or two, they're gone. And that, that's also kind of shocking. And then again, you can't see them. You can't it's, you can't go to the funerals. It's a and that's that type of thing we haven't had before. Uh, so that's that's sad. Now, with that said, it is. And, and by the way, Trader Rookie, that's uh, sorry that you had this here and that I, I don't have anybody personally close to me yet that have, has uh, died of this. So that's. But I, I know a lot of people have, and it's only going to get worse. But uh, uh, you know, with with that said, it's I, I th- what the stories that bother me the most to read in two ways are the ones of people who are middle aged dying of this, because uh, one, I see myself in those stories, and two, even even if I were past it and knowing that I couldn't get it and nothing's going to happen to me, it would still sadden me because I think of how long they have that they or they could have had left here and that everything was seeming fine and that just bang they're gone and that's uh um i think that's very very tragic and and worse than somebody who only has a few years left it's always unfortunate when somebody dies especially if they had years left and they weren't going to make it and you know they they didn't get them but but somebody who had decades left that dies from this that especially one who didn't have other health problems that thought they really just had half their life ahead of them that's something very sad to read about, and I, I hate reading those stories. And uh, that's something very different about this than the flu. The flu, you didn't have those. The flu, this is very uncommon for somebody middle aged to die. The uh, flu is very predictable. If you're middle aged and don't have any kind of major health problems, you, you don't have to worry. It's not going to kill you. The death rate in the U.S. is going up every day. Somehow, it slightly declined on on Thursday. Very slightly declined. At first, it broke over a thousand. On Wednesday, this is number of deaths in the U.S. on that day. On Thursday, it slightly went down to like 990-something or 980-something. And then Friday, 1,300-something died. And that's following the trend that is has been expected recently, that is going to keep going up, up, up. And around April 15th, we should be at the peak and over 2,000 people dying per day of the uh, coronavirus. And then it should start slowly decreasing, but still it's projected like on April 30th that it's still going to be like around 1,500 dying. So it's not going to be a tremendous improvement. It's just going to stop getting worse, and it's going to slowly start getting better. And then it's going to keep going down throughout May. And, and at the moment, and this could easily change, but at the moment the projection is that as we get into June, it should really start going down to relatively few deaths every day, even getting down to like you know, 20 or 30. Who knows if that's going to come to pass, but let's just look in the near term. Let's look at April. If we have uh, between 1,500 and 2,000 deaths every day for the remainder of April, then add it up. April has 30 days. We're on April 4th. I'm going to take a call here, as much as I hate to interrupt myself. Uh, Caller, you're on the air. 
Caller, hello. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was a live listen to listen to. No, it's not the call to listen line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. I'm not even giving the number. I'll let him look it up himself. It's. I don't know if it's good or bad. Like, it makes me happy people utilize the call to listen line. Like, that, that part makes me warm inside. What makes me cold is that people aren't trying to call the show. They don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to, they just want to listen to me. That's, that's a little bit sad. But, uh, I guess any exercise the call to listen gets, it makes me feel good because I, I love it so much. Okay. So, so going back to what I was saying with the, with the 50,000, uh, my, my prediction about the number of deaths, I, I guess I got ahead of myself a bit. I think that we're going to have 50,000 deaths. Somewhere around there, total, as of April 30th. I think when April's over, we're going to look back and say, so far, about 50,000 people have died in the U.S. Because, look, we're, 1,300 yesterday. I, didn't, I haven't looked at today. They may not have the numbers out yet. 1,300-something yesterday. It's predicted to get over 2,000 in the middle of the month. It's still going to be 1,500 on May 1st. Coming into today, we already had 7,000 that had died. So how are we going to be under 50,000? Or if we are, it's going to be very little under 50,000. Maybe it'll be 48,000, 47,000. But we're going to be around 50,000 and maybe worse, maybe higher than 50,000 at the end of April. And that's significant because we're seeing estimates here about 100,000 dying of this total. When the whole thing's over, 100,000 in the U.S. are dead and we have people saying, oh my God, 100,000. 100,000, wow, that's that's a huge number. Wow, that's... Uh, and like people aren't thinking about that half of that's going to be done by April. And I think that that makes the 100,000 figure look unrealistic. I think we're going to have a lot more than 100,000 because, number one, I don't know if it's going to slow down as much as they think in months like June and July. I am willing to believe we're not going to have the 2,000 a day death rate. I think a lot of that is fueled by people not social distancing. And with things like uh, public transportation in New York being open and things like that, which are no longer the case. So you take all that away. You have people now taking social distancing seriously for the most part. Not entirely, as we heard from our last caller and as we've seen ourselves. But there's way more social distancing now than there was uh, a few weeks ago. There's no doubt about that. So I I have to say that these deaths we're seeing are... uh, that's a result of that. And also we're going to have people that uh, are most vulnerable to this as they catch it, that uh, they'll die and then be out of the pool of, of, of potential people that can kill because they'll already be dead. And uh, that will be another factor that uh, brings it down, that as, as more people get it and are immune to it because they've already had it, hopefully they're immune. It's not, it's not even for sure you're going to be immune to it if you've already had it, but assuming that's true then yes, that will also just lower the death rate by itself. But the uh, situation is, if we're at the end of April and we're already at 50,000, I can't believe the entire thing will be 100,000. And we could have additional waves of this. Eventually the social distancing will be relaxed. Eventually people there could be a second wave of this. Uh, there could be a time we all feel safe and everybody returns and then it, it, it reinfects everybody again who, who doesn't have it. There's a lot of ways that the number can be much, much higher than this 100,000, and I just have a hard time believing we're going to have half our deaths done by April 30th. It just doesn't seem right to me. Now, I hope it's correct. I hope I hope that it's less than 100,000. I hope that uh, there's something we're not seeing 
And as we get into May, there's going to be a tremendous reduction of deaths, and then the, the whole virus is going to really fall out, and it's not going to spread very much, and there's not going to be many people transmitting it, and it's, it's going to exponentially fall off in a way we never envisioned, and we're going to go, wow, we didn't expect this, but great. I, I hope that's the end story to this whole thing. But I would be surprised, very surprised, if we get out of April without there being close to or more than 50,000 deaths in the U.S. And I have to think we're going to see way more than 100,000 total. I think 200,000 total is probably the realistic minimum in the U.S. And maybe over 300,000. I don't think we're going to get to a million. Unless there's something like you're not actually immune once you get it or it mutates somehow and you can get a new version of it, then that's a whole different ballgame. But uh, beyond something like that, if it really is once you get it once, you're not going to get it again, then I think 300,000 is realistic. Over 200,000 is likely. And in the low 100,000s is kind of if we get lucky. And we had to be super lucky to be under 100,000. Unless we see some kind of unexpected breakthrough, some kind of treatment that's very effective if you get to it early, or uh, a vaccine that comes that's approved much earlier than we thought, which I can't imagine you know, how early is it going to be. I, I saw an article about a vaccine being possibly developed that could possibly go into first trials in August, first clinical trials, and the, that doesn't mean it's going to be available in August. That means... They're going to first be doing clinical trials in August, and that takes a while. Because one thing with the vaccine, they can't just take shots with it because you're – unlike medication, which people can try if they're desperate, because if you're about to die anyway from it, you might as well try some some drugs that are said to maybe work but uh, aren't sure because if you're about to die anyway, why not? But if you're already healthy and you don't don't have the coronavirus and you're just trying to take a vaccine to prevent it – the last thing you want to do is take a vaccine that might be dangerous. You're, you're probably going to say, well, screw that. I'll, I'll take my chances. So for that reason, it's very important to test that any vaccine is safe and is not going to be uh, worse than the virus itself. So they have to get through all that and be convinced that the vaccine is safe before it being available. So I, I think that we're looking at a lot more deaths, but a lot of them are going to come pretty quickly. You see right now 7,000 deaths in the U.S. It sucks. It's it's more than twice what died on 9-11, but 7,000 and 100,000 seem like so far away, and if you think of it from the standpoint of at the end of this month, it'll be 50,000. That's kind of a lot more, a lot more scary. Now, with that said, if 50,000 people died every day, every day, not every month, 50,000 died every day, which sounds like a massacre. And let's say there was no way to stop this. And let's say the U.S. population did not grow or shrink otherwise, which wouldn't be true if that were happening. But let's just say for argument's sake it did. If we had 330 million population that was not going to grow or shrink um, unless this disease killed them. Otherwise, the population would stay the same. You know how long it would take to kill everybody in the U.S.? 18 years, even with 50,000 deaths a day from this, it would take 18 years to kill off all 330 million people, even with 50K a day dying. So so to show you that that it's an eye-popping number, but 
it is still a very small percentage of the population. 330 million people is a very, very large number of people. And it can be hard to wrap your head around how large that number is until you think about what a small fraction of 330 million, 50,000 really is. And that's something you can actually think about to feel good if you're scared of this. But as I also said, it's not just about death, it's also about who suffers from major symptoms and goes through a hellacious few weeks, including a hellacious few weeks where you think you might die. And a listener to this show was texting me about his experience with it and told me that at one point he thought he was going to die. He didn't, and it looks like he's not going to, and I'm happy about that. But can you imagine how stressful that is? That this is getting worse and worse and you think this is it? You've got a few more days and you're done? So even if you end up getting past it, the experience of going through that is very, very traumatic. So that's uh, also something that must be taken seriously beyond just the number of deaths that it is producing. But this is unfortunately a reality. And it's something that we're just going to have to deal with and and hope to get past. And and some people are going to be unlucky. That's just uh, something we're going to have to go through. And don't expect a lot of breakthroughs or help to come anytime soon. We're, We're a while away from anything that's going to be really, really good news. I think eventually the good news will get there. Eventually, I think they're going to come upon some kind of treatment that's effective. Eventually, there will be a vaccine that is effective. But that could be a long way, especially because the days seem to be passing so slowly now. Okay, caller, you can please turn off the radio in the background. You're on the air. Ah, yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is Tyrone. Ken, how are you, sir? Tyrone, you know, your area code always throws me off because I know you're in Vegas, and then I see an area code that's not anywhere in Nevada. But welcome to the show. Well, I have a a phone that I used to share with with my brother-in-law in in Seattle. Yeah. That's why, you know, when you get, get a thing. So I, I, even though I have my own plan now, I, I don't want to change the number. <laughs> no, that's understandable. So, so Tyrone, uh, I, I know you're older than I am. Uh, are, are you worried about the coronavirus? Yes, very much so. Very, very, very much so. And the uh, first thing I want to say to you, Todd, is that uh, I, I basically admire you very much. I think that you... First of all, you do this country a great service. I think that your analysis of coronavirus is all very correct, very, very correct. Unfortunately, my analysis of coronavirus is going to be wrong. I thought it's just the night, the, the flu season, when the summertime comes, you might, you might just, uh, you might peter out, but uh, you didn't. You, it doesn't look like you will. I, I hope you will die down a little bit, but uh, but uh, but uh, uh, I basically want to compliment you. Is that you're truly a Renaissance man. You know quite a bit about everything. Well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, everything. <laughs> okay, I'm glad. I'm glad, no, no, I'm glad no, you no, appreciate no, the show. Little bit, little bit, little bit of everything. Uh, and uh, and uh, one other thing is you have an open mind. You don't hesitate to do research. Research. 
and and we will live in a wonderful world that uh, all the knowledge is at tip of your finger. Yes, Google, <laughs> and so so you did this thing. So uh, I'm actually very very worried about this coronavirus because uh, unfortunately there's going to be a lot of death, but uh, yeah. But I'm worried about is uh, we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have the greatest depression in the world the United States ever know. Yes, we might. I we, hope we we, we might. I, uh, I and hope even not. if people, even if this I is even not. if this is uh, on par with the one in the late 1920s, uh, nobody remembers that who's alive today. Either they weren't alive for it, or they're too young to really remember much about it. So uh, this will be new to everybody. And it could be worse than the one in the 1920s, which wasn't brought on by any uh, external event like this. And and yes, I think that is being ignored somewhat by some people because of all the deaths, which are of course terrible. But they, uh, you can't ignore the very dramatic effects that a terrible economic depression can bring, and that can also bring a lot of suffering and death. And people have to be aware of that and realize that. Uh, whatever policies are made about how this is dealt with, that has to be kept in mind too. You can't just say, "Well, save lives now, worry about depression later." You have to worry about both at the same time. Yeah, unfortunately, that uh, for years and years, our government are not prepared for doing this. We basically uh, cut all the funds for research, cut prevent for, you know, that most. Most uh, CDC, mo- most people, most of the things predict there there are going to be a virus going to kill lots of people. They know they will have no care for the the way is to research. And unfortunately, every year we we cut back the funding, we cut back the detection, everything everything else. We, we, our government is totally unprepared for. Well, well, yes. So there, there is a lot of there is a lack of preparation for this, and unfortunately, I think this is one of these things that you have to go through first before you really know how to prepare for it in the future. And it's sad it's that way, but it's one of these things that the the reason for that is even though people can theorize of what's going to happen and and uh, and have predicted beforehand the way this would go, or at least somewhat the way it would go, if you're not prepared. The problem is they're not going to be listened to. It's hard to, for the people to take it seriously because they've never seen it happen. So it just seems like paranoia. It just seems like uh, you're, you're worried about something that we're not likely to see. So who cares? Stop worrying about it. And and there have been there were some people like Bill Gates who were warning about this for a while, saying this is going to be this is really one of the big, this really? is one of the biggest threats. Really but, but but the thing is, it, it's still hard for go- the government to really take it seriously and put aside other things they're doing and prepare for this until they've actually seen it. And also there's lessons you learn as you go through it the first time and you say, okay, we're not going to make this mistake last time, like, like with last time, but you have to have a last time that sticks in your mind that makes you not want to make that mistake. Sometimes you're warned about something, don't make this mistake. And until you actually feel the pain of making it, uh, then you still make the mistake and you really have to have the memory of the failure in your mind to say, okay, next time we're going to do it right for sure, and then you do. So this, uh, there is, I, I think that this was inevitable that since this is something we've never gone through and all the other 
things that are said to be similar to it in recent decades are not at all. Everything else, like like the 2002 SARS and the swine flu, they weren't. And that's why nobody was worried about it. That's why not many people died. They're, they're, they're so different. They appeared on the surface to be similar, but they were so different because, one, the swine flu was not nearly as deadly and was, was about as deadly as the regular flu, so people didn't take it seriously, and, and rightfully so. And then uh, things like the 2002 SARS, which were super deadly, uh, they they came on so quickly that people couldn't walk around and spread it. Even if they wanted to, they'd be too weak to spread it very very quickly. So nobody who was contagious was really out there, and therefore the whole thing uh, fell apart and do- did not become uh, a major issue in, in this country or, or really anywhere. So that's there's never been anything like this. This one has the perfect combo uh, of of being able to transmit easily, being able to lie asymptomatic or mostly asymptomatic and still transmissible and somewhat deadly, a lot more deadly than the flu. So it's a very bad combo and it's something that is uh, unfortunately different than we've seen before. This is even different than the 1918 flu because that most of the deaths then occurred because of poor medicine at the time. If we had that same 1918 flu now, it would be kind of like a bad flu season. It would not be like it was then. They didn't have antibiotics. I, they, they, there were so many things they didn't have then. That was why that was so awful. It was like a bad flu that they that medical science in 1918 was not prepared for, which today uh, we are mostly prepared for. So that this is this is much worse than that. Uh, so that's why this is currently defeating modern metal, medicine. Now, modern medicine will defeat it ultimately, but not not, not until a lot of pain is experienced, both in in deaths and economically. I. I I, I agree with everything you say, but I, the only thing I hope for is that I still hope that this, uh, when the weather warm, especially when, when, I, when I live in Vegas, when the weather warm, the virus will subside. I mean, I hope that, uh, I, but I, I don't see a lot of evidence. Like, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why not to put much stock in that. Miami is already warm. They already have summer-like weather in April, which is common. They, like This is not a, a heat wave. This is They have where the highs are in the 80s, the lows are in the 70s. It didn't get below 70, and it's humid. So that's, that's summer-like. It's not, it's not 110 degrees like Vegas gets, but it is hot. It is humid. It, ne- it doesn't get below 70 at night, and it's not helping. It's not helping with, with the, the virus at all. In fact, California, well, it, which, which is still cool, is, uh, California Vegas is dry. Yeah, but, yeah well, I know, and and that's worse too. The humid is the humid weather is is supposed to do. If if the the theory about slowing down these viruses is correct, uh, it would be hot and humid weather, which is best at it. And and like in in California, which isn't getting it that badly compared to a lot of the country. California so far isn't doing that badly. Uh, California has been cool. So you can't even say it's California's warm. California, at this time of year, it's still kind of winter-like. The the nights aren't quite as cold, but yeah. the, the high today where I am was 63. The low is going to be like 45. So this is not summer-like at all. And this and and the, the upcoming week's going to be in the 50s is the high. So uh, California is is not, even though the cases haven't been as bad there as other parts of the country, like New York, like in Washington, uh, but even Florida is worse than California, but. It's not because the weather's warm, because it really it has not been summer-like at all in California, and in fact won't be for a long time. California gets its warm weather, its warmest weather in, in August and September. 
So uh, I don't know, but I think the warm weather, it's not going to happen, but we may see a reduction then just because of the social distancing, just because a number of people will have already had it and there will be the herd immunity. There may be just natural factors that bring it down uh, the, the same way all these passed, the same way the, the 1918 flu eventually passed, even though they had uh, very poor medicine back then and, and poor understanding of viruses in, in 1918. So, so eventually these things all pass. They don't live forever. The only way this can live forever, and I've, from what I've seen, it doesn't seem likely, but it's still kind of possible, is that if this can keep mutating the same way the the common cold does, and yes, the common cold, it's a, it's a combination of different types of viruses. They're not all the same type of virus, even. Uh, but so that's yeah. that's I know that's an oversimplification, but there there are a number of mutations of the same type of virus, like the rhinovirus. There's several different versions of the rhinovirus out there that are, that are Considered the common cold. Uh, uh, there's lots of lots of different kind of coronavirus. It's not a deadly. It's not this kind. Yeah, but, and so this we, one is. We have about lots of coronavirus. Right, and, and this and this not this kind of coronavirus. Yeah, there are other coronaviruses. Yeah, this, oh. this, this is the really bad one. And this one, though, this if this could mutate enough to where it could uh, dodge a, a vaccine that's effective against the current version of it. That could be a problem if it were to develop into something that is that like the common cold, you just keep getting up to four times a year. Uh, then this could be something we just got to live with forever and it's going to keep killing people. It's not going to wipe out the whole population, but it could be a new danger of just something that people die from, including people who are middle aged. And that may just be something that becomes part of life that just sucks and you just have to live with. Uh, most likely that's not going to be the case. Most likely it's, it's been seen that it does not it does not mutate enough. It mutates, but it doesn't mutate enough to where it can uh, it likely do that. And this is probably something that once we're past it, we will be past it. And once a vaccine comes out that is effective for it, then that's going to be it for the virus uh, pretty shortly after that. Oh, 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 we're hoping that there will be some medicine cure. Well, yeah, and, and some medicine, which which hopefully comes sooner, because the vaccine we're probably not going to see till 2021, maybe not until mid-2021. So that's uh, the, the vaccine. I think that's more than likely. The sooner there will be some kind of cure. I wouldn't say cure, but it could be something. I, I can maybe compare it to this. If you get shingles, which isn't deadly, but if you get shingles, which I got when I was 38, uh, if you get in really quickly and get it treated and get the medicine for it, then that's horrible. Uh, then, then it bring, then that's it bring, well, yeah, it, it was it was very unpleasant to have, but but I did get in right away as soon as I realized I had it, and I got the medicine for it, and that kept it down from doing as much as it could have done. So while shingles can cause permanent nerve damage and it can last for a month with terrible symptoms if you don't treat it, uh, mine the terrible symptoms lasted about a week, and then it kind of lingered in a low level for for a little time after that. But uh, but really, the bad symptoms were for about a week. And that was thanks to jumping on it so quickly and getting the medication. And so if they come up with something similar for the coronavirus where if you notice you have symptoms of it, you can quickly go get tested, see you have it, get some kind of medication that suppresses it from getting in, in, from going from a from low-level symptoms to something very dangerous, uh, that could really save a lot of lives. And that could also make it to where it's no longer that big of a deal if there is that uh, protocol to deal with it. Whereas right now, if you just get it, uh, you just got to hope and pray you're not going to die from it or, or, or not going to come close to dying. And then yeah, th- that's just the way it's just kind of you get it and just hope at that point. And that's that's what's very 
scary about it. You just don't know. You get it, you go, okay, I hope I'm one of the lucky ones. And the older you are, you know the luck is going to have to be greater and greater that you get past it. So that's as worried as I am about this for myself. I think, well, I can imagine how I'd be feeling if I was 30 years older. I'd really be uh, freaking out. The, 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 the second thing I basically want to say is that I miss poker terribly, terribly. Uh, I I don't make poker for a living, but I'm I just a recreation player. I enjoy uh, winning a small time poker. Uh, I play limit poker at the and uh, it's a variable limit poker at Excalibur is two to six, two to six any time you can bet any size. Yeah, well, why don't you go? Why don't you go on like? I've been winning. Two, huh? Why don't you go like low, low limit poker on WSOP.com? I bet you could find some there right now. No, uh, well, I just don't trust too much on online poker. But anyway, I I enjoy winning. Uh, Almost every day this year, uh, this year, winning a small amount of money and uh, eating the free food and uh, <laughs> have a karma sheet with the party, meeting everybody in, in the world. It, it's, I'm, I miss it. <laughs> no, I, I miss it too. I, I was going to commerce uh, once or twice a week before this all came down, and uh, I was on a good streak too. So I, I miss it too. So. Oh, boy. Yeah, but the, but the, you you have a, you 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 did it right. You, you way before this coronavirus, you predicted that I'm not going to pay at Thomas. Yeah, I mean, I didn't that do everything right, but as far as far as that, I was correct. Like that was one of the things I can look back and be proud of. I did the right thing. Doing good job, and I'm looking forward to listening to you every week. Okay, well, thank you. Thank I'm, you. I'm glad you listened, Tyrone. Right. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay, so next topic. I want to talk about the events that are paused right now and what will happen with them. When can you expect them to return? Some people are overly optimistic. They think that uh, the cruise that they got canceled in March, that they think they'll take one in mid-May. Some people even booked cruises that are supposedly sailing in mid-May. Some people who've had to not attend concerts they were hoping to attend once they got canceled. Think, okay, well, maybe we'll attend that concert in June. Or maybe you want to go to see your favorite baseball or basketball team. And you figure, eh, sometime in the summer that should happen. Well, let me tell you that none of that is probably going to occur. I believe for the rest of 2020, there will be no events, there will be no concerts, there will be no cruises, and as far as sports, it will come back, but without any kind of crowd. They will be playing in front of nobody, and it will be broadcast on TV, and that will be it. I think the baseball season, there's a good chance that it will have a half season that begins in mid-July for 81 regular season games and then the playoffs. But none of these games will have anyone in the stands. And I think the NBA will conclude its season and its playoffs sometime in the summer. Remember, they can play any time because they're in arenas, so they're not weather dependent. But I think the same thing. There won't be anybody watching the games. 
Now, the reason I think that is because, remember, what we're doing here is we're trying to flatten the curve of coronavirus infections. This does not mean we're curing it or the disease is going to die. It just means that there's not going to be everybody getting this at once where the medical system is overwhelmed. So what we don't want is if we bring down the number of cases and deaths to something much lower than it currently is, we don't want everybody to go out into one place again and bring on the same problem all over again, which is what would happen. Maybe not to the same extreme because you'll have a lot of people who already have it where the first time around nobody had it yet. So it may not go to the same extreme, but we will have a second wave of this. So really, I don't believe that we can have any kind of large gathering or even medium-sized gathering, and that includes the World Series of Poker, until a vaccine is developed and distributed, which also makes me think, by the way, since this counts as an event, the World Series of Poker. I think we won't be seeing that in 2020 at all, or maybe some very pared-down version where they give away online bracelets. But, of course, uh, most people aren't going to travel to Vegas just to play online bracelet events. So I think those will have a relatively small field, and it won't be the same thing. It's honestly not the same thing. If you can just play against whoever happens to be able to play on these sites in uh, Nevada and New Jersey and Delaware to win a bracelet, that's not the same thing. I already don't like online bracelets in general, but especially not online bracelets where really most people from out of the states that can play legally, which is only three of them right now uh, on that World Series of Poker Network, that, that they won't be able to compete. So I... If they do give out bracelets that way, it's kind of like it should be a bracelet with an asterisk on it. And there's a good chance the event just won't take place at all. At one point I was saying, oh, I bet it'll be rescheduled for October. It might be, but I have a feeling it's just not going to play. Because let's just look at it realistically. When is it safe for a big group of people to get together again? When? Just because we bring down the number of deaths doesn't mean that we can't have the same problem all over again. And we will if we have crowds again. The reason we're expecting the numbers to go down starting in mid-April is because we have been distancing from one another. And I can't see how it's safe to return to old behavior until that occurs. It's one thing to have some limited return to normalcy. Open up certain businesses again, maybe go to restaurants again, have people over again, things like that. That's where you're having some exposure, but not as much as before. But anything with massive numbers of people together, that's just asking to cause a major spread of the virus again. And you really have to be sure that this virus will not spread from a massive number of people getting together. And what's the only way to be sure of that? A vaccine. Secondarily, if there's a strong enough medication found that can really put a dent in this thing to where it's not that dangerous anymore, then maybe I could see this happening. But other than that, I don't think we're seeing any of that stuff in 2020. I think we're going to have to wait till a vaccine is approved and is widely used, and that'll be in 2021 in all likelihood, maybe even mid or late 2021. For that reason... I strongly caution you against spending any money on any of those type of things in the future until we know that they're not going to be canceled. Do not book anything that looks like it could be canceled from the coronavirus just because it's a while away. Don't, don't book things for October. 
thinking, oh, it's got to be passed by then. No, not necessarily. may not be as bad as it is today, but not necessarily will it no longer be a threat. And believe me, after all the pain we're going to have this year from the coronavirus, both death-wise and economically and even psychologically, the last thing anyone's going to do is take actions that are going to bring it back all over again. And when I say anyone, I mean those in charge, those in power. So don't expect this stuff to return. And yes, life can continue in the U.S. without this stuff returning. We don't have to go to concerts. We don't have to go to see sporting events, especially if they can take place uh, without a crowd and we can watch them on TV. We don't have to go on cruises. So just because these things are put on hold for a while or modified in some way doesn't mean that the whole country has to be shut down. At, at some point, there will be things open back up. This antibody test, which I've talked about before, and I'm sure you've heard about in the news, if this gets off the ground, they're working on it right now. It's not going as well as they were hoping. It, it turns out it's pretty difficult to find a reliable antibody for this. But there there is a company working on it, and there the FDA has approved initially for this company to develop an antibody test. Uh, some antibody tests came from China, and like so many other things from China, they were junk, and Spain had to return them. So there is no reliable antibody test right now. They are hoping to come up with one, and then there's been some talk of what's known as an immunity card, and that is where you get certified in some way that you have the antibodies, and therefore you can attend certain events and, and show the card. And you can say, well, okay, well, then let's... Let's wait till everybody gets their antibody card, or a lot of people have it, and then they can go attend these events. Maybe in the future, but not right now. Why? Because they have to first develop the antibody test. They have to come up with a system for these antibody cards. There has to be a system of testing these people to give out these cards. It's different than an at-home test. This is something where people have to be able to take the test and be issued these cards. So it's, it's a process. It's something we're not going to see really soon. That might be kind of the intermediate step to return to normalcy is to give out these immunity cards. And we have to really hope that these don't get abused. We're people giving it to their friends who, who haven't had the virus yet, who really, really want to go out and do something. I mean, we're, if, if enough people violate this, and it's even hard to tell who has and who hasn't because you don't know who had the coronavirus there that pretended they didn't, it, it, so reverse. I mean, it's, you don't know who really was lying about the antibody test if it was a big group of people. You don't know which one of them was lying. So that that's going to be a concern, too, of how do you validate that these immunity cards are not being swapped among people because people are going to start getting stir-crazy. People are going to start saying, I really, really want to go out. And you're going to have people going, can I please borrow your antibody card, your, your immunity card? Can I please borrow it so I can go out and go see this concert. or Now, maybe it'll have a name on it. You have to show ID with it. That'll bring down the trading of those cards somewhat, but then it'll be probably be counterfeit cards, probably out of China. I, I can only imagine, because there's going to start being people who really, really want to go out and just don't give a crap about everybody else. And in fact, the dangerous thing here will be if you think you're the only one who doesn't have the antibodies that goes out, you'll feel safe because you'll say, okay, I don't have the antibodies, but I don't feel sick. I don't think I have it. Everybody else out there has had it already, so they're safe. So yeah, I can go out and be among them, and I'll be safe. 
and I don't have it. And besides, I don't think I'll infect anybody else because they've already had it. So even if I do have it and I don't know, I won't infect anybody. And that works if you're the only one doing it. But if you have several people doing it, then you do have the problem where the disease spreads again and, and then you, these people return home and give it to other people and you see the problem. This can occur all over again. Now, maybe it'll happen only on such a narrow scale that we won't have to worry about it. It won't cause a massive spread. But look, look what happened. Uh, Look at this. uh, It's not like in the U.S. we started out with a tremendous number of cases. It was a small number of people who came in who had the virus. And look how quickly it spread. Look how many cases we have now. Hundreds of thousands already that have been tested and and probably uh, well over a million that haven't and maybe several million that have uh, I bet it's it's many millions who have had this already. Because remember, we have 330 million in the country. So even if 5% of people in the country have had it already, even you know with most not being tested, that's still like 18 million people that have had it. So this can happen very fast if there's even a few people who are going out and mixing with everybody. With that said, I think that the immunity card is a good idea. Another idea that I've heard theorized but not really being described in a popular discussion, which means it may not happen, but it actually isn't a bad idea. I'm not sure how you'd implement this, but that is random testing. Once they have a, a very reliable test, which I, th- I think the test is getting fairly reliable. I haven't checked on its stats, but once you have a reliable test, you can start requiring certain people in the community who are randomly selected to be tested. And the reason I say requiring is not about them specifically, but you can get a snapshot, almost like the same way they do polling data for elections. You can start randomly testing people and getting an idea in each community how bad the problem is. Because one criticism about our response to this so far is that some communities are far worse than others, and yet everybody is showing the same amount of vigilance. Right now, everybody's being hypervigilant, or at least that's what we're told to do. And this may be an overreaction in some areas which barely have any cases of the coronavirus and barely have anybody traveling through there. So like a small town in the middle of nowhere that they haven't even seen any signs of the coronavirus yet and they're not going to have many people traveling through, uh, they're probably overreacting right now. Where in some other areas, like very densely populated cities, they might be actually an underreaction where they should actually be distancing more and aren't. So you can't just say it's a one-size-fits-all solution, and a solution for the future might be to do random testing and that uh, to get a snapshot on how bad it currently is and then set the social distancing according to that. And that, of course, is for purposes of bringing everything more back to normal where we can and saving the economy somewhat. Keep in mind, if we got all better tomorrow, if this just vanished tomorrow, there would be a big hit against the economy. There's no way to get out of this without a big hit against the economy. The question is how big? The question is, will we, will we be in a depression? Is this going to fundamentally change the U.S. and other countries and, and maybe the world? Our economic system wasn't prepared for something like this. And there could be fallout for a long time. There could also be an incorrect reaction where the attempt to cure the economic woes can be worse than the economic disease, so to speak. 
where the attempted fix makes everything worse and then brings on a depression or then brings on hyperinflation. So we've got to be very careful about that too. Sometimes what you think is helping could end up hurting, especially long-term policies. And this is all uncharted territory. This is something we haven't been through before and we're going to have to make up as we go along and we had to expect the politicians to get this right, which is hard to count on, no matter who's in office. And there's going to be some wrong decisions. And we have to hope that these are not incredibly damaging. And this is one thing we haven't seen yet. They're like People have lost their jobs. People are very concerned about the future economically. But we haven't seen like a major economic disaster over this, other than some people who have money in stocks and have seen that uh, certain stocks just crash big time. But putting that aside and putting aside those that have lost their job and temporarily don't have any money coming in, um, we still have not seen the long-term economic impact, which could really be a disaster. So we have to always keep our eye on that and hope that the leaders of this country do the right thing. And, of course, the leaders in other countries have to do the right thing. The entire world is dealing with this, and some countries worse than others. And any country that doesn't handle this properly from an economic standpoint will also be suffering big time. Some will have an impact that they really can't do much about. Look at these small Caribbean countries where a large portion of their economy is derived from cruise ships that stop there and all the tourism that mostly comes from cruise ships. Do you think they're going to do very well? you think they're going to recover very well? What if cruises don't come back for a long time? How are these countries going to survive? I don't know. They're going to have to adapt in some way, but it may not be very good. They may have a lot of hardships and uh, a lot of real trouble. And then when they do, then the countries which have recovered somewhat then they have to decide how much of their own interests do they worry about or do they take some pity on countries, small countries like that, that are really, really in a disastrous situation economically because uh, their main industry is gone. Do we give them aid or say, no, we have our own problems here. Let's keep the money at home. It's going to be some tough decisions having to be made. Las Vegas itself, that's going to have a very hard time if the casinos don't open anytime soon, and I don't think they will. This is back to the whole thing about crowds. Now, Vegas casinos, they would be ones that would be candidates to be using something like the immunity card method of letting people in. But this is a while away. I don't know how long these casinos can all stand just not having anybody there. And there's been massive layoffs, massive furloughs, and the, they're basically trying to keep on a skeleton crew to keep everything just ready to function again when they reopen. But Vegas's main, main, main industry has been turned off. How long can it remain turned off? I don't know. It's going to remain turned off for all of April. But what about May? It's hard to turn it back on on May 1st when we still have 1,500 deaths a day in the U.S., which is what we'll probably have on April 30th. This is going to be a real tough one. But do not, do not, do not expect to attend any of these events with a lot of people or cruises anytime in 2020. And do not spend your money right now on any things like that. 
And don't spend your money going, oh, they'll, ref- they'll refund me. No. I'll, I'm, in our next segment, which I'm about to do, I will tell you why not to do that and why you can't count on them to refund you. Because they may not. And things have changed. Things are very different than they used to be. And that's another thing to always keep in mind throughout this situation is that so many things have changed. So that brings me to my next topic. And that is what's going on with the airlines and the other businesses which are attempting negative checkoff scams regarding forced cancellations. I'm going to tell you what's happening and I'm going to tell you what you can do to stop it. So first, let me tell you what a negative checkoff scam is. I've talked about it before on this show, but let me quickly review it for those of you that don't know. It's not a popular term. In fact, it's a term that I made up. 30 years ago in college, there was an election that the students voted on, and it had to do with what was called a negative checkoff. See, they wanted to charge a mandatory fee to students going to the student government. And it was ruled, I forgot who ruled, I don't know if it was the school or, or the the state, I don't know what it was, but it was ruled in some way that this was not allowed, that they cannot force students to pay for student government, that they can recommend it, they can suggest it, but they can't compel them to. It's not the same as a registration fee or other mandatory fees for going to college, even a public college. So that, that they could not do this. I was at a public college, by the way. This is where this is going on. Private colleges can do whatever they want. But uh, they had what was called a negative checkoff system. And that was you would get your tuition bill and you would have to specifically check a box to say, I don't want to pay this student government fee. And if you did that, then you could subtract it and send less that amount of money. Whatever it was, $26, whatever. You could you could take whatever that quarter's tuition was and subtract that amount of money and send that in, and it's okay. And the justification given by those who were advocating this system was, look, we, we've done everything we have to. We're assuming that most students want to pay for the student government, and those that feel strongly and don't want to do it, here's their chance to say no. And some people who didn't think about it too hard said, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then... Others said, wait a minute, you're going to have people who miss this, you're going to have people confused by it, you're going to have people who are afraid to do this because they're uh, thinking that maybe there will be some kind of penalty or maybe they're not understanding it, it's just that they, they don't want to risk it over a matter of $26, they're just going to pay what's on the bill. It makes people kind of feel kind of funny when it says, for example, you know, tuition due this quarter uh, $1,200 and you only send in 1174 it just feels weird. If it says on the bill 1200 you send in 1200 You send in 1174 Even if you know you can, it kind of feels weird. Some people just don't want to do it. And some people don't understand it. Some people – there's a lot of ways that people just – if given the choice, they wouldn't pay, but they're not totally sure that they have the choice, so they just pay. Or they don't realize they have the choice. So that's what's known as a negative checkoff system. And there were many who criticized that. There are many saying it should be the opposite way. It should be a positive checkoff system. It should say, do you wish to pay for student government? Add $26 to your tuition. And that argument raged back and forth of which way it should be done, and there was nothing specifically in the uh, 
laws of, of the state of California or the school itself uh, mandating whether it should be positive or negative. It was more of a debate within the school and trying to figure out what the proper thing is to do. I don't remember the result either. <laughs> I just remember that debate. Well, anyway, that fascinated me. Even as an 18-year-old, that fascinated me. I said, oh, wow, that's a good point. I never thought of this before, but yeah, negative checkoff. Wow, I never thought of that as being a way to kind of rip people off while claiming that you're being honest. In case you don't agree with me, let's say that I were to find a way to steal $10 out of uh, a thousand different people's bank accounts. Okay. And then I had these thousand people's current email addresses and I emailed them all. Sorry, I made a mistake. I accidentally charged you $10 and took it out of your bank account through an electronic funds transfer. Uh, if, if you see this on your bank statement, email me back with your info, and I will send it back to you. How many of those thousand people you think would do that? Probably not many. Probably most would say, ah, oh, it's only $10, or they'd mean to do it and forget, or they wouldn't quite understand what I'm talking about, or they maybe would miss the email somehow. And I bet I would clear $9,000 out of the 10000 I stole. Maybe at most 10% would ask for it back, probably even fewer. Maybe even 5%. Maybe 2% would ask for it back. And I couldn't just say, oh, well, I offered to give anybody their $10 back. So no problem, right? As long as I offered to make it right, what's the problem? I couldn't say that because I'm counting on the fact that most won't. And that's what a negative checkoff scam is. A negative checkoff scam is where you rip everyone off on a mass scale, but are willing to refund those who either go through some hoops to get refunded or even just those who ask for it. Pretty much, I've stolen from you. If you ask me to give the money back, I will. Negative checkoff scams work very well for two reasons. One, because most people end up with inaction rather than action. So you get a lot of it by default. And number two, the people who are most likely to complain and make a big deal about the scam you're pulling tend to be satisfied once they are made whole personally. So if they complain and you instantly say, oh, sure, here is it. Here's your money back. That's it. They give up. They don't bother to pursue it anymore because they are made whole. Even if they know we get pulled, they're like, ah, it doesn't involve me anymore. F it. So that's why these work so well, because the ones who are most vocal the ones who are most likely to really raise hell about this happening, once you make them whole, they go away. So these are very, very effective. And they confuse people. They confuse people into thinking, as long as the company makes it good, then who cares? Anyone who asks for it, they're made whole. Hey, seems like they're being honest. No, they're not. Okay, so that's a negative checkoff scam. I've, I came up with a term in the way where I adapted it from a negative checkoff system back in my college applying it to scams. I had never seen it applied to scams before. And when I say a negative checkoff scam, this is a term I came up with. If you Google negative checkoff scam in quotes, if you quote the whole thing, negative checkoff scam, you will see that uh, only poker fraud alert comes up, except there's one other site from like 2014 where someone mentions it, which I wonder might have been a listener to the show. And that's if you do negative checkoff without a space between check and off. I haven't tried it with a, with the space, but really try try go to Google right now. Type in negative checkoff scam, 
in quotes, with no space between check and off, you'll see it's only poker fraud alert, only posts that I've made, except for that one thing I'm talking about from somebody else. So uh, others have said they've heard the term before and they've seen others use it. I'm not doubting that someone else in the world made the same adaptation I did. It's not a huge leap to do, to go from like a negative checkoff system, which uh, I heard about in college, to a negative checkoff scam. But I'm the only one I've personally heard use that term. But I think it's a great term. Well, that's happening right now in the airline industry and with other businesses that are uh, grappling what to do about refunds when things have been canceled. The negative checkoff scam that airlines are doing is they're trying to make people accept credit. Very similar to what we talked about last week with StubHub. They're trying to say, we're just going to give you credit for a future flight for the exact amount you paid for this flight instead of refunding you money. Now, airlines have been under order to refund money for any canceled or uh, changed, substantially changed flight for decades. This is not a new thing. If an airline changes the schedule, you have the legal right to call up and say, no, this flight's no good for me anymore. Refund my money. Or if they cancel the flight, they have to refund your money no matter what and just give it to you. They are not allowed to negative checkoff scam you. They cannot say, here's a credit, and then wait for you to call and bitch about it for you to actually get a refund. They are supposed to just give everybody a refund automatically without any hoops to jump through. If there is a default, the default has to be to a refund, and then they can say, look, if you don't want the refund, you can take a credit where we're going to give you such and such incentive, such as if you take the credit instead, let us know and we'll give you 20% extra, something like that. That's legal. What they can't do is say, you're getting a credit, but if you want to jump through hoops A, B, and C, you can get a refund. That's not legal. The Department of Transportation has scolded the airlines this past week and told them, stop. Stop with these negative checkoff scams. It's not the language they used, but it should have been. They said, stop it. Give everyone refunds. Stop trying to find ways around it. We're giving you one warning. We're hoping the industry self-corrects. If you don't, there's going to be trouble. And what they're referring to here is they're going to start hitting them with huge fines for this. Why are the airlines doing this? Well, a lot of businesses are in survival mode right now. Airlines realize that nobody's going to fly for a while, except for ones who absolutely have to travel somewhere. Uh, Very few people are flying. It's it's been estimated that right now airlines are going with about 5% of the traffic they had at this time last year. Not good for them. Cruise ships, obviously a disaster. They're not even going. Cruise lines are not going. Uh, events, those are not going. So all this revenue that was supposed to come in, that has always come in, that they thought they could count on coming in, is not coming in for all these companies. And they are not built to survive something like that. They they expect this constant revenue coming through. They can't just sit and uh, and wait for themselves to come back. And even worse, now they have to give back money that's already been paid to them, much of which they have spent. See, they're not just holding all the money. They, they're not sitting with that much cash. So when you buy a ticket to an airline, when you buy a cruise for a week, when you uh, buy a ticket to a concert or some other event, what happens is that revenue is then spent elsewhere in the company. They don't just sit on all the cash that they're receiving from people buying tickets to these 
events and services. So when they have to refund everybody in mass, they go, crap, we don't have the money to do that. So what should we do? Well, the best we can do is issue credit. This way we don't have to give anybody back money. At least we don't have to worry about that. We can sit on the money we have and hope to survive this. Or at least we can uh, give as little money back as possible through a negative checkoff scam. If only a certain percentage comes asking for their money, that's fine for us too. And uh, otherwise, they feel like they're in trouble. In fact, some can't even do it, which is why some are delaying you. This is why Norwegian Cruise Lines are saying uh, 90 days, you're going to have to wait for your refund, and you have to jump through all these hoops to get a refund at all. You're just going to get credit otherwise. And I, I don't even know how legal that is for uh, cruise lines. I know about uh, airlines that they, they're not allowed to do it. But I, cruise lines, I'm not sure. If it's not illegal, it should be. But uh, I know they sh- they have to give a refund if you ask for it. I don't know about uh, what it has to default to. But a lot of these companies are doing this because they just can't refund everybody right now. They're, they will run out of money. They just don't have the cash to do it. So they feel they have to do this to survive. Now, should you be sensitive to this? Should you say, oh, well, that makes sense. I shouldn't contribute to the problem. I should I should take the credit. I shouldn't be a jerk. I see what they're going through. If everybody asked for a refund like me, they would go under. I shouldn't do that. I should be sensitive that this is a very, very unusual event that no one could have foreseen and that uh, I'm not going to rub salt in their wounds. They can't even operate right now. Why do I want to take what little remaining cash they have and perhaps be one of the many, many people that combine to make them go under. So maybe I should just take a credit, take one for the team, and figure, hey, I'll use it later. Well, here's why you shouldn't think that way. Number one, your sole actions aren't going to matter. Whatever you do or don't do will not matter. It's not like people are going to see you doing it. Oh, well, okay. This guy did it, so I'm going to do it this way. Too. There's no way you could ever influence everybody to think like you. So even if you're trying to be nice to the airline, trying to be nice to the cruise line, trying to be nice to whoever's putting on the event, trying to be nice to StubHub, whoever, no one's going to follow your example. So all you're going to do is uh, screw yourself, and the same thing is going to happen regarding whatever goes down with that company. The company's not going to succeed or fail based upon what you do. You may say, well, what if everybody thinks that way? Well, everybody doesn't think that way, and there's no way to make them think that way. So don't bother. So in these situations, you should look for what is best for me. Also, an airline is not your friend. I'm sure you've probably realized that in your previous dealings with airlines when they've done things that have screwed you or frustrated you in some way. Airlines are not your friends. Cruise lines are not your friends. Event companies are not your friends. All these companies are, they see you as a number. It's a cold business transaction. And if you don't believe me, see how sympathetic they are to you when they are having good times and when you are having bad times. If you can't afford to buy an airline ticket because you spent all your money on your mom's cancer treatments, are they going to let you fly for free? No, they're not going to care. They're going to say, you either have the money to buy the ticket or you don't. Same with a cruise line. Same with a concert. Same with any of this stuff. They don't care about you, no matter how badly your life is going, no matter how much bad luck you've had, and therefore you should not care about them. You should treat them with the same sympathy that they would treat you if you were having bad times. 
And by the way, maybe you are having bad times. It's not like uh, it's not like everybody's doing great and these companies are struggling. It's everybody's struggling. But even if you're not personally struggling now, you should show them the same amount of sympathy they will show you. And that's a very fair way to handle it. It's it's a cold business transaction. It's it's one thing if your buddy owes you money and he loses his job and and you don't want to be a dick and demand he uh, he pay you the money he owes because you know he needs every cent right now. That's that's you have a personal relationship with your buddy here, but not not with a company, not with a large company. They don't care about you. You shouldn't care about them. And nothing you individually do can affect them. You should never accept a credit because you don't know how long that credit is going to be worth anything. If the company goes under, your credit's gone. That's it. You're done. Furthermore, if these companies really cared about you, why is there an expiration for this credit? Every credit I've seen offered has an expiration. Some of them give one year, like StubHub. Some give two years. Some give three years. But why Why not 20 years? Why not a million years? Why is there an expiration at all? If you take cash, there's no expiration. Once you take the refund, you can do what you want with that money. There's no expiration on the money you receive. It's not like you're forced to go spend that money again on uh, on something similar or with them. You can sit on that cash f- for in, until the day you die and then, and then hand it off to whoever inherits the money from you. So why is there an expiration on your credit when you're doing them a favor by accepting the credit? Why should there be any expiration? You should be able to use this for the lifetime of the company. But they're not even going that far. I'm not even sure why, but I have an idea. I think the reason there is expiration to the credit is because they hope it's just going to expire and they never have to give you that service that you'll have paid and then you'll never get to use it. And therefore, uh, they won't have to have the expenditures associated with you using that service that you already paid for years beforehand. So they're hoping some of this credit expires. And that's why they put some kind of date on it. But the least they could do is give you an indefinite credit that absolutely never expires. That if you want to go redeem it in 2030 and they're still around, you can. You may say, oh, there's some hassle in maintaining this. Okay, it's not big hassle. In the age of computers, it is very, very easy for them to maintain who has credit and who doesn't. Very easy to maintain. And what little effort and expense it requires is the least they could do for anyone who accepts a credit instead of a refund for something that was canceled. But they're not. Why? Because they're still thinking of themselves. They're still thinking of how do we get out of this the cheapest? We don't care if we screw anybody. How do we get out of the cheapest? And and they've thought, okay, give credits and have an expiration for the credits. That's uh, what they're trying to do. It doesn't matter how large the company. It doesn't matter how reputable they once were. StubHub was once very reputable. Not anymore, as you've seen. Uh, the airlines, I know... Airlines have had a lot of criticism, but even big airlines that that don't have massive complaints about them, ones like Delta or American Airlines, United, uh, ones that at least haven't like just outright screwed a lot of people, they're trying this crap. And the smaller airlines are really trying it. So, so don't ever say, well, I'm sure they'll be around. I'm sure they'll stick around. I'm sure they won't go under because they're huge. Oh, I'm sure they'll, they'll honor things. Oh, I'm sure that uh, they're behaving ethically. But they've never screwed me before. Don't say that. It's, it's all different now. They're in survival mode. And it's said that an animal that feels that uh, it's about to die is very, very dangerous. And that's true of corporations as well. That's true of animals, that's true of people, 
a true corporation. If, if something feels like uh, it has to take actions to preserve itself, it will take whatever action necessary is true across the board there. So do not accept credits and know your rights. Don't just believe what they tell you. People have a big problem in the U.S. I don't know about other countries, but I know here in the U.S. A big problem with people just believing what corporations tell them. They get an email. This is what we're doing for you. This is all we have to do for you. Oh, okay. Say most of the people who get it. Or you call up and they tell you that it's their legal right to do it. They'll, they'll tell you things that sound super convincing, but they're wrong. So know your rights. And if something seems to violate common sense, it's probably wrong. That's probably why it violates common sense. So don't accept it. Airlines, get a refund. Get a cash refund. Do not accept credit. Cruise lines, demand a refund. StubHub, well, only in 14 states are they giving refunds. Right now they're refusing. And at the moment there's not much you can do. But... uh with other events, see, somehow at least they were third-party sellers. So that's the their complication is that they've already paid the sellers in advance, and now they got to get the money back from the sellers, and it's not all that easy in some cases. We discussed that last week. But when you've bought something directly from the venue, yes, they owe you the money back. Not your problem if they spent it already. They owe it to you. Press very hard. Be very aggressive. Demand it. And if none of this works, charge it back on your credit card. There are a lot of people afraid to do chargebacks, and I don't understand. Now, you may say, well, but I bought this airline ticket in 2019. I bought this in in June. I can't charge back now. It's been uh, 10 months. Yes, you can. Why? Because when you buy something on your credit card that is a service that is to take place in the future, the timer on when you can charge back starts on the day that they are supposed to deliver the service. So if, for example, you bought a flight that's supposed to be on uh, March 30th and it got canceled, even if you paid for that flight back in June 2019, the date that matters is not June 2019. The date that matters is March 30th, 2020, when the flight's supposed to take place. So if they've canceled the flight and they're either uh, refusing to refund you or telling you it's going to take 90 days or some unreasonable time frame, which, by the way, that's not up to them. That's not up to them. That's important for you to know. It is not up to them how long you have to wait. And don't believe sob stories they tell you. Or if you, even if you believe it, don't accept the sob stories. Oh, I'm sorry, our staffing's not enough to, to handle these refunds. Oh, there's too many refunds. We, we're doing so many things. We're in panic mode here. You have to be patient. I'm sorry. We're, we're trying as hard as we can. Not acceptable. Not acceptable. Okay? You are due a refund, and it needs to be timely. doesn't have to be tomorrow. But it can't be 90 days from now. If they're quoting you 90 days, no matter who they are, charge it back. Not reasonable. They're quoting you 60 days, charge it back. They're quoting you a week, don't charge it back. But then check that they really do it. They're quoting you two weeks, again, fine. But check that they really do it. Quoting you a month, uh, it's kind of marginal. Probably accept it, but check after a month. And the second 30 days hits, go up and, uh, and charge it back. Make sure that the time frame from when the event was to take place until when you plan to charge back is within your credit card's uh, time period. Don't let that period expire. That's another thing that 90 days accomplishes is it puts people out of the time period. So watch out for that too. Remember, the, the clock starts ticking the day that they didn't give you the service that you paid for. 
but if more time from there passes, then and it's different with each credit card, then you're screwed with a chargeback. Also, banks may change their policies regarding chargebacks because they're, they're dealing with massive numbers of chargebacks right now. Right now they're accepting these, but they may have to change their policies, especially if some of these companies never actually give them the money back and go down, then the bank's going to be left holding the bag. So you want to do this sooner than later because the bank may change their policy soon. I haven't heard this is going to happen, but it easily could. The banks may change their policy regarding chargebacks. So you want to make a chargeback sooner rather than later. But don't feel bad about a chargeback. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt your credit. It's not going to get you banned from whatever company you were using. You're not going to get banned from, from their services. They they know why people are doing it. They know people aren't doing it because they're scammers. They're, they're, they know people are doing it because they need their money back, especially people who are out of a job. So nothing's going to happen to you for doing a chargeback. At the same time, you if a company is trying to refund you in a timely fashion, fine, let them do it, but check up on them. And if they don't, just charge it back. The burden of proof is on them. They have to prove not only why they don't owe you the money, but also they need to prove how they are in the process of refunding to you in a timely fashion. If they say back, oh, we're going to give them a refund in 90 days, they're going to lose the chargeback case. So that's not a good answer from them. I went through this myself, not involving the coronavirus, but six years ago, an airline told me it's going to be 12 weeks to get back uh, some money they owed me. I said, uh-uh, charged it back. Credit card company agreed with me. I won the chargeback. They said 12 weeks is not a reasonable time frame to expect a refund. So don't wait. Don't let them give you this 90-day crap. Don't let them give you sob stories about why they have to take 90 days. Oh, we have so much to process. No. No, not your problem. Tell them hire more people. And and believe me, the reason they're not processing the charge back in, in less than 90 days is not because they don't have enough people to do it. They could hire a lot of people who uh, are happy to have any job right now for low wages to do this. The reason that they are uh, so slow is because they don't have the money and they're trying to stall. That's why. So... Charging back is the way to get your money if these companies do not give you a cash refund. By the way, let's say you've bought something on StubHub. Can you charge it back? Yes. Who cares what their policy is? In fact, you have a pretty strong argument because for a long time they have said, if the event gets canceled, we guarantee it, we give you your money back. Now all of a sudden they're like, oh, actually we don't because uh, these are unprecedented times. Sorry. Well, you can say when you made the purchase, this is what you believed. Your credit card company will probably take your side. Again, it's a negative checkoff scam. And what if you lose a chargeback? Nothing happens. You're, it, it's, it's, it's like a free roll. A chargeback is a free roll, honestly. If you lose, nothing bad happens to you. If you win, you get your money back. You don't get charged a penalty. You don't get charged a fee. And it's totally expected that people will be doing a lot of charging back now. Your credit card is not going to cancel you for this. Trust me that the chargeback is a great weapon for the consumer to use right now, and don't be afraid to use it if the companies are either dragging their feet or stalling you or giving you BS about how you have to take a credit. Finally, before I move on to the next topic, do not be enticed by credits that are greater than the amount that they owe you. So if they owe you $500, Don't be enticed by the promise to give you $600 in credit if you just don't take a refund now. Why? Because 
you don't know when you'll be able to use this and you may never get to because they may crash and burn. And then your credit will be no good. So just just take the money now. Don't try to be greedy and take this extra 20% because you may end up with zero. If you really want to gamble, do it. But I would suggest just get the money back. If you have to, by way of chargeback. And do not, do not, do not feel bad as you do it. These companies would never feel bad for you. And that is often how I decide how I'm going to treat anyone or anything in my life. If I feel it would have cared about me, and I'm not talking about animals or something like that, but I'm talking about either people or corporations. If uh, they would not have done for me what I am doing for them now, then I probably am not going to do this. (laughs) And so like someone who I know would have done something nice for me or been understanding if I were in this situation, then uh, if it comes to something I have to do for them, I'll want to do it. If it's someone who I know wouldn't give a crap and would leave me high and dry or a company that would leave me high and dry, then I'm not going to do them any favors. I've even talked before on this show about how uh, if I know someone has stolen from me and I have the opportunity to steal back from them, I will. Why? Because that's what they deserve. And I know some people don't agree with that, but uh, that's that's how I feel. I feel that uh, people deserve the treatment that they give you. Companies deserve the treatment that they give you. And I'm not even saying it's bad for companies not to care about you. If I ran a big corporation, uh, my corporation wouldn't care about you either. Otherwise, I could not have a successful corporation if, if we cared about the sob story of every customer. You can't have that. You, for a large corporation, cannot care of the customers. The customers are uh, cold numbers to you. And that's fine, but then the customers must treat you like a cold number to them. They must treat you like an object that they can discard, that they don't have to care about its feelings or its, uh, its well-being. Sounds cold, but that's that's the truth. That's how they treat you. That's how you should treat them. Uh, so that uh, something to keep in mind because this is this is happening more and more. And if if I could, if if there's anything you get out of this little segment here, charge back and don't accept what they tell you about how you have to accept credit. Don't don't believe anything you're told. And if any doubt, charge back. Trader Risk, are you still with us? I'm here, and I agree. Good. Uh, do you have anything that's been canceled that you're waiting for a refund? No, I don't. You're fortunate. I have one thing. I have uh, expensive airline tickets that I'm dealing with. And um, unfortunately, since I'm not the one who actually booked them, uh, somebody else traveling with me booked them. And they uh, they used a travel agent, which was going to get them some cash back. That's why they did it. And now... Uh, We've got an interesting situation with the the travel agent is, is quoting this 90-day crap. And I'm like, oh, no. So uh, we're looking into – the funny thing with the travel agent is they always quote 90 days even in normal times and then give you your refund like within a week. So I don't know why they do that. But uh, – so now it's hard to tell if they're really going to take 90 days this time or, or take a week. So we're kind of giving the, the, the travel agent a short time to make good within – the time they normally do, regardless of what they say, and then if not, a, tra- a chargeback's coming. But it sucks. You know, like, I just wish, uh, I wish it was just easy and the money comes back. In this type of situation, this is a great time to be selfish. 
It's a great type of situation to be selfish. Not, many things in life, it's not good to be selfish. But with this, it's good to be selfish. Okay. I want to talk about something totally different, and that is gun ownership and the attitude that the U.S. – and when I say the U.S., I don't mean the government necessarily, but uh, the people of the U.S. have about guns. The attitude about guns started to change when the Columbine shooting of the late 90s occurred. I forgot if it was in 98 or 99. It was one of those years. But uh, it was either 98 or 99. And that really woke people up to the tragedy of the spree killing, especially because it occurred against kids. Now, these were high school kids, but they were still kids. They, they were not adults. These were young people who weren't even fully uh, grown yet and were killed by other students. And we hadn't seen anything like that. And since then, we've had a lot of copycat shootings in schools. And it, it, it's very, very sad and heart-wrenching to watch these reports. And every time, there are those who come out and say, this is why we need gun control. This is why we, we can't just stand by every time one of these happens and do nothing and then act shocked when the next one occurs, is the common rhetoric we hear. The problem is, what can you do about this? I mean, there are some changes that could be made, such as uh, better mental health treatment, such as taking more seriously those who seem to be expressing the desire to do such a thing, especially like on social media. There are some steps that can be taken to catch some of these before they happen. But there are some that just occur out of nowhere where there's no indication this person would do that sort of thing. So we could reduce them but not eliminate them. The problem, and I've said this in the two decades that have passed since this has happened, is that there's no easy solution to this, that there are many, many, many guns out there in the United States, and that if you require the guns to be turned in, then the good guys will turn in their guns and the bad guys will keep their guns, which will make the good guy, uh, the bad guys even more powerful because they will know they can break into houses and businesses and, uh, and not worry about anyone on the other end with a gun, which is very bad. The last thing you want is uh, an armed criminal population and an unarmed non-criminal population, and that's what would occur. So there is no easy solution to it. And uh, I know there's talk about They've, they've passed some laws about certain types of guns you can't buy. And even though there's people who are on my political side who disagree with this and think there should be no law against any kind of gun, I can understand those laws. I can understand why certain types of uh, very, very uh, destructive guns that could really be easily used in a mass shooting, that there, you have to draw the line somewhere and say this type of gun just shouldn't be available to the general public. It, it can be used for uh, very bad purposes and uh, it, it just isn't it doesn't have enough positive use to where it should be sold to the general public and I, I know there's those that would argue against this but uh, I can understand that what I can't understand is any kind of full gun control or even gun control where it starts to make uh, weapons for self-defense less practical for example in California they were attempting to make a ban in fact they did pass a ban on uh, guns that have more than 10 rounds. And uh, at first they were trying to make everyone turn in the guns who had more than 10 rounds, then they changed it to, well, if you have one already, fine, but we're not selling you anymore. And and that actually just got overturned. That just got overturned this week, where that's uh, no longer going to be the case. And in California, once again, you can buy 
guns with more than 10 rounds. And there is attempts to ban semi-automatic weapons, which some people go, oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. No, you know what a semi-automatic weapon is? It's a gun that can fire without any action besides uh, pulling the trigger, that uh, you can fire multiple times without having to do anything else, just pull the trigger over and over. That's what a semi-automatic weapon is. And you need that in home defense. If you've got a, a handgun, you don't want to have to rack the handgun every time to shoot again. You're going to be uh, outgunned. What, what you want is a gun you can fire off a lot of rounds as someone who breaks into your home. So if you miss the first one, you can fire again a second round very fast. Or if there's multiple intruders, you, you can shoot at uh, a number of them at once. And anything that delays that makes the weapon uh, much less useful. They actually just overturned the ban on the ten more than 10-round uh, guns in California because there were three cases that were shown in court of women trying to defend themselves from home break-ins, uh, two of whom were killed and one that survived. The two who were killed ran out of ammo. They fired their 10 rounds, wasn't enough, and they were killed. The third woman who had one that was more than 10 rounds shot dead one of the three intruders and the other two ran off seeing that there were still bullets flying in the air. And the woman had not used... Uh, she'd, she'd shot more than 10 bullets, but fewer than 15. So it was showing that the, there were practical cases where two people died, perhaps because they didn't have more bullets, and one probably survived because she had more than 10 bullets. So it was showing that there is a practical usage. This isn't just something like, uh, who would need 15 rounds? Well, we see who needs 15 rounds. Uh, a woman trying to defend herself, and it was, it was also said that she was holding her cell phone in the other hand, trying to call the police at the same time, and that she couldn't even carry around extra ammo with her, that she would be, uh, that wouldn't be practical. So that, uh, why limit someone like that to 10 rounds? People sometimes need more than that to defend themselves, especially against uh, several intruders, which I agree with. I agree with that. And uh, so that was overturned this week. And... Uh, also, something else was overturned related to the coronavirus that gun stores were closed in California because they were deemed a non-essential service and the Trump administration actually overruled that and said it is an essential service and told the California government, uh-uh, it's not going to work, reopen them and California backed down and now they are back open. Many people are trying to get guns right now. There are many, many people who have never owned a gun that are trying to buy one right now because they feel like they are afraid that perhaps as a result of this down the line, there will be some kind of breakdown in society or uh, a lot of people who are desperate for uh, for supplies, who can't get money, who can't get jobs, who are uh, just uh, – uh, they feel all they can do is uh, break into someone else's home and take from them. And uh, there's a belief that people are going to want to defend themselves if this day comes. They don't want to have to wait for that day to come to try to get a gun. So people, there's a lot of people out there who before had no interest in owning a gun and some who were against gun ownership who have changed their minds and now are standing in long lines at the gun store to buy a gun. Gun stores are doing the best business they ever have because of this. A lot of people have changed their minds about guns. I'm not saying everybody. There's, there's plenty of people who are still anti-gun ownership, but Many people who were kind of in the middle or even people who were kind of uh, lightly on the side of gun control have switched. And I think this is going to last after this is over. Even if we get past this without any kind of crime wave or, or need for these guns, like right now crime's actually less than it was before. That's because everyone's afraid to leave their house because everyone has, everyone's afraid of getting the coronavirus. So there's a, and also 
criminals know that everybody's home, so they think if they you know, try to break in a home, there's probably going to be someone there, possibly someone with a gun, so they don't do it. So that's a, so like all that type of stuff is down. That that crime is down. Street crime is down because nobody's on the streets. Car accidents are way down, of course. So the, the, believe it or not, there's actually fewer deaths per week now than there were last year by a lot. Even though we have all these extra deaths in the coronavirus, there's still fewer deaths in the U.S. per week because of uh, these other deaths not happening. But that's not going to last. That's obviously just a temporary thing. Just like uh, crime was way down right after 9-11. But that's not to say we want uh, planes hitting tall buildings and knocking them down every day to keep our crime down. It's the same thing. But I believe when this is all over, for the first time in decades, guns are going to get more of a positive rep. And there's a good reason for this, because up until now, nobody could picture an event where they felt that they would feel more secure with the gun in case there's kind of like a a breakdown of society or some kind of uh, terrible event where they feel that they want this in their home to protect themselves. And now we see one, even though we haven't gotten to that point yet. Now people can see it being realistic that we could get to that point, whereas before it seemed like a a crazy thing you'd only see in a movie. So for two decades, people kept saying, well, look at these guns. All they're being used for is to is people shoot each other in the streets and, and the and, and the spree killers going and killing our kids in the schools. So who needs them? What, what, what use are guns? And it didn't help that the media, which has been very anti-gun for a long time, has been suppressing the good guy with the gun stories. So whenever guns are used for... A positive purpose, such as uh, stopping a robbery, uh, stopping a home invasion, or anything else for defensive purposes where a a bad guy is either killed or deterred because the good guy has a gun, uh, those stories are not covered very much in the media because they don't like that going out there. So, So most of the press you've heard about guns in the last two decades has been terrible. All you're hearing is how terrible guns are. Now a lot of people want them. And uh, when this is all over, there's going to be a lot less. I mean, look at Beto O'Rourke. His whole platform at the end when he's trying to reinvent himself was anti-gun. I'm going to come take your guns. He actually said that. Uh, when this is all over, there's gonna have a, you're going to have a lot of people going, no, you know what? I actually would like to have a gun in the house just in case this ever happens again. Even if we, we're past this and nothing ever materializes with any kind of uh, – crime spree or, or society breaking down, which is most likely we won't have that. But people are going to say, wow, we came too close for comfort. Uh, I'd like to have a gun. We're going to have a lot of that. We're going to have a, a totally different attitude about the Second Amendment and gun ownership. And even with restrictions on, on types of guns, you're going to see the country's going to be a lot more pro-gun than it was before. Whereas uh, for two decades, we were starting to lean more towards the European, Australian model where there was gun control and uh, – Everything seemed fine there, and, and why can't we be like them? These are first world countries who are doing great without guns. Why can't we do it? And no more. That's Now there's going to be a big new argument about why people should have guns, and that's going to be one permanent change you're going to see from this. We're already seeing this with uh, the gun stores being ordered reopened and with the massive lines to get guns and with this recent ruling in California that uh, allows the sale of rounds more than 10, with guns with more than 10 rounds, that that has uh, resumed after a long time where that could not be done. So that you're going to see a lot more of this, and whether you whether you agree with me or not, this is what's going to happen. This is going to be one of the long-term effects of uh, the coronavirus crisis when the whole thing's over. 
and even during it. It's going to be, uh, may sound strange, but, but the coronavirus is going to be good for those who advocate gun ownership. Moving to a different topic, if you have the coronavirus and things start to get bad, and when I say bad, I don't just mean where it feels like a bad flu, or if you're sicker than you've ever been, or you're feeling really, really weak, you're coughing a lot, and it's awful, and I know people, I know people personally, there's, there's radio listeners who've told me they felt like this, and uh, I'm not talking about that, and while that's something that's also really lousy, and scary, too, because you don't know where it's going to go. You, it, it could escalate from there, and you could even die. When, when you, like, once you're there, once you're to that point, you're like, shit, is, is my future in a few days I'm dead? Is my future tomorrow I'm on a ventilator? Like uh, That would be my thoughts 24-7 if I felt like that. But let, let's say you have it, and, and you're, you bridge over from really, really, really sick and uncomfortable to having breathing issues. You, you can't go up the stairs without uh, really feeling winded. And you just you feel you're, you're just having trouble breathing. You're feeling like uh, breathing has become difficult for you. You don't feel like you're about to die, but breathing has become pretty tough. Uh, we've read some stories about people who are in this position, and they go and they say, hey, look, I think I, I'm just about sure I have the coronavirus. I've got a fever that's consistent, I have uh, this shortness of breath very badly, and I, I've had this dry cough, which is, it just seems to be worsening everything. I, I definitely have it. And they're asked, well, uh, do you know anybody personally that you've been in contact with that has tested positive for the virus? Uh, no. Yeah, we can't test you right now, so um, go home and take care of yourself. And people go home. And they get worse and worse. And finally, when they can barely take a breath, they go into a panic and go, oh, my God, I've got, I'm going to die. I better get to the hospital. They get to the hospital, and uh, it's too late, and they die. And their relatives say, well, this is horrible. Why couldn't they even get tested? Why weren't they taken seriously that they had it when they had every symptom that says they have it? Why for this stupid arbitrary reason of whether they had contact with somebody who had the virus? And uh, that's a good question to ask. And that's uh, I think that's a mistake the way some of these localities have been handling it. The reason they're handling it this way is they only have so many tests and some of them are being overly stingy with uh, who they'll test and who they won't. Because you're going to have the hypochondriac showing, going, I think I have the coronavirus, test me. They, they don't want to waste it with these people. But some of them are too stringent with who they test and people who definitely have it are not getting tested and then they don't get the help they need and they're just told to get home, go home and then by the time they finally go to the hospital uh, they're almost a death door and then they die. So what if this happens to you? And what if you are in a place and, and to be honest, I, I don't even know where I live what the policy is. Like I, I don't know if I went to the hospital with coronavirus symptoms whether they would uh, – test me or whether they give me that same BS about who do you know that has it. Nobody, okay, go home. Like I, I'm not sure. And it's kind of hard to find out. But uh, if you have symptoms of the coronavirus and you're pretty sure that's what you have and it's starting to get bad to where you're uh, starting to develop a, a realistic concern that you might die from this. And, and you'll know. You'll know from where it bridges from just feeling very sick and uncomfortable to where you're really getting scared you're going to die. 
and I don't mean to where the point where you can barely take a breath. I mean where it's it's progressing there, and it looks like it's it's on its way to being there. And you really think you need to be in a hospital at this point. First of all, and this this idea came from BCR on the forum, and I think it's a great idea. Everybody by this point knows somebody who knows somebody with a coronavirus. And there's not cameras watching you. They haven't seen who you've been in contact with. So if you're sure you have it, and you feel you need medical care, then, yeah. If they ask you, have you have you been in contact with someone with the coronavirus? Yes. Who? Well, name whoever. You, you don't have to give the name. They're not going to check it. You don't even have to have the name. Um, you know, I, 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 a guy I, I play basketball with, and uh, I don't know his name, but but I heard from uh, other people we play with that uh, that he was tested positive, and then I came down with symptoms shortly after that. That's good enough. They'll test you. You've just got to say yes. You have to say yes. In some cases, have some flimsy story, and that's it. They're not going to do a, a major investigation on this. They're just doing this to quickly determine should we test them or should we not test them. Once you get tested, then you or somebody who's advocating for you, if you're in that bad of shape where you can't advocate for yourself, which you might be, uh, be very aggressive about being treated. Make sure they fully understand how much trouble you're having breathing, even if you have to exaggerate. Now, I don't mean lie, but I mean if you need to say you're having a harder time breathing than you really are, uh, you may want to say so, so they can uh, get you in. Again, don't say this unless you feel you really need to be honestly hospitalized and 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 have them ready with the ventilators in case you need it. And you don't want to be on a ventilator unless you really need it, because uh, that's very, very, very unpleasant. Plus, you're also taking up a ventilator that somebody else could use. So no, nobody's going to want to be on a ventilator uh, just as a precaution. <laughs> that's, that's really a last resort when you absolutely can't breathe on your own, and they'll be able to tell that. But it's a matter of being monitored by the hospital and seeing you know, what your blood oxygen level is and uh, and everything else. You want to be observed by the hospital. You want to be treated. Maybe they give, may give you some medication. Uh, one of the radio listeners who, who did get better from the coronavirus, who was hospitalized, who, who did think he was going to die, they, they gave him uh, not this hydrochloroquine, but they gave him the uh, as, azithromycin and, uh, and something else. They gave him like a corticosteroid, and that... Uh, he, he got better from there, so maybe it helped. Maybe he just got better on his own, but it, he, he did get start improving a lot after that. You want to be in a hospital environment if you have turned very much for the worse. You want to be there. You want them to be able to treat you. You want them to be ready with the ventilators. Do not wait until the very last minute until uh, you can barely breathe, and then you and you realize you may be less than 24 hours away from dying. That's not the time to go in. And the squeaky wheel gets the grease right now. And don't feel guilty about it. This is a matter of life and death, literally. And it, it shouldn't matter. I mean, the, the, the thing is here, there are some very obvious signs that you have it. So if you have these obvious signs, believe me, if you have a fever and a cough and you can barely breathe, it's not something else. There's zero chance it's something else. It's, it's not a, a coincidence that you just happen to have some other illness that's going to go away on its own that's not the coronavirus that just happens to also carry with it a fever, uh, a dry cough, and an inability to breathe. You know what the chances of that? Zero point zero. So that's not the time 
to where you shouldn't get a test just because you didn't directly contact with someone who, who had the, the coronavirus that you know of. If you have it, you have it. doesn't matter where you got it or how you got it. You'll have it. If you have it and you have bad symptoms, they need to test you. They need to treat you. Now, where it's a little less important to get the test, or actually a lot less important to get the test, is if your symptoms are not terrible, but you just kind of like to know. Like I was discussing with someone, the symptoms I have, I was discussing, you know, is it a chance that this is that I have it and I'm just getting mild symptoms? I don't have any of the classic symptoms, but uh, some of the, the symptoms I have are secondary symptoms of it that some people have and some don't. So is it possible I just have it and either it hasn't developed worse yet or this is just as bad as it's going to get and I'm uh, just experiencing mild symptoms, which, which I hope is the case, by the way. I, ho- I hope that is the case, that I do have it, but it's not going to get past what it is right now. That would be great. Probably wishful thinking, but that would be great. So now if there was an easily available test, would I test myself? Yes, I, I would love to know. Would I take up uh, uh, a precious test that somebody else could use right now? No. Why? Because... What if I found out the answer was yes? The only thing different would be I would probably show more care as to going out at all. I probably wouldn't go to this. I wouldn't go to the supermarket anymore. I wouldn't go yeah, like that is where I would change something where I, where I absolutely would never step foot, step foot out of the house. But I'd be doing this for others, not for myself. But as far as for myself, there would be nothing to do. I wouldn't check myself into the hospital. I, I wouldn't need to be right now if it stays this way. So uh, for those people like you shouldn't go and lie about symptoms to get uh, to get tested. But if you know you have it, if you know you have it, then uh, and, and you're having a real hard time to where you think you're probably in the spot where you should probably be hospitalized at this point, or very very close to it, definitely say what you need to say to get tested, and don't feel guilty about it. Because one good thing about this is there are some very specific sy- symptoms where for most people it's pretty easy to tell if you had it or have it, versus you not having it. There are many asymptomatic people, but I haven't heard of anybody who has these three big symptoms, and it turns out, oh, it's something else. I I haven't heard of one case like this yet. Advocate for yourself, and have someone advocate for you if you can't do it, if you're uh, physically unable to, or let's just say you're not good at it, you just aren't good at arguing, or, or kind of clam up when you have to advocate for yourself, and have someone do it for you. And that's perfectly fine, too. You can bring someone with you. They can speak for you. They can advocate for you. But this this is true with healthcare in general, even before all of this. Those who blindly follow everything told to them by hospitals, by doctors, by administrators, and just do everything they're told and question nothing, they are the ones who get the worst care. They are the ones who end up going down what I call the uh, the misdiagnosis rat hole where you are misdiagnosed with something, don't question it, do a treatment you really don't need that harms you, and then that causes other problems you have to treat, and it ends up uh, on a spiral, which impacts your health and can even kill you. I've seen it happen to people before. And some of this can be prevented by just stopping and going, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Stop it, I want a sanity check of this. Stop it, I've got some questions. Or some people who are refused treatment, where you just keep pressing, no, 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 you are going to treat me, yes, you know. I'm not accepting no for an answer. You've got to be reasonable, too. You can't be crazy. But those who advocate the most for themselves are the ones who do best in the U.S. healthcare system. Those who are very passive do the worst. Now, that leads me to my next uh, topic, and it's one we've talked about somewhat before, but I, I want to expand on it a bit, and that is the signs that you have the, vi- the virus or already have had it. 
Because there's some very specific signs. And I think I mentioned earlier in the show, I was on a little community forum and someone was saying, hey, you know, I, I can't smell anymore. It's really weird. My sense of smell is gone. You think it's just a coincidence or you think I have the virus? And I'm like, oh, my God. And I responded, like, please do not go anywhere. Do not go to the store. Do not go anywhere in the community. Please stay home. They're like, well, I don't have any other symptoms. Like, I don't care. Stay home. If you can't smell all of a sudden and you can't figure out why, if you don't have a cold or something causing this, if you just can't smell, you have the coronavirus because that's a very weird symptom. Like, Trader Risky, have you ever had in your life where you don't have a cold and you just can't smell? No, no not smell. I mean, certainly lose, you know, taste for food and stuff when you're sick, but nothing will smell. Yeah, and, and I, I've never had where I've completely lost taste. I, I've, you can have senses dulled, but there are people, like, let me give you a description someone gave on Twitter. A guy went to an Indian restaurant, and he, a guy who liked Indian food, and ordered some food, and it, it like, had no taste to him. And he goes, uh, what's wrong with this food? Do you got, is this, like, really bland? What's going on here? It has, like, no taste. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we, we, we could make it more spicy for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, extra spices, extra spicy, extra this, extra that. So he... Uh, he, he made sure that they just uh, – that he sent it back and gave him a new version that was extra spicy and uh, extra whatever else they used to bring out the flavor and give it more kick. And he described it as eating water <laughs> the way it felt when he tried to eat. It, it had absolutely positively no taste, even the super spicy version. And he's like, what the hell is wrong? And then he got home and learned about the taste thing with the coronavirus and that happens to some people, not everybody. And he's like, oh, crap. That's what it is. So people don't get it to that extreme. If you suddenly have a loss of taste where you can't taste anything anymore, especially if you're not sick otherwise, like everything feels fine except just all of a sudden you can't taste your food anymore. You have the coronavirus. All of a sudden you can't smell anymore, but you don't have a cold and, and there's no other reason you can think of why you, could, you can't smell anymore. You have the coronavirus. Why? Because these are very unusual symptoms. These don't associate with, with, with any other illness I know of. So right now with the coronavirus going around everywhere, if you can't smell, if you can't taste, and you can't explain it, you have it. Even if you don't have the cough, even if you don't have the, the fever, you have it. Stay away from people. If you have uh, a fever, when you never get a fever. A lot of adults hardly ever get fever, myself included. Trader Risky, when's the last time you had a fever? Uh, it's probably been six, eight months. Okay, that's, 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 do you get it like once a year or so, or is it... Uh... Yeah, usually about once. Okay, so for you it's tougher. So you got to know yourself. So for Trader Risky, a fever's, a fever's suspicious, but it's not going to say you definitely have it. I never get a fever, except, like, I, I can't remember the last time. I'm not sure if in the entire 2010s if I got a fever. Like, I, I just don't get fevers. It's been years and maybe a decade or maybe more than a decade since I got a fever. I just don't get them. When I was a kid, I got a lot of them, but, but I don't get them. There's other adults I know that don't get them. So if I were to suddenly notice that I have a fever of 101, they, that would make it a very high chance I have the coronavirus. Not 100% because I could be a flu, but pretty high. It's not like losing the smell or taste. That That's about 100%. The, the, the fever, if you hardly ever get a fever... Very, very high chance. If it is a fever combined with a dry cough or a fever combined with a dry cough and the shortness of breath or a fever combined with the shortness of breath, very, very high chance that you have it. Is there a chance that it's not it? Yeah, a small chance. 
There's a guy on the forum, sometimes listens to the radio show, named Sloppy Joe. And uh, he's 34 years old, he said, and uh, he trolls me sometimes on the forum, but I don't think he's a bad guy overall. And sometimes when we talk seriously, like on the forum, he seems like a, like a normal, decent guy. And uh, he was kind of in denial about it because he had a baby coming. His wife was uh, going to probably have a baby in late March. And he started to feel sick in, I think it was like a March 8th. And then on March 11th, I think he developed a fever. Then he developed shortness of breath. And boy, he tried to explain to himself why it wasn't the coronavirus. He said to himself, well, around here there's a lot of uh, cherry blossoms, and I'm allergic to those, and I get allergies every every spring when this happens. So it's probably that, and the fever's probably something else. <laughs> I don't have a dry cough, so I think I think it's not it. Now, he did go live in the basement, he wrote, uh, while, while this for 14 days. So he wouldn't infect anyone else, especially his pregnant wife. But he was very nervous that uh, maybe his wife's going to have the baby and he can't be there. Well, fortunately for him, his wife had the baby late enough, like in very, very at the very, very end of March, to where enough time passed and he felt better and uh, and he knew it was past and he wasn't contagious anymore and, and he could he was able to be there with her for the birth, which was great. But um, he still was in denial that he had the coronavirus before he thought well i think it was a combination of allergies and the fever i think you know i may have had it but i think i probably didn't i'm like no you had it he said he hasn't gotten a fever in eight years so i said you got a fever for the first time in eight years and you got uh pretty bad shortness of breath not bad enough to go to the the hospital but noticeable right yes okay you had it almost 100 percent, he had it and it even followed the timeline of the coronavirus too he doesn't have the shortness of breath anymore, even though the same uh, cherry blossom trees are blooming. Notice that, too. So, yeah, he had it. Uh, he was only 34, which gave him a much higher chance of not having severe symptoms. So he he had kind of what looks like uh, moderate to mid-level symptoms that kind of felt crappy, but never came anywhere close to being hospitalized. And for that, he's fortunate. And for, he's fortunate to only be 34 when he got it because... Uh, uh, being mid-30s and being uh, around 50, it's, it's a pretty big difference as far as the severity of symptoms you can expect. And that's that's not getting enough attention either. That uh, if you are mid-30s, your death rate isn't that different from people who are in their late 40s. But the severity of symptoms you can expect is very different. Mid-30s, on average, you're going to have mild symptoms. Late 40s, you're going to have like mid-level symptoms. That's on average. Of course, there's outliers. But uh, like someone my age, 48, gets the coronavirus. If you say what's most likely to happen, what's most likely is you're going to get some pretty bad symptoms and start to feel like maybe you're going to get close to going to the hospital but not quite get there and then get better. That's what you can kind of expect. Maybe you'll get lucky and it'll be less than that. Maybe you'll get unlucky, you'll end up in the hospital. Maybe you get really unlucky, you're going to die. So in the mid-30s, what you can expect is going to be kind of like noticeable but mild symptoms and never even get anywhere near thinking about going to the hospital. Again, you can get unlucky and end up in the hospital, get really unlucky and end up dead, and and you can also get lucky and and have like no symptoms or or very, very mild symptoms. But the expected symptoms are, are, they, they go up with age. And already once you get to past 45, then it starts to get more likely you're going to have like mid-level symptoms at the very least. 
But the younger people, the mid-30s people, the early 30s people, they might have a much higher chance of having this be pretty mild. And, and if you look at the poker cases we've seen, Doc Sands, who was 35, had mild symptoms. Victor Romden had mid-level symptoms. He's still recovering, by the way. He's not out of the woods, but uh, he says he's getting a little bit better, which I'm glad to hear. Uh, Andy Frankenberger had uh, mid-level symptoms. So those two guys are uh, near 50. Doc Sands, 35. We got saw a very different way it presented with Doc Sands versus the other two, and that's typical. Uh, so keep that in mind, too. If you're, if you're near mid-30s and you got a fever, when you never get fevers, you probably had it, even if, even if in absence of the other sy- symptoms. If you haven't had a fever since 2010 and you get a fever now and you're 35 years old and you really don't get anything else, there's a good chance you had it, especially if the fever is consistent for a few days. Now, with my girlfriend who has a fever... Never broke 100.5, and in fact, a number of times it's fallen down to normal without her taking any medication for it. That's what's a little weird here. She doesn't take her temperature very often, so she doesn't know if she's like Trederuski and gets a fever uh, for various reasons about once a year, or if it's like me where like a fever almost never comes. And if you don't know that, you don't know that, and there's no way to find out now. But so that's why I'm not sure what's going on with her. And and the truth is, you know, being living with her, if she has it, then I'm probably going to get it or have it right now. And so I have some concern about that. And I know I sound normal on here, but I I think there's a a greater chance I I have the coronavirus right now than I thought last week. Where last week I didn't think I had it at all. Now I think there's a. If I if I got a test now, I I would still bet on the side I don't have it, but. like I, I, if someone said here, uh, would you like uh, four to one odds? Would you bet minus four hundred on uh, you not having it? I would say no. <laughs> I think it's better odds. I think higher odds than that that I have it. So uh, if I do, hopefully this is all it gets to, and uh, and I hope my girlfriend doesn't have it both for her sake and for mine. I'm not worried about Ben. So if you and if you can think back to yourself and you had it before, if, if you've had symptoms in the past that seem to match it, you probably had it. And that doesn't mean totally let your guard down, but just just know to yourself you probably had it already, and you're probably out of the woods now. I envy you if you if you have had it and are done with it. I told Benjamin, I said I wish I was nine again. So I, I usually don't wish I was nine again, but right now I wish I was nine again. Like if somebody independent of this before this all started, if somebody said. We, we can transport you back to being a certain age again. Uh, what would you like to be? I wouldn't want to be nine again. There's just, there's a lot, you know, when you're nine, you don't get any respect and you have to do exactly what your parents say all the time and you have no freedom. There's a lot, a lot of things that kind of suck about being nine. So I, I wouldn't want to go back that far, but I, I would want to go back a good deal younger than I am now. With this, I would say, no, make me nine. I'll be nine. <laughs> so I know if I was nine, I wouldn't get this. I wouldn't get much from this at all. I may catch it, but nothing would happen to me. Okay, let's do a little talk about the Poker Stars Play Money Home Games. They had some requests to talk about that, and in fact, on Poker Fraud Alert, someone posted about their Play Money Home Game, which, by the way, I'm not endorsing this. This is a user on the site who has nothing to do with the site other than being a member here, so uh, this is not something I'm endorsing, but someone who goes by Own Matisau says he's running a, uh, a poker game on Poker Stars with him and family and friends, and that uh, he, he created a private group and was called the Poker Stars Home Game, and that you can settle up later on Venmo or, or, or Cash App, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm 
I'm not going to promote this. I don't even know how trustworthy this guy is. He's been on the forum for eight years. He's only been eight posts. He's, he's mainly a radio listener. And, you know, like, I, I've nothing against the guy. I'm not saying that he's dishonest. But at the same time, I can't say, like, I know him real well. You can trust him. It's just, uh, it was like a $25 tournament on Sunday night. He's advertising, so I wasn't worried this is some big scam. So whatever, I left the post up. Anyway, there, there's a lot of this going on. There's a lot of people who have decided to create private groups on the PokerStars Play Money site, which Americans can play on, and then they just settle up later. Now, you have to have a little bit of trust in those you play with and that uh, they don't stiff you. You have to trust the guy running the home game is collecting all the money. He's not going to just run off with it. If it's a small amount of money, you're probably not going to get ripped off. Of course, there's the uh, there are the small money scammers out there like Brian Wojtek, who... I wouldn't be surprised if he's running one like this and then just disappearing with the money. You have to trust them at least somewhat. And the more money is involved, the more you have to trust the person. Uh, the good thing about this is that uh, you know you're not going to get cheated regarding the gameplay itself. You know, Poker Stars is not going to be rigged in any way. You know that at least a fair poker game will be dealt. And there's no super users and nothing like that going on in the Poker Stars uh, private home games on these things. You just have to trust the people collecting and distributing the money. So should you play these is the question. Well, if you trust the people running them, sure, why not? That's that's what you have to decide. Do I trust the people running the game? And are they collecting the money up front or, or is it possible the people who lose are not going to pay? You, you don't want that situation either. So if you're going to play in one of these things, unless it's for really small money or unless you know everybody really well that they're not going to stiff anybody, uh, make sure you know that the money is collected up front and make sure the guy holding the money, one, doesn't have money problems, and two, is unlikely to stiff you. And if you can be reasonably certain about both of these, then fine, go ahead. You're not going to make big money at these things, but if you want to do this, then... Go ahead and do it. And I've had people asking me, like, where, where's a good place I can run these type of things? And I said, yeah, go on PokerStars. Go to PokerStars.net and download it and just create your own private home game and you can do it on there. So uh, I, I think this is only for tournaments. I don't, I don't, th- I don't know if you can uh, – yeah, I'm not sure if you can do tournaments or cash games. I, I know tournaments for sure. I'm not sure if you can do cash games. Uh, but Whatever. Whatever options it has, if you trust the people running it, that's fine. At least the PokerStar software you know is secure. Just wanted to make a comment about that. I still have a lot of skepticism about the Poker Bros, about the PPPO Poker, about uh, the King's Club and the Neighborhood Club. And everybody, is, as Calwell was saying, oh, my friend runs it, oh, you can trust him. I got this pitch from somebody else, somebody I know from Vegas who plays Limit Hold'em there. They were telling me that... Uh, I'm not going to name that, but but such and such trustworthy poker player is running it. I go, okay, I know this person. They are trustworthy, but they, they're not running it. They're probably just an agent. And the problem is do you, you you have to trust more than the agent. You have to trust the owner. And I'm like, you know, I believe it or not, I was wavering. Like, you have to decide, is the risk you're taking with getting ripped off, is it uh, an acceptable risk? Because that's what the whole thing is about. Even playing on a site like ACR or Bovada, there's a risk you won't get paid. Not a big risk, but there's a risk. So there's always a risk, unless you play on a regulated site like WCP.com. So 
is it an acceptable risk to you? And just just know the risk is higher on those sites that you're being cheated or you're not going to get paid than on Bovada or Ignition or or ACR for sure. And if someone says otherwise, they're lying. And and don't fall for stories like, oh, well, you can trust this person or oh, I'm going to guarantee it, blah, blah, blah. Trust me. These end poorly so many times. So maybe you'll decide it's an acceptable risk and you're willing to accept the fact that this could happen and you just hope it won't. Believe me, these are less reliable in many ways than the established online poker sites. It's your money. You can take whatever risk you like. Maybe if the games are great and you're hearing people are getting paid. By the way, you want to hear about people getting paid who are playing at your limits. Not uh, You don't want to hear from the guy who's cashing out 50 bucks that he got paid and, and, and assume it's okay to play high stakes and expect them to pay you 5000 Like That's a totally different thing. A lot of these places will pay the low man and, and screw the high man because that's uh, this way there's they get the good word of mouth from all the people they do pay and, and, and the people they screw, they can just say, oh, this person cheated and not pay them and get away with not paying them. So it's always tempting to screw someone when there's many thousands of dollars involved. Maybe the games are so good it's worth taking the chance, but you're taking a bigger chance than they are letting on, and keep that in mind. Our last topic about the coronavirus is about Ashley Hine. And I'll admit this is pretty controversial. And I'm not even sure what the correct analysis of this is, if there even is a correct analysis, because I can see it on both sides. This is something that I'm just not sure what the right thing is to do. So Ashley Hine has been on a crusade to put an end to live home games that are still running. This is what she wrote on Facebook on April 1st. Listen up, poker friends. I've had direct messages, and I know of a private game running right now that started last night. You know who you are. Either shut it down, or I will personally find every way I know how to report you to the proper authorities and out you to every single person I know so you're fined and put into federal prison. Wow. You're risking the lives of so many people. I don't take this lightly. I want to play live poker again just as much as the next person, but you're jeopardizing everything and everyone by doing this. She's on a crusade about this. Now, some people are also angry at her that, believe it or not, she was one of the people who came on board later with believing that uh, the coronavirus threat is as serious as it is. And I saw this too that she was one of those who was believing that uh, it was overblown and then at some point abruptly switched her position to, oh, wait, it's very serious. Uh, Everybody needs to stay away. Now, I will say that everybody was like this for the most part. If you think you weren't, uh, think about how you were behaving a month ago on March 4th. Were you social distancing for everybody? Were you staying away from any kind of gathering of people? Were you not inviting anybody over? Were you refusing to come over and, and uh, visit with anybody? I don't think the answer is yes. I think a month ago, you were taking it much less seriously. I will admit I was taking it much less seriously a month ago. Fortunately, I took it seriously enough in late January to stop playing live poker. But uh, there were many other things where I was uh, 
exposing myself a lot more than I have been over the last few weeks. And I think most Americans can say that. So uh, you can't blame Ashley for taking it more seriously now than before, but I will admit that she was kind of later on board with believing that it was a threat, that she had made some posts, which she's since deleted on Facebook, saying that uh, there were people being fear mongers and that uh, they're exaggerating its, its danger to quickly going the complete other side and reporting home games that exist still. But putting aside what some people say is hypocrisy, uh, is it right to report those who are running home games? Or is it really none of our business? Should we be the game reporting police for the good of everybody? Or is it one of these things like just mind your own business and a home poker game is not the same thing as a massive gathering at a casino that the damage a home game can do is not tremendous damage. So should she be snitching on anyone and getting them in trouble? Well, I don't see a clear answer to this, honestly. I can see on both sides. I can see her saying, look, we're all not playing live poker. We all want to play live poker. We're not because we're trying to be safe and... Stop going there and and screwing it up for the rest of us. Stop perpetuating this problem. Yes, your little home game is not going to make or break the coronavirus issue in this country, but this is stupid refusal to cooperate with uh, what everyone's trying to do. And on the other hand, you can say this is going to only be a minor impact at most. There aren't that many of these going anymore. And stopping a snitch. I don't know. If I found out about one going, I I wouldn't report it. I may mention it. I wouldn't call the police. I might mention it on social media or on Poker Fraud Alert. If you have a home game, you shouldn't still be running it. Honestly, the correct thing to be doing right now is minimizing your contact with everybody. Stay at home. Have contact only with those who live with you. And only go out for things you really need to do. And if you do go out for some kind of exercise-like thing, make sure you can do it where you don't encounter other people. Like, uh, they closed a lot of the hiking trails in Southern California. In fact, I think they've closed all of them by now. There's still a lot of people violating that, and there's certain very popular trails where people are just going anyway, and there's still a lot of people, and I think that's unsafe. Whereas, I went to one about an hour before sundown that I knew was very unpopular in the first place and not well-known, And sure enough, we didn't encounter one person. I technically violated the rules, but I I did it in a way where I knew I was not going to uh, expose myself to anybody, and I didn't. Someone who is doing that and and not exercising the caution is they are contributing to the problem, and everybody we're all in this together. So these shouldn't be running. So I see Ashley's point on that, but going as far as trying to, she actually said, if you don't. If you don't stop running these, I'm actually going to report you and try to get you put in prison. I mean, that's that's pretty harsh. She's not even saying I'm going to have the cops come shut it down. She's like, no, I'm going to try to do all I can to get you put in prison. That's that's a pretty harsh consequence. Uh, Trader Risky, how do you feel about this? What's I, I, I'm mixed. I have a mixed opinion about this. How do you feel about this? What Ashley? Hines no, I, I agree with you. I'm mixed too. I mean, you know, 
blowing him up publicly is probably good enough or threatening to call the police, but calling them, I don't know. Yeah, and 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 just not getting involved is fine too. If you don't want to say anything, if you're like, well, I'm not going to go to a home game, but I'm not going to try to be the home game police. I'm 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 going to do what's re- required of me and what's asked of me, and that's it. And and uh, this what everybody else does is not my problem. That's fine to take that attitude as well. You're you're you don't have to be the home game police, and uh, and I'm not going to be the home game police. So that's just something that's going on here, and uh, we will see. Uh, what the results of it? We'll see if Ashley Hine continues with this, or if she lets up, or if and if anyone actually gets in real trouble. I haven't heard of anyone getting real trouble yet, but uh, she seems serious about this. And she's been on the show, by the way, before. If you look for the episode entitled "Asking Ash- Action Ashley," I think is what it's called. It was a few years ago, but she did appear on the show and and came off uh, very well, in my opinion. She it was uh, November fifteenth, twenty seventeen. She came on the show if you want to hear her. I don't have a timestamp, unfortunately, for you. But uh, she was on the show then if you want to go listen to that in the archives. Okay, enough coronavirus talk. Let's give you an update on the Raymond Davis case. Remember Raymond Davis is involved in a criminal case right now? He's sitting in jail right now? Yeah, forgot all about that, didn't you? But yes, Raymond Davis is uh, currently still dealing with the trial over the accusations of sexual assault on two minors. And I've given you updates all the way through February, and then we kind of forgot about it because of a little thing going on in the world. So I'll tell you who gave the update request. Kilgore Trout, and she actually uh, requested an update here, even though she's banned from the forum for some Incidents that happen that I don't want to go into. I've, I've had a few conversations with her privately via Twitter DM about possibly unbanning her. I didn't even remember I banned her IP, but I guess I did. <laughs> it's like I was showing her that I answered her question about Ray Davis, and she's like, "No, I can't see it. I'm banned from the forum, from the my I'm IP banned." I'm like, "Whoops, okay." I don't remember what your IP is, but give me your IP and I'll unban it. And I may unban her completely, but uh, anyway, uh, she requested an update on this and I said yeah okay I think we're all curious about an update I, I totally forgot about it until she brought it up I'm like okay you know what that's a good idea so here you go Kilgore Trout here's your update on March 18th so it wasn't even that long ago there was the first action in this case for quite some time for almost a month the last thing that was going on is Raymond Davis was trying to dismiss his lawyer so he had made a motion to dismiss counsel, and on March 18th, that matter was heard, and the motion was denied. He stuck with his lawyer. This is what it says in the official court records. Record made by the court regarding defendant's health, as his mental health, and the court's discussions with the jail to make sure defendant's getting proper care. I assume it's his mental health, actually, but maybe not. Uh, argument in support of motion to dismiss counsel by defendant. Basically, Raymond Davis saying, this is why you should let me get rid of my lawyer. Also present, Deputy Public Defender Erica Ballou. Colloquy, referring, that means conversation, regarding release of defendant's records. I'm not sure where that's referring to. Continued argument in support of motion by defendant. 
court-stated findings and ordered motion to dismiss counsel denied. Defendant requested an appeal to the Supreme Court, that is the Nevada Supreme Court, not the U.S. Supreme Court, to be immediately expedited. Court requested counsel to speak with the defendant in regards to his concerns. Defendant renewed his request to appeal the ruling to the Supreme Court expedited. So what does all this mean? Basically, he wants to dismiss his lawyer. He filed a motion to do so, and they said, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen. Your lawyer's staying. But they tried to advise his lawyer, look, get together with Raymond, figure out what's bothering him, and try to work this out with him. We're, We're not cutting you from the case here, but we think it would be good if you two could get along. So they they tried to get him and his lawyer together to mend their differences. Isn't that sweet? I don't know if that happened, but Ray Davis is like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to mend my differences. I want him out, and I want the Supreme Court in Nevada to look into this. Now, from there, it gets a little confusing, but it looks from what I can see is a week later it did go to the Nevada Supreme Court and they denied it. So I, I'm not completely sure about that because the language on the website was a little bit weird and it talked about dismissed not denied so I assume dismissed means denied I don't know but and it was like four of them were listed all saying the same thing for I think it was March 26th but that's where it stands so in short not much action but there was an attempt to get rid of his attorney which failed and he appealed it to the Supreme Court of Nevada who looks like they said no and the court wants the two of them to work it out that's where it stands right now, and it's not clear where it's going from here or when the next hearing is going to be. That's the only update I have for you. But I wanted to give it to you and let you know that it's still happening, and Ray Davis is currently sitting in a jail cell, and hopefully for his sake he does not catch the coronavirus while he's there because that has been a problem in jails. Now, he does possibly have a way out here because some jails and some prisons have been releasing people because they cannot contain the coronavirus. It's kind of scary, but they actually are releasing some criminals, some pretty bad ones, because it's been determined that it's violating their rights to leave them there where they're just going to catch it. So if they have a big coronavirus problem, they can't get it under control, uh, some people are being released. So that could happen for Ray, I guess, but there's been no talk of that occurring. Just mentioning it's a possibility. He would be one you'd think would be a candidate for that because, look, he went three years without being arrested over this and they knew about the crime that was alleged. So uh, I, I could see them releasing him, especially with an ankle bracelet or something, if, if this was a problem. But I haven't heard any talk of that in the jail he's at. But it's something that could happen. Maybe that's the health issue they referenced. You know, it, it's possible. It is possible because this was on March 18th. This was kind of just as the real concern about the coronavirus was ramping up big time. It was right around that time. It was that week. So maybe Ray Davis already thought of that. He's like, man, I think I got the coronavirus. you got to get me out of here. <laughs> so they're like, uh, okay, we're going to make sure Ray's getting the proper care and he doesn't have the coronavirus. What if he does have it and that's what he's trying? Maybe he has the coronavirus and he wants to be released for that reason. And they're like, no, 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 we'll give you the proper care. That would be weird. Okay. Well, uh, for those of you that are fans of Kilgore Trout, I'm, I'm with her, I'm like open to bringing her back if we can get past uh, the issue from last time, which I won't even go into. There, she has certain fans on the forum who would like to see her back. We'll see. But I, I felt at the very least I could follow up on this because she brought up a good point that it needs to be 
addressed. We can't just forget about the Ray Davis case just because there's a coronavirus in the air. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Caesars. But uh, first, we're going to talk about Caesars not in the U.S. or Canada. We are going to talk about the U.S., the Caesars that's in the U.K. Now, I was not aware of the fact that Caesars owns properties in the U.K., but apparently they do. If you go to Caesars.co.uk, which is kind of their version of .com over there, Caesars.co.uk, you will see a list of casinos that they have. It says, you will find Caesars casinos in 12 locations across the UK. Let me start this again. You'll find Caesars casinos in 12 locations across the UK, Egypt, and South Africa. The casinos are as follows. The Empire Casino, The Sportsman, Playboy London, Manchester 235, of course there has to be a Manchester one, Alia Nottingham, Alia Glasgow, Rendezvous South End, Rendezvous Brighton, Ramses Cairo, that's in Egypt, obviously, the Kings and Queens Cairo, Caesars Cairo, and the Emerald Resort. I had no idea they had them in Cairo also. Wow. I had no idea, but I had no idea they had these properties. How How did I not know this? But yeah, they have these properties. And they also have a uh, a rewards program over there, except it's not the same as the one in the U.S. This is Caesars Rewards UK. And I believe, even though it operates in a similar fashion, I don't believe it's uh, compatible. And it really operates in a similar fashion. They have Gold Caesars Rewards UK, Platinum Caesars Rewards UK, Diamond Caesars Rewards UK, and Seven Stars Seven Rewards U- Caesars Rewards UK. And the cards look the same. The only difference is it says UK on there. And I believe this applies to their casinos also in uh, Egypt and the third country I'm forgetting right now. I believe it's all Caesars Rewards UK. And there's a reason it doesn't just say Caesars Rewards. It's a separate rewards program, which is uh, just very, very similar. The reason I'm talking about this, aside from finding it uh, interesting that they even have this, is that uh, they're in hot water about this. They're, They're in trouble. They got fined. They got fined £13 million by the Gambling Commission for failure to relate VIP schemes uh, or for failures relating to VIP schemes that perhaps might be banned soon. So what's happened here is that three senior managers at Caesars Entertainment are going to lose their license to run a gambling business that's going to be taken away from them by the UK. And this is because of their attitude about problem gambling. The UK Gambling Commission has been under fire lately that it's pretty much a joke and that uh, the casinos they claim to regulate are running over them and that they have very little power. They pretend to have power but really don't. They were accused of being too weak and there was a report that came out showing that they were being outmuscled by the gambling industry and that they couldn't really protect anyone. So now the, this is them trying to overcorrect and show that we really are in control here. See, we're not being outmuscled. Watch us flex. We're going to flex and go pow. You just got hit with a 13 million pound fine. What do you think of that? 
If we were weak, could we levy a £13 million fine and take away the licence for three executives? Could I? No, we could not. So clearly we're in control here, is what they're trying to say. Another uh, company called uh, Betway was also forced to pay £11.6 million in March. So the UK Gambling Commission is really trying to show... No, 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 no. We're not a joke. We we actually take action when violations occurred. Now, the violations we're talking about here are what's referred to as a series of serious systematic failings in its treatment of VIPs who are typically offered perks to inspire loyalty because they bet and lose large sums. So basically they're saying that they have a VIP program that is meant to draw in the whales and give them perks for betting a lot of money. No, you don't say. I I had no idea casinos do this. Can you believe that people who bet more and bet higher get better perks at casinos? Well, that's news to me. I had no idea they ever did that. Wow. I mean, this is absurd. I don't know. That's a really weird thing to focus on and find someone. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be a Caesars defender here, but uh, of course that's what they do. And But they're thinking of just making Caesars UK total rewards illegal. <laughs> it says, The regulator found that Caesars was guilty of, of uh, systematic failings in its treatment of VIPs. The failures included allowing a customer to lose £323,000 in a year, despite clear signs of uh, gambling addiction, such as playing for five hours on more than 30 occasions. Hold on here. Over a year's period of time, the guy played for more than five hours on 30 different occasions. Okay? So that means, on average, once every 12 days, he played more than five hours? I know many degenerates who put that very, very, very much to shame. (laughs) Now, the 323,000 pounds he lost, which is uh, more than that in dollars, I think it's probably closer to 400k in dollars, in a year, that's a healthy sum of money. That's a lot to lose gambling, I will admit that. But it doesn't say how rich the guy is. Uh, there's plenty of people who lose that in a year of gambling, and if they can afford to lose it, that's actually not terrible. I'm not saying that's a good habit to have, to lose 400k a year gambling. But if, you, if you're worth many millions of dollars, that's, that's not a killer. And, again, this is nothing compared to what a lot of people lose. There's many people who lose 400k in a weekend at Caesars Properties in the U.S., this this one terrible case they're citing is a guy who gambled more than five hours on 30 occasions in a year's time and lost about 400,000 U.S. dollars in that time. Big deal. I mean, if that's the worst you can cite, it doesn't sound like they have a big problem there. You, you, you'd think that we'd be talking about a guy, a, a, a gent who's coming and uh, he's losing $400,000, sorry, 323,000 pounds every week. And they're not stopping him. That might be more justified. But 323,000 pounds in a year? If that's the worst one? I don't think that deserves a fine. Another customer who is known to have signed up to self-exclude from gambling was allowed to start playing again, losing over 240,000 pounds over a 13-month period. Okay, that one I agree. That one, if they're they're allowing people who self-excluded to come back... Now, maybe there was a lot of time in between the self-exclusion. There, There is a time period where you can come back. 
So it doesn't say that. But if he did come back pretty soon and then chunked off 240,000 pounds in a little more than a year, okay, that should be a violation. There should be a fine about that. Uh, another person, a self-employed nanny, told Caesar she had spent her savings and was borrowing from family and using her overdraft to gamble, but the company still allowed her to lose 18,000 pounds in a year. Okay. 18,000 pounds in a year. Now that one especially. Yes, she's a nanny and she's not making big money. I get that. But at the same time, it's 18,000 pounds that she lost in a year. That's about $22,000. Again, not the best to lose if you are working for not very much money. But if these are the big gotchas they're quoting, the only one I think was the real problem is the one that involved uh, the guy who self-excluded that they allowed to come back and lose a bunch of money. But if a a nanny decides to gamble $23,000 in a year and lose it, that's not very much at all. You could lose that playing low limits regularly. You could lose that playing mid-limits in one weekend. These these are the the ones they're citing? We must take swift action. If a nanny loses 18,000 pounds, it's a a downright tragedy. I mean, I I don't get it. Uh, How about this one? A retired postman also lost 15,000 pounds in 44 days without being properly asked for identification of the source of his funds. Yeah. Make sure to ask that guy who's losing 15,000 pounds, which is less than $20,000 U.S., uh, over a month and a half, uh, where did you come up with 15,000 pounds? That's a tremendous sum of money. We want to know, where could you get that, so- that sort of cash? I mean, come on! $20,000 in a month and a half, they're gonna, they have to find out the source of funds? That's not what source of funds is supposed to be at. Source of funds is supposed to be at when a dude shows up with suitcases full of big money and gambles it, and you're supposed to find out that He's not using this to money launder. So if a guy shows up and, and buys him for three million bucks and plays high stakes blackjack and then cashes out, that could be suspicious. It's money laundering. So you, you, that's when you try to trace down source of funds, ask him where he got the money, and if he can't prove it came from a legitimate source, then ban him and report it to the government. That makes sense. That's what they're supposed to do. Not a, a postman who, who comes in and loses uh, 15,000 pounds over a month and a half. I mean, it's absurd. So this really does look like they're just trying to flex their muscles and find Caesars to show that they're strong. These are the cases they're citing. They're just really grasping at straws here. Now, there was a money laundering accusation that they failed to check on the source of funds of someone who wagered 3.5 million pounds in three months. Okay, that's a good one to cite. Why are you mentioning the postman? The postman losing 15,000 pounds... That's fine. Maybe he shouldn't do it. Maybe he's making some bad life decisions. But look, that's not a large sum of money to lose in a month and a half. 3.5 million pounds in three months, that's that's a large sum of money to lose. And they didn't check the source of funds for 3.5 million pounds. Okay, I'm with you there. Then there's also a politically exposed person, which we refer to colloquially as PEP. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. A politically exposed person referred to as PEP who lost 795,000 pounds in just over a year. In money laundering rules, a PEP is someone who is at higher risk of being involved in bribery and corruption by virtue of their position. I don't think we have that in the U.S. that 
certain people need to be investigated more than others because they are in politics. That's interesting. We probably should have it here, but uh, I don't think we have PEPs here. It's only a UK matter. The Gambling Commission Chief Executive Neil MacArthur said the incidents were extremely serious. Says, quote, in recent times, the online sector has received the greatest scrutiny around VIP practices, but VIP practices are found right across the industry, and our tough approach to compliance and enforcement will continue whether a business is on the high end of or online. I know I switched accents in the middle, but too bad. I like he says the VIP practices are found right across the industry. That's, that's such a British way of saying it. They left the word right. Now, Caesars Entertainment did acknowledge they did some things wrong. We acknowledge we fell short of our standards and accept the settlement reached with the British Gambling Commission. Since discovering, immediately addressing, and reporting deficiencies in 2018, we have enhanced our compliance policies and procedures and are complying with the license conditions and commission's guidance for best practice. We are confident of the, of the efficacy of our compliance initiatives going forward. Or to tell you the truth, um, we were very aware we were doing these things, but uh, everyone was looking the other way. We bribed the right people, and uh, now they've decided to act tough with us, so we must act as if we've just discovered our wrongdoing and uh, that we're as outraged at ourselves as they are at us, and we're going to correct things at lickety split. So they are looking at also reviewing the VIP schemes of GVC, which owns Ladbrokes, which also is the subject of similar criticism. So they're, they're really trying to clamp down in the UK of, of this gambling. But I, I think I'm going to give you guys some advice there at the UKGC. A focus on the big fish here. Focus on the PEPs who are losing uh, 800,000 pounds and the money launderer who's losing 3.5 million pounds in three months. Those are reasonable people to focus upon and reasonable failures to call out on the part of Caesars. Leave the rep- retired postman alone. Let him lose his his uh, nest egg if he wants. You don't have to check the source of funds of a retired postman losing 20K. I'm sorry. Let the guy lose his money in peace. It's interesting that they want to do away with the VIP scheme. Uh, this is a case of doing something that feels right, but actually is wrong. By killing the treatment of VIPs where they get extras, all you're doing is taking away from the VIPs. You're taking away free things they get. Now the VIPs have to spend money for their hotel rooms and their and their food and everything else. If you if you do away with what they're getting, now you could say, well, yeah, but they're enticing them in with free play, blah blah blah. But this doesn't work. These people are gambling addicts. They're going to come back anyway. So all you're doing is hurting the people who are at least getting a little back for all they're losing. You're taking that away from them while they're still able to gamble. The banning VIP programs is not the right solution. That is never the right solution. Now, what would be the right solution with the VIP program is to make sure that things are done fairly. Like, if they were to make a rule that in any kind of event where there's some kind of drawing, that everybody has the same chance that people can't earn a ton of extra entries to where everybody who doesn't earn many entries at all uh, has almost no chance to win. Like, I would love to see that reform to where these type of contests can't exist unless everybody's got a fair shot at it. So those type of things, I think, are good rules to have, but banning VIP programs is stupid. And again, I think it's just the UK GC trying to make themselves look like that they actually have power when people have said they don't. 
Another Caesar story I'd like to give you from back at home in the States. Remember the merger with El Dorado? Remember that was happening? I bet you forgot about that too, didn't you? Well, there's supposed to be a merger with El Dorado, and uh, it was going to take on the Caesar's name, but El Dorado was going to be the new majority owner. So it was going to be called Caesar's, but it wasn't going to really be Caesar's anymore. It was going to really be El Dorado. And then we haven't talked about this in a little while, and now people are wondering, is this really going to happen? It was a $17.3 billion merger between the two companies, and uh, it had not actually gone through. It was in the process of it, but it's not final yet. Well, then we had the coronavirus, and then we had the shutdown of the U.S. casinos, and... Now, the stock prices have plummeted big time. El Dorado shares lost 91%. And Caesar's shares in that same period, the same month-long period, lost 78%. So obviously that does change the picture somewhat. So some believe that this means the deal is not going to happen. However, Deutsche Bank gaming analyst Carlos Santarelli said otherwise in a research report that he published on Tuesday. He said too much is being read into the stock market, which is creating a narrative that is incorrect. He said this, in turn, has led many to believe the deal isn't going to come to fruition. He said, we believe it is difficult to expect the transaction to close while our casinos remain closed. But he said that the bank financing for the merger is committed, and we don't see the banks backing away. He said liquidity right now is not an issue, that El Dorado drew down more than $480 million from its credit facility last week to boost its balance sheet, and uh, that they would be forced to pay Caesars $836 million if the deal were to fall through. Some people don't know that, but yeah, there's a penalty if the dealer does, deal doesn't go through. And that $836 million is so steep that that is what he says the biggest motivating factor to move forward with it. <laughs> and a key reason why we believe that it's likely that's what El Dorado will do. So it's one of those things where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, but you're more damned if you don't. So if they could get out of this without any penalty, El Dorado would probably say, yeah, we're not going to do this. Goodbye. But they can't because they'll have to pay Caesars an $836 million parting gift, and therefore they're going to have to hold their breath and do it. This was the largest deal ever struck in the casino industry, and it's still looking like it's going to happen. Of course, it's not certain. But uh, El Dorado would be hurt so much by this $836 million uh, fee that uh, they're really looking to make it occur. Now, remember what I said earlier in the show, that casinos could remain closed for a very long time. I said any event, including casinos, that uh, anything where a lot of people get together could end up being closed for many months and maybe through all of 2020. Now, I think with the casinos, 
that would have to be an action by the federal government. The governor of Nevada, I can't see going along with that. It's one thing to extend the closure through the end of April, but uh, I don't know how much more they could go without completely devastating Nevada, and the governor at some point is going to say, F it, we got to reopen and uh, put some social distancing rules in place and hold our breath and hope everything's okay and hope the federal government doesn't say no. I think that's what's going to occur, but I don't know if they're going to open. The federal government may say no. The federal government may say, no, you can't. We have to get control of this. No. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And if they just can't open through all of 2020 or most of 2020, then that could make this deal fall through, and no one's really considering that right now. So we will see. Now, before all this was an issue, there were some things going on behind the scenes. Vici Properties, which is not related to Veni VD93, by the way. Vici Properties, which is uh, a spinoff from Caesars that basically owns Caesars Properties and leases it back to them. They also are uh, involved in this whole thing. They raised $2.5 billion in January 2020 to purchase the properties that are operating under the Harris brand in Atlantic City, Laughlin, Nevada, and New Orleans for a combined $1.8 billion. So they anything called Harris in any of those areas now belongs to Vici properties, but they only own the physical properties. They do not own they're not actually running the casinos. And Vici was planning to lease these back to El Dorado for an annual rent of $154 million per year once the deal closes. And this would be $154 million total for all these Harris properties. Vici also is going to have uh, some issues here. And at the moment, uh, they're seeing if this deal is going to close or if there's going to have to be some modification given the situation that's going on here. Also, if the whole deal with uh, El Dorado doesn't come to fruition, then they're going to have to redo all this. A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here. And so it's not a certainty that this is going to happen, but at the moment, because of that penalty, it is assumed that merge is still going to go through. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is our number. We're almost done with the show, but I do want to read some text messages we've received from the 530... This is Anthony just listening to your show. Do you think air and hotel points system is in jeopardy? I've been saving my points for a vacation someday, but now thinking about spending them on merchandise before I get scooped. Great show, by the way. Well, thank you, Anthony. Well, that's a good question, and it's funny, Anthony, because I just had that thought for the first time today. Shortly before I did this show, I looked at my American Airlines mileage balance and it was pretty high not as high as some people but i have a um thousands of dollars worth of miles let's just say that and i thought oh shit what if american airlines just like crashes what if my points just go away what if they decide they have to zero everybody's points just because the the only way they can survive like i i started worrying about this like is there a way my points will just go worthless same with my hotel points i got an email from hilton i thought about the same thing So, uh, what's my answer to this? Well, are they in jeopardy? I'd say a little bit. Should you go shoot them off on merchandise? Probably not, at least not yet, because you're going to get poor value. 
the best value you can get is by booking flights in advance, like well in advance through their portal. And you can get the best value, especially with American Airlines. Their miles are worth the most if you do it properly. And hotel points, it you have to be careful that you don't waste those, that you spend them wisely. The best time to use them is like during popular weekends where the hotel doesn't realize it's a popular weekend on their system and you can get it for the regular price and points. Sometimes hotels are also... Uh, not priced properly in points compared to how much they are charging in dollars, so that's what you should wait for. But, again, could these be zeroed? Yes. Could these companies go under? Yes. At the moment, I don't see it happening because what's going to happen? Well, when everything comes back, people aren't going to jump on an airplane. They're not going to jump to go to a hotel because they're still going to be a little skittish. Like, what if they're still... a risk. You may get some initial bump of people who just are stir crazy and feel like they have to do something who do stuff like this, but then you're going to have this lull where people aren't quite sure they want to do it again. They want to wait a little more time to make sure it's all okay. And the hotels and the airlines are going to have to entice people to start doing this again. So I think the last thing they want to do is piss everybody off and say, oh, uh, Come back, but uh, we zeroed your points. Sorry about that. You know that uh, 300,000 points you saved? That could get you a lot here. You've been waiting for the, a great vacation to use your points on. You've saved for 20 years. Uh, you now have... Zero point zero. But by all means, come back. I think they're going to want people to feel like they want to return and not place this hurdle there that's going to piss people off. However, if these companies crash, then yes, the points can vanish. Now, it's also possible they'll crash and the points won't vanish. It's possible they'll be bought by another company that hasn't crashed and that they will honor or convert the points. That's more likely. I don't think that it's really high chance that the points will completely disappear. Even if there are some mergers, I think the points will survive because they're trying to bring people back. So I wouldn't shoot them off. Now, if the points do disappear, don't blame me and say you encouraged me to keep them on uh, April 4th, 2020. And I did, and now they're worth zero. And I could have had thousands of dollars worth of uh, merchandise. Well, I will understand if you're irritated about that. But don't get mad at me. I'm just giving my opinion as to what I think will happen. But, uh, of course... You are an adult, and you can make your own decision. So if you want to spend your points, your airline miles, on on getting uh, an old-world globe that opens up to hold beer, which does exist, there is such a thing you can buy called an old-world globe bar. Look it up. If you you want to spend your points on that instead of flights, go ahead. At least the old-world globe bar won't disappear if the airline crashes. But uh, you may want to wait, because they're going to have to find a way to bring people back and. Getting everybody angry is not the way. I got a text from someone with a screenshot from Chicago, uh, from a Macy Kilman. She's not the one who tweeted me, but uh, it's a screenshot of her tweet saying, listening to the scanners, and some guy called the police and asked how much a fine was and if he could pay in advance because he's going to have a wedding with 250 people tonight. (laughs) That would actually be a good prank call. 
I should have thought of that. I should, I should have made that prank call tonight. <laughs> Called up and asked, how much is the fine? I'm just going to have a big wedding and I'll pay it. Chris, I, I don't want to harass the police at this time. Probably, you had to call the police about this. I don't want to prank call the police. But it would be funny to say, you're willing to pay the fine. How much is it? I'll drop the check off. That's kind of funny. I don't know if the tr- story is true. It could be a hoax, but kind of funny. Okay, uh, let's get to the last uh, last topic. Let's look at the chat room. Any update on the blood pressure medicine? Yes. Um, the update is there's no update. The update is they're still working on studying whether blood pressure medicine helps you or hurts you in your vulnerability to the coronavirus turning into severe problems. There's some research saying that the ACE inhibitors and ARBs, things ending with Artin or, um, what's the other one? Evere, I think. There's the argument that this protects you from bad effects of the coronavirus, and then there's the argument that it increases your chance of getting bad effects of the coronavirus, and it still has not been determined which is correct. And the guy wrote in the chat, well, shit, in response to what I said. Yeah, that's my reaction, too, because I take the medication as well. And my blood pressure is rising back, and it's it's pretty much back where it was before. I've got a diastolic blood pressure of uh, well over 90 now, sometimes even as high as like 96 when I take it, which I'm not happy. The systolic one, the, the top number, uh, I haven't seen it hit 150 yet, but I've seen the 140s a number of times. That's not where I was when I was taking the medication. I, I've cut out only the losartan, but that I need three things together, and taking away the losartan makes the, the other two kind of useless. So, yeah, I'm a little worried that uh, what if I'm dropping something that could be protecting me, or even worse, since it has been found that people with high blood pressure problems are more susceptible to serious coronavirus symptoms. What if a factor holding it down is bringing your blood pressure down, and what if I'm not doing it? So I've thought about it, but I've also thought, but I don't want to start again and and make myself more vulnerable. So I decided inaction is probably the proper decision at this point. This is my personal decision. Inaction with these blood pressure medications is probably the right decision for me rather than taking something that could be possibly bringing on a higher susceptibility to me. And as far as the blood pressure itself being unhealthy, it is, but I don't plan on doing this for long enough to where it's going to cause a major problem. The type of high blood pressure I have, the 140 over 90-something or 150 over 90-something, is something you don't want to go on with for the long term, but in the short or medium term is not likely to be dangerous, especially in your 40s. I don't know this uh, this person who is uh, in the chat room how old they are. They said I don't take it myself, but my dad does. Okay, well, your dad might be a different story. First of all, there's a decent chance your dad has a lot higher blood pressure than I do. A lot of times, older people have dangerously high blood pressures where if they don't take it, if they don't take their medication, the pressure rises very high, and that becomes short-term dangerous, much more dangerous than whatever additional risk they have from the coronavirus. So uh, if your dad's unmedicated blood pressure is you know, 170-something over 100, then, yeah, he should get right back on it if he quit. 
if your blood pressure is at dangerous or close to dangerous levels without the medication, 100% take the medication. If it's like what mine is, where it's not good long-term but not short-term dangerous, then it's kind of a toss-up what you do. So I'm not taking mine, but if mine was higher than this, I would be taking it. If mine was lower than this, it'd be a no-brainer, don't take it. Or not quite a no-brainer, but definitely I'd be much more on the side of don't take it if my blood pressure was like 130 over 85. Mine is high enough now to where like there is a downside to not taking it, but I don't believe there's a short-term downside. And I've spoken to doctors about this too. Now keep in mind that doctors will often just tell you the safe answer because they don't want to get sued. So if something has not been proven, as this hasn't, it's much easier for them to just say, oh yeah, keep taking your blood pressure medications. We've never proven that this makes you more susceptible to bad coronavirus symptoms. And this way, if you keep taking the medication, if you die of the coronavirus, well, oh well, you know, some people do. But but uh, if you get off the medication and you die of a stroke or a heart attack, you can claim it's because you went off the medication and, and, and sue them. So that's what they don't want. But if you're getting an honest answer from someone who knows you're not going to sue them, like a family member or a close friend or whatever, you're just asking for advice, they'll probably tell you it's a toss-up. Articles about this are trying to direct people to keep taking the medication because they don't want to put a, they don't want to quantify it. They don't want to say, well, keep taking it if your medica- if your blood pressure is this high, but not if it's this high. Because then, well, what if yours is a tiny bit higher? Then what do you do? So they, they don't want to do that. Then they don't want to, they also, they don't want to put themselves uh, out there as far as uh, being responsible for people's deaths because they stopped taking the blood pressure meds. So since it hasn't been proven that it's dangerous, uh, yeah, just keep taking it. It's a lot easier to say that than stop taking it. So this is one of these things you got to determine for yourself what you think is the right thing to do. In my personal opinion, as a non-doctor, I think that not taking it if your blood pressure is not short-term or not long-term dangerous is the correct move, but not by a lot. It's a close decision. I, I looked for an update the other day, and basically the update was we're still looking into it. So no new real info on that. Okay, so let me get to the last topic. Trader Risky still with us for the last topic? I'm hanging on by a thread. Okay, well, that's good because this is not going to be a long topic. Uh, this is about Miami and a war that they are having involving a poker and highlight casino, which was proposed there. And this is kind of interesting to me because uh, this shows you how there can be a lot of controversy whenever they attempt to bring new casinos or even just new poker rooms to certain cities where you'd think that uh, yeah, you think most people wouldn't object, but yeah, there are objections. Miami has an area called Edgewater, and Edgewater is kind of like directly west of Miami Beach. The very northern part of Edgewater is one of the three roads which goes from the mainland of Florida onto the uh, uh, island that Miami Beach is. Uh, Some of you who don't know Florida very well don't realize that Miami Beach has this geography. But if you look at it, Miami Beach is actually, uh, well, it's it's almost an island. I, I, I 
called it an island. It's technically not. It's technically a peninsula, but for the most part, it looks like an island in that uh, there's four ways to get there. You can come from the north where uh, technically it's connected to the rest of uh, Florida, but a very narrow strip. Then there are three ways to come from the west, from you know, which is the southern part, the central part, and the northern part, all from the mainland of Florida, the mainland of Miami. And uh, there's the 195, which is in the center. There's the 934, which is in the north. And then there's the A1A, which takes you to the south and brings you to South Beach. A1A, by the way, is what made it into a Vanilla Ice song. If you remember the A1A in Ice Ice Baby, that's what it's referring to, that uh, road that takes you from the mainland part of Miami over to South Beach. Edgewater is mainland Miami, just south of the 195 that takes you over to Miami Beach. So in Edgewater, there is a proposed casino that is going to house poker and highlight. High lie is actually a sport that people bet on, and it's it's it involves guys like throwing a ball against a wall and catching it. And I actually forget the rules of high lie. I once knew them better when I was a boy. They used to have a high lie in MGM Las Vegas, which is not the MGM Las Vegas you know today. Now that is called Bally's. Bally's was once MGM. That was where the big fire was. And in the early 80s, they had highlight there that you could bet on. And my parents took me there, I think around like 1982, and I was a 10-year-old. And I, I really enjoyed it. I watched highlight. I, I thought it was interesting. I liked uh, you know each of these guys. It's like an individual competition, and each of them had a number. You'd bet on one guy beating the other, and there were odds based upon how skilled of a player they were. Uh and of course, I, I didn't know anything about the individual players, but as like a 10 year old, I'd watch them play and I go, oh, you know what? This guy kind of sucks. <laughs> I think the next time he's going to lose and I'd bet on him. Uh, I probably wasn't a, a positive expectation highlight gambler, but it, but it was fun. I actually remember winning. I'd have my parents go bet a dollar for me or something. They bet on this like low limits too. But I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed both betting small amounts of money on it and watching the game itself as a 10-year-old in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand, which is now Bally's. But they want to build Highlight in... Uh, I, I know they have Highlight already in the Miami area. In fact, if you watch the opening theme song to Miami Vice, which was made, of course, in the mid-'80s, you will see Highlight taking place in the in the theme song. So they they have Highlight there. I don't know where you'd find it. I don't know Miami well enough for that. But there is Highlight there. And uh, at least in South Florida, I don't know if actually in Miami, or at least there was. I, I can't say for sure it's still there, but I know like at least in the Miami Vice days, way back in the mid-80s, they had it. But uh, a company called West Flagler Associates obtained a permit for a poker and highlight facility in Edgewater. The problem was that in the middle of 2018, Miami changed its rules for gambling establishments establishments and uh, altered the zoning rules and that made it to where West Flagler's permit was revoked wasn't from anything they did but uh, once the rules were changed very shortly after they got their permit 
then the city said, uh-uh, actually we're taking away your permit because that was based on the old, old rules. The new rules don't allow you to have this facility here. So West Flagler said, no way. You already said we can do this. We already started preparation. We spent money on this. F you, we're suing you. So they actually sued the city of Miami for damages. And uh, then what happened was a settlement came where the city backed down and said, okay, fine, go ahead, proceed with this Edgewater project. Uh, That's all right. So this gave the developers the go-ahead to to do it. Apparently the city's mayor vetoed that settlement, though, in February 2020. So there's there's a big fight still going on about this, and, and residents are really pressing for this not to occur. And the leader of the actions against this uh, casino is an 87-year-old named Norman Bramman. But Norman Bramman is not your average 87-year-old. He is a billionaire, and he once owned, or at least co-owned, the Philadelphia Eagles. He made most of his money in car dealership. He owns a lot of car dealerships. And he, in fact, had a number of car dealerships, or still has a lot of car dealerships, in or near the Edgewater area of Miami. Norman Bramman claimed that West Flagler Associates and the city of Miami were in cahoots, and that the city of Miami did not care about the interests of the citizens, that they only cared about each other, the city, government itself, and this company, that they weren't looking at the interests of the citizens. And uh, since then, Mr. Bramman got a number of businesses, homeowner associations, neighborhood groups, and residents on his side who are all pushing very hard to do away with this agreement to allow West Flagler Associates to build this facility in Edgewater. Now, you may say, well, what about the coronavirus? Uh, How does that play into this? Well, they're just going ahead with this legal action saying, well, yes, we know right now it doesn't apply, but this is going to be over eventually and we want this done. So Norman Bramman said that even though it's regrettable that legal action had to be taken during this difficult time with the coronavirus, the motion was filed to protect the residents' right to decide whether Miami should allow such gambling. And... He said that they actually made this decision to allow it in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak. So if it's if they can make the decision to allow it during the coronavirus crisis, then he can do legal action against it at the same time. And that makes sense. Bramman, my guess is that the reason he doesn't want this is not because he has some kind of bug up his ass about gambling, I have a feeling that he's afraid the gambling will bring in a bad element and he doesn't want that hassle with his car dealerships nearby. He doesn't want people uh, vandalizing the cars or the area going downhill where people don't want to come there and shop there for his uh, his cars. He just, I think he just doesn't want the element there which could possibly affect his business. That's the only reason I think he is against this. And then he got everyone else spun up about why they shouldn't have gambling for reasons that they would like, where obviously no one's going to care about his dealerships, but he probably convinced the residents that it was to their advantage to go along with him on this. He claims, though, that he's not against 
gambling necessarily, but that the residents need to be given proper notice. He said that once the residents are given due notice, they can then have their say on the matter in a meaningful way with elected officials being held responsible. And he also said that he's really hoping that at the very least they freeze this whole thing until the entire coronavirus matter is passed. So he'd be fine with waiting for this to be decided until uh, after this is all done. But uh, since they're taking action at the moment to allow it, that he can't just wait and let this happen and then it'll be too late, which, which I understand. But this is just about poker and highlight. This isn't a, like a full casino being allowed there. Now, now, personally, I think this shouldn't be a big deal. This is just a poker room and highlight. But if you live there, I can see where there's some objection to this. Because the truth is, having any kind of casino, even just a poker room, can bring a bad element into the area. And some cities and neighborhoods just don't want that. Some do want it for the revenue, but others don't. Some have residents that care a lot about it, some don't. And that's actually why, like in L.A., for example, you don't see card rooms in in Beverly Hills or in Manhattan Beach or in Malibu. There's a reason you don't see them there is because, for the most part, the cities that choose to have the card rooms are ones that aren't very nice neighborhoods that more are just happy to have the revenue they bring and are less concerned about it bringing a bad element into the city because they already have a bad element, so they're not concerned. Now, there's some exceptions, like, uh, for example, Ventura, which is not a bad neighborhood, has a card room there, though it, it is a bit away from where the people live. It's in, like, a commercial industrial district. So there are exceptions to that, but that that is why a lot of times that these casinos are in lousy areas, because that's the only place they can go without running into an objection that is going to turn the area bad. If you put it into an area that already is kind of bad, then it can't turn much worse and often the those cities don't object too much nor do the residents really object because the residents are not going to say oh no this is going to turn our area into a high crime cesspool like no it's already a high crime cesspool might as well have jobs here and sometimes these areas even believe that the existence of a card room can actually help because it may force the city to clean up some of the crime that's taking place if they're going to have a casino in the area so I, I don't know much about Edgewater, but looking where it is, I have to imagine this is an area that probably isn't bad. Probably it's a pretty decent area, and I'm guessing that they don't want it there. So I can understand that. I, uh, In general, I don't like to see when poker rooms are opposed, but I can understand it. I don't have to live there. If you can just drive in from elsewhere, or if you're far away and will never go there like me, you can say, oh yeah, well, let them play. Come on, let people watch Highline Bid on. Let people play poker but if someone proposed a poker room where i live i wouldn't be happy i would actually say no i don't want it put it somewhere else i don't want it here and that may sound hypocritical but i think that there's a place for these and there's also not a place for poker rooms i don't think poker rooms should go into nice residential areas It, it can ruin them it should go in a place where it fits in better with its surroundings, where if, if it does bring in any bad element, that uh, it's not going to have much of an effect on the overall area. And as I said, in some cases, the existence of, of it could even improve an area. But an area that's already very good, that has very low crime and very few disruptions, uh, you don't want to 
mess it up by bringing that in there. I don't know if the city of Miami actually has any kind of gambling. It does seem like this might be the first form of gambling there. I know there's areas like Hollywood, Florida, which aren't far from there that have gambling. I know there's gambling in South Florida. I've known that for a long time. The city of Miami, I don't know if there's any casinos or any kind of gambling in the city of Miami. Googling it, it does appear that there is, but it could be technically not in Miami. Like I see... It looks like west of Miami, near the airport, there's Casino Miami, there's Magic City Casino, but it's possible that these aren't technically Miami, that these could be uh, technically somewhere else. I see some in the uh, the Fort Lauderdale area, but of course that's different. Looking at Google Maps, I will say that there is a there is a, a an area, a, a, there's a large area with no casinos. All of Miami Beach has no casinos from what I can see. And the entire area of mainland that faces Miami Beach does not have any casinos. And that's probably not an accident. So maybe that's what this is about. I don't know. I'd have to know more about South Florida. I know we have listeners from South Florida, so maybe they can help me with this when they hear this. From the 410, someone quoting me, I'm not a doctor, I just play one on the radio. Yeah, recently I I guess that's accurate. All right, uh, Trader Risky, thank you for sticking by with me. The show's over. We're done. You made it. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming here, and uh, thank you to Calwatt for being here. He kind of just vanished. We lost him, and usually Calwatt warns me that he's going, but he just disappeared. But it's okay because he disappeared shortly before taking an hour break anyway. We would have lost him at that point anyway. But uh, thank you, Trader Risky. Thank you, Calwatt. Thank you to the callers tonight. Brought some interesting subjects to talk about. I hope everybody is getting through these times okay. I know we have some listeners who dealt with the coronavirus, some worse than others. Uh, If you'd like to text me at any time and talk about your experience with it, I I would be interested to listen. And if you'd even like to come on here and talk about your experience with the coronavirus, you're welcome to do so. And I, I know it's tough. And... I hope that for those that are finding comfort in this show, that uh, that this really can help you. Any little thing that can make you feel better or forget the tough times that the world is experiencing right now because of this virus, it's a good thing. And that was the motivation I had tonight to go do this when physically I did not feel like doing the show. So I, I popped a caffeine pill only about three hours after I'd last taken one. Which actually helped, by the way. I felt the caffeine pill help me. which I'm not sure why it did, but I'm not going to question it. But I said, i got to do this because I know there's people who just really want to hear the show during this time. Even if they don't have the virus, just the stress from it. Or maybe a stress that came as a side effect from the economic effects of the virus. Maybe you lost your job. Or maybe you have uh, elderly relatives, especially ones who already have existing conditions and you're worried sick about them. Maybe you have a loved one with a virus. Whatever it is, if this show can make you feel better for a few or six or eight hours, whatever it takes, I'm glad to provide this to you and that that was motivation for me to do it tonight rather than saying ah we'll wait till I feel better 
We should be back Friday or Saturday next week. Check twitter.com slash poker fraud alert for those details. Good night, and as always, shalom.